Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 262. My name is Colin Moriarty, and I'm joined as always by my son, Chris Reagan. Chris, looks like you're back in Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, how's life, my friend? Good to see you. It's good. It was it was good being home for a little bit, but uh, I, I was home for a long time because there were a lot of events that were happening family wise that I was mm. I, I felt like eh, it's better to just stay the entire time than fly back and forth like six times. That, that's hell, especially that flight in particular is really, really. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I, I yeah. know. Like there are Especially people going back. I know there are people who fly internationally who are like oh, six hours is not a big deal. But it's like to me, listen, man. To me, that's a lot. OK, and uh, it's, it's worse going back too, And that's the that's like I remember when I used to visit California um, and then come back. You, you'd be excited because you'd be getting there or you'd no the other way. You'd be leaving mm-hmm, quicker yeah. or whatever. And it's like and so and it really does make a difference. I've done the New York to L.A. or New York to San Francisco in like four hours and 15 minutes straight up. Like yeah. the, 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 the pilot must have been fucking flying and the winds were going and everything was right. Yeah. And then I've been on flights that it took seven hours. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Go, going yeah. going back to, to Los Angeles from New York takes so long. Like uh, this flight was six hours. It's usually like four and a half, five hours. But like, yeah, I, I figured I'd stay and it was nice. But there's also, you know, there's there's like a maximum amount of time that you can spend at home before it starts to get like. You know, it's like, oh, man, I, I really got to. I really got to get back to my space where my things are, you know, but totally. I will do it. I mean, I, I, I think about it sometimes. It's like I lived with my mom at what, how old was I? I guess I would have been like 36, 35 for five months. Yeah. When I was, when I was waiting for this house, I was going to lose my fucking mind. My mom's awesome. I love my mom. Right. But you just, you get, I lived alone starting at 18. And then at 35, I suddenly was like, all right, I need a place to stay while I'm getting this shit yeah. organized. That's and now I got my mom being like, have you eat? And it's it's sweet, but it's like, you eating enough? You want more to eat? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah exactly. It's like all the, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I can't do this. It's, it's, you know, I it's, can't. yeah. I, I mean, my relationship with my family is pretty good. Like, I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I would hate to spend like a week with my parents. And it's like, it's not really, that's not really a problem. It's just like, it's just a lot, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of, people there were like birthdays and graduations and weddings and just a lot I'm, i was peopled out you know yeah, yeah. okay i'm I, back in my space i totally understand because you're kind of like the cat the main character when you're there kind of right that's the way i always felt when i went home because it's the same like my, i get along really well with my parents and my siblings i think those are the only people i'd ever really want to spend long periods of time with outside of like friends and random family members but there was a specific whatever year it was it must have been like 2012 or 2013 it was the year that zelda a link between worlds came out and i remember Mm -hmm. this because it was a random like i'm gonna play this game that's not a playstation game because i love link Link to the past and uh i it must have been christmas because i stayed home that it was like something like i stayed it was thanksgiving or christmas or something where i stayed home and everyone was like really annoyed because I was I came to Long Island and stayed with my dad and everyone's going out. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to stay here and play Link Between Worlds. Well, everyone goes out. And that really bothered people, I think, a little bit. And I understand that. But I'm an adult and I wanted to play my Zelda game. So ever since then, I'm just like, I'm just going to keep a little bit of a healthy distance. But then I moved back into Virginia into the breach. Mm. And now I'm here for every family event, including July 4th, which we had a great time over at Uncle Mike's pool. Yeah, my <laughs> my power went out. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the, my dad on the island was saying that the weather was not good or like uneven. Oh, he said well, something weird about yeah. it. Like he used some word like he was Cormac McCarthy. I don't know what he was saying, really. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know why. I, I think that might be why. Like we, before we started recording today, my all my stuff was fucked up, and I think that might have been why. Oh yeah, because the power went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally understand. Dustin Furman, executive producer. Hello. Welcome to the show. You're in a new space. Did you get kicked out of your house? No. Well, I have been kicked out for a week. Now I'm going back today. I'm down here in Virginia oh, for the past week, hanging out with like yeah. like Chris said. I've been with my parents for a week. No problem. We've been having a a great time. But I am mm. ready to be home with my stuff, as as Chris said, because right. I brought my PS5 down and. I realized how much of a baby I am and how I annoy myself, really, because I sit down to play some Final Fantasy 16. You know, there's music going on in another room. Someone's looking at my mom's looking at TikToks. I'm like, I can't. There's just too much stimulation going on right. to do this. So I get headphones, put those on. Then I realize as I'm sitting there that there's a window on the opposite side of the TV and there's a giant glare mm -hmm. and I, I said how do you guys deal with this how do you ever use this They're like oh we don't use the tv during the day I'm like well that's good for you that's actually probably a good thing right so then i play at night and then when i sit down to play at night like it's too far away i can't read the fucking text wow <laughs> so i pull up a chair <laughs> oh my God. And, I, and i think i hate myself right now i really so do interesting yeah but <laughs> i have something else to complain about that's more important i need good, to get good, your good. I need your check on this, Colin, because you and I, we've gotten a lot of shit over the past few months about our mm. concert takes. Oh. I have what I think is a very safe concert take. Obscure, but safe. I went to the Yellow Card Ocean Avenue 20th mm. anniversary tour last night. Got to see a few listeners pointed me out there. Very cool to say hello to some people there. It felt like my people were there. It was very cool. I have a problem, though, with the band. It's called the Ocean Avenue 20th anniversary tour. They did not play all the songs from Ocean Avenue. Interesting. They didn't play it front to back. No, they played like the first two or three, then a bunch of other songs. Then they played one and then a bunch of others. And then they ended with two more. They didn't play the whole album. That's fucking lame. That's not, what that. you're that's not what you're supposed to do on the on the anniversary tour. I wonder exactly. If, I haven't listened to that record in a really long time, so I need to go back and listen to it. That was like a college record that was just on at parties mm -hmm. and they're just constantly on. Are there songs they either don't like on that record or can't play? So yeah. I, I went, there's a helpful website called Setlist FM. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I love that that website. Now, so this was the first night of the actual tour, but I looked, they've been doing festival dates. And at the festival dates, guess what? They're playing the album front to back and that's it. But on that's the actual weird. that's weird. You think they would do it the opposite way for mm -hmm. the for the the casual audience at a festival would want to hear your singles and like the more poppy songs and then your hardcore fans that go to venues would want to hear the record that yeah make exactly. any sense. i was just i was blown away i'm like this is your anniversary tour you got to play the whole album and it's not that i'm a i have anything against their other songs or anything like that but i just uh i couldn't i i was like this is what i came for so it was still a good time we enjoyed it but yeah. If you do the anniversary tour, play the whole album. Yeah, if, if you if you if it's like if a movie came back in theaters for like an anniversary and then they only played like the like the, the big scenes, you know, <laughs> you'd be like, what the or hell the first, is this? The first act. Yeah, yeah it'd be like Spider-Man 2 is back in theaters and it's just the train scene. And then you go home and you're like, this is really what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah, that would that would actually piss me off. Because I've been to full album shows because those are some of my favorite shows to go to. And that would and they always play other things The the album, your album is 45 minutes or 50 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever. Transistor yeah. or something would be 70 minutes, but you still have plenty of time to play other things. Yeah, that would that would blow me away. The concert. There's so many concert things that are going on in the 
you know, some of these people have all these different opinions on on our concert. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to me because people hold on to this notion that unsolicited, not at a new kids on the block concert or something, you're singing along to every lyric. I'm like, I've never I've been no more. I've been to so many shows, man. Like, yeah, you know, I, if the if the I'm just going to say one more time, if the if the band is asking you or if it's like, you know, do you know this one? You know, that kind of thing. Right, you, have right, to, right. you have to read the room. I'm just saying if we're so, three or four songs deep at some random show, song and there's someone next to me singing and screaming every lyric, I think they're breaking every protocol of going to a concert. And yeah. I've rarely encountered that. And when I have, everyone around them has been annoyed. So just wanted, <laughs> yeah. just wanted to throw that out there one more time. That's why I like death metal shows, because so few people can sing those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even try. <laughs> have you guys seen have you guys seen this trend that's been going on? Well, it's not a trend, but it's it, it's it's something that I've noticed happening more and more, or at least videos that I'm seeing a lot more and more on my on my f- social media feeds, TikToks, Twitters, what have you. And it's it's people like performers at concerts. Most of these people I haven't heard of, really. But like it's like singers and performers that are on stage and then they get hit with something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's been happening a lot. I've been seeing this like. At least in the last week, I've seen it on like three separate occasions, three separate occasions, three separate people getting hit with some object on stage at like these big concert halls or these like big arenas. Yeah, it's not OK. And it's That's it's very crazy. Com- it's very common. There, well, remember, there's that famous scene of Nickelback walking off stage when they get throw- shit thrown at them at like some festival in Portugal or whatever. That I've never seen make that. The rounds. Yeah, it's all, like they give the finger to the crowd. And like and just leave because they still get paid. And there's probably like a rider in their contracts It's like we don't have to perform under these circumstances. So I wouldn't perform either. But I, I've been to shows where people have done weird shit. Like I saw Papa Roach once at uh, <laughs> this was in probably 2001 or 2002 at uh, Starland Ballroom. People might remember Starland Ballroom is as a nomenclature. It's what they really call it. But it is literally a fucking parking lot in New Jersey. Like that's basically what it is. And I've seen a, a few shows there. and. Someone like threw their shoe or something at the bassist in Papa Roach and he like gave the finger to the crowd and his real animosity between. And I was like, why are you here if you want to be so? Yeah. You know, and what about your shoe? Like, yeah, it's like yeah. we were what? talking about on a recent episode of something where that girl got hit with the iPhone, like a ninja star in her head. Yeah. And it's like, that's what, a, that, what about the phone? One. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's a thousand dollar ninja star. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy because it's also like you'd you'd have to imagine this is I don't know, man. If if it continues, because it might, you know, like like anything on the internet, like if it's like, oh, I want to do that, I want to, you know, get my fifteen minutes. That's gonna have like some negative effect on the way concerts work. You know what I mean? Like, why the hell would I wouldn't perform under those circumstances? They're gonna have to put up like the Blues Brothers net. You know, have you guys, seen, <laughs> yeah. you know, like when they're performing and they have to, I love the blue, they have blue, to like uh, deflect all the bottle, the beer bottles and shit coming at them. That movie is ridiculous. That movie's fucking I awesome. I couldn't believe that movie when I saw it. All the, all the cars. <laughs> yeah. It's if anybody hasn't seen the blues brothers, I highly recommend it. It's really yeah, cool. The original one. Yeah. From yeah. the eighties. Yeah. My, I had, when I lived in, I went to private school in New Hampshire, um, with this kid, uh, Steven, who was like my good friend there. And he was a really sweet guy. And I talked to him every once in a while still. Um, when I was like in middle school and he was into certain movies and it was the VHS era and we didn't have anything. So we'd watch them over and over again. And it was like Days of Thunder, mm-hmm. the uh, Tom Cruise car racing movie, Blues Brothers. I've seen very some of these movies fucking eight million times because that we had nothing better to do, you know, and or yeah. watch. And her mother, their, his mom was like always obsessed with just watching daytime TV. So you had very few options. Blues Brothers is great. They did that sequel, Blue, Blues Brothers 2000, but I'm not even sure I've seen that movie. Yeah. 
I haven't seen that one either. Hmm. All right. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm in a good mood today. I feel well rested. Me too. I, good. I kind of just oh good. I kind of just zonked out last night. Well, not not early. It was probably like one o'clock. But that's early for me. I just went because usually I'm watching something on YouTube where I'm on my phone. And, and the last night I just kind of put the head on the pillow. I'm just like yeah. Here. Goodbye. Yeah. I had that's so weird. I had a very well. It's it's not that weird. I had like an edible. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> an edible super early in the day because I was like unusually stressed and I was like you know what. I don't normally do that, by the way, but I was just like, ah, you know what? I'll, I'll calm down. And it worked. And I was like, oh man, it's like 10 PM. And I'm like, wow, I'm really, I could go to sleep right now. And it would be amazing. Yeah. Good. I did. I did that. Exactly. I just sat, I, I got in my bed. I played Metal Gear Solid five on the steam deck for a little bit. And then I passed out and it was great. Woke up early. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Th- that's the one thing I didn't do. I didn't wake up early. Ooh. I stayed in bed and just lollygagged for a little while as one does. But I'm feeling good. It's also the weather's been really nice here. It, it took a long time for summer to get, you know, we do things a little bit differently down here in Virginia. And uh, we were waiting for the heat to really come. It was very inconsistent. It was actually fucking up people's plants. Like we've noticed even there, there's like a ton of spiders around here. And we've noticed this year that there's like no spiders. We, we assume that all of this has to do with just like the weather fluctuating so much. But finally, um, a little bit before July 4th, we got like this really consistent 90 degree every day, not getting any cooler Mm -hmm. than 75 at night kind of thing. And the pool is feeling so good. And I was every day for three days straight, I was just in the pool floating around reading Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian because we just did Mm -hmm. this for knockback actually in the name of Cormac McCarthy, RIP Cormac McCarthy. And so I was enjoying that. And um, Micah for my, actually it was for Christmas, got me a really nice like basketball hoop for the pool where you put it on the side mm. and it's weighted and it comes with like little mini basketballs. And I've just been out there shooting hoops as the sun goes down. Maybe I've been drinking a little bit of beer, having a little bit of a smoke. Ooh. So I thought they're like Jordan versus bird out there, but it's just me. So wow. Jordan or bird. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been, I've been feeling, I've been feeling good. I've been feeling one, you know, 4th of July was really nice. We had a, a beautiful day, good barbecue or what we would call down here. Cookout. Because it wasn't barbecue. Yeah. Beer got got a little drunk. Yeah. But not too bad. A little. Not too drunk. Just a little drunk. Good. A little mm-hmm. bit. All right, my friends. It's good to be here with you guys. Good to see your faces. Good to be with the audience as well. Thank you for being here. This is Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Goes live each and every week. You can get it three days early and ad-free over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media. I want to take a moment to thank everyone out there for your continued kind support. Um, we are at all-time highs um, across the board with traffic and with Patreon support, revenue, all the rest. It's super awesome and we really appreciate it. It allows us to try to do more, not in terms of traffic, or I'm sorry, not in terms of content, but bringing traffic to the content we already do. Like I really want to do more um, of those like, uh, they're apparently not very monetizable, but I think they're really funny. The YouTube shorts are really yeah. cool. And there, I, I, I just went over to that, I downloaded that new Threads app from oh, Instagram yeah. or whatever. And I just to take, get my name, but that's going there as well. I don't know. There's just a bunch of different ways we can reach people with the content we already do. So I really appreciate that. Cause I think that'll allow us to, you know, your support will allow us to explore that idea and kind of get this. Yeah. As Jim Ryan might say virtuous cycle going on. Virtuous, the virtuous uh, cycle, the virtuous cycle. There's right. a, yeah, there's like eight different Twitters now mm-hmm. that popped up over, overnight. Blue, blue sky. Like, blue sky. So I, I think, I, <sighs> I mean, this is, a, this is an aside, but I, I think yeah. thread threads probably has like the highest likelihood. I think so even, even though it's like a mess right now. 
Yeah, I don't really know how to use it. I I just went and try. I just went. And, I don't really want to be on social media. I'm going to talk about that in a little while. But I was bouncing around just being like, OK, like what's because I'm getting like a ton of followers there for some reason. I have no idea. I just absorbed my everyone I follow on Instagram it's, it's, and it allows yeah. you to just bring it over, which is cool. But I can't figure out how to like customize it. It just seems to show me whatever it wants. Yeah, you know? exactly. No, That's what I hate about yeah. it. Yeah, there's no so follower only feed. It's yeah, whatever Zuck sense. wants you to see. It's it's really it's really poorly thought out in that way. But the the follower migration is nice because mm-hmm. it's way less of it's like I don't know. It's starting a whole new thing is a, is a is a hassle. So like that migration is pretty cool. But aside from that, like I don't know. I don't like any of these really. <laughs> I just I would prefer fewer of these than more of them. But it's kind of nice. Like part of me, Chris, wants them to like Elon Musk to just kill Twitter, right? Just like just squash it and just delete it and throw all the servers in the ocean. And oh, me too. And and be done with it. But that would give rise to another one. Right. So instead, what I think is best is if we have a severely wounded, vaguely operable Twitter, which is what we kind of have now. And it just limps along enough that no competitor can really get its stake in the ground because threads, like you said, has the best chance. But I don't think there's much of a chance of Twitter being unseated. Everyone's complaining on Twitter as they use Twitter. It doesn't make any sense. If you don't want to be on Twitter, people are obsessed with the attention, right? So, I mean, that's what social media is really all about at the end of the day. So, so it just seems like the, the, the platforms with inertia have all the advantages. And um, I'll be interested to see if anyone can unseat Twitter. So in other words, Twitter going away would be the best possible outcome in the short term, but in the mid to long term would be the worst possible outcome because there would be a stronger and better run Twitter called fucking i don't know something else stupid and yeah. instead you just kind of have this circular firing squad i, d- I do have to say this because I, I um mark zuckerberg frankly creeps me out a little bit but there's one thing the, he said that i appreciated about this which is he's obviously very smart and one thing that he said about this is that he's like i we want the uh, are their north star in quotes on threads is positivity and i'm like that's interesting you know, like there's that it doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't even mean that's necessary or important. It's just that that's interesting because I don't think anyone has had that North Star on their social yeah. media platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think that is kind of I mean, you could you could judge whether or not that's been successful or not, but you could argue that's kind of what Instagram is like. Instagram is far, like of the social media platforms like Instagram is definitely like the least toxic that I've seen or that I've been on personally. It's because you can control everything on there, I think, which I think is probably what's necessary and good. Like you don't you don't have to just take the abuse. You can delete the abuse. You know, like you don't have to That's just true. it's which I think is an interesting. I don't I think Twitter is cool because you have to just take it. And I think it is. It's like Elon described it as PVP. And I think that that is a really interesting way to, to do it. But it's it's the way that it's described is exactly why I don't like it. And I think you're right. Instagram to me, if I were to select any social media platform to really just exist on and it is Instagram. But I'm, I, for some reason in my mind, I just never go on it. Well, it's because never it's just photos. Like, like, why yeah. would you, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of, that's the issue with Instagram. It's just photos. Like, I don't so have maybe to, this I don't, will fix it. I don't have yeah. a picture to post every day, mm-hmm. but I do have, you know, you know, do you, <laughs> these, there's there's a, there's enough bullshit flo- flo- uh, like kind of like floating around in my head that I'm like, yeah, I'll unload it on this garbage platform yeah yeah anyway. i just i'm trying to keep more of my bullshit inside my head for the shows that's fair we'll get to that later what were you we talking about patreon patreon.com slash last media couldn't do it without you thank you again for your kind support early ad free access the ability to submit your questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas monthly q a's get your name in the credits um depending on whatever you want to do but of course sacred symbols plus twice a week is a major perk over there 
we do supplemental episodes on various topics, deep dives, review discussions, and more. Um, and you can find those twice a week. Sacred Symbols Plus recent episode on GTA 3. I named it, I think, is Grand Theft Auto 3 the perfect video game, which I make the argument that it might be from pr- certain perspectives. I'd be interested to see what people think of that. So check that out. Uh, Dustin, you are doing a mailbag, I think, soon. Micah, or you did one already. Oh, Mike out. is doing one, yeah, I think. OK, cool. So yours is out. Mike is is forthcoming. Street Fighter 6 conversation, Mortal Kombat conversation, the light and the darkness conversation, E3 moments, a lot more coming up. And Pumpkinhead. Um, oh, no, no. We'll get to you in a second, Pumpkinhead. Never mind. Wait, wait, wait. Hold no. on. Yeah. Did what you guys happened? do it? You guys did an E3 moments? Yeah. Yeah. PlayStation <sighs> best and worst. You were invited oh, yeah, to that, right. I think. Right. Why weren't yeah. you on that? What happened with that? I think it was Dustin? just timing. You, was, that, yeah. was, that during, was that during when I was in New York? I think so. Mm. There was some reason you weren't on it. Damn. But uh, yeah, we did. What was it? The top. It was like the best five and the worst five E3 moments for PlayStation. It really doesn't did it. I was just kind of riding along. All right. And I'm really appreciative that people are enjoying the, the light and the darkness conversation as well. It's an important game. And I hope people check it out. It's free. It takes an hour to beat. Merch, lastdaymedia.store. Do we have anything to say? About merch, I've seen the new merch. We have new merch. Uh, yeah. I just don't know if it's available to buy yet. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, we just we're at the point now where everything's nearly together. But it's I think Micah sent me some of it, so it's all going to be photographed and added to the store and stuff like that. So keep your eyes looking peeled. You know, for what your does eyes, eyes peeled means? I was going to say uh, eyes peeled, but then I thought that sounds dumb, and then I realized. That's just the is expression. It like peeled, like holding them up. Like, what is your eye peeled? Like you're peeling. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, peeling like, it's, it like back. Your, it's like your eyelids. Yeah, yeah. Like you're peeling your eyelid back. Yeah, that scary? yeah. I don't like that. I, it's like eyes, you know, not eyes wide shut. The uh, <laughs> clockwork orange, you know? Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for merch. Yeah. Those so, famous it's coming. Clockwork orange. It's pretty dang soon. You now. can't watch my brain. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. So last time media.store for that. Thank you again. Uh, whether you're on YouTube you know, free services, wherever you, whatever you are, whether you like us or hate us. Thank you for listening and clicking on the show. We appreciate that. Pumpkinhead wrote in and said, dear sacred crew, just writing in to update you on a sacred symbols cross sacred symbols collab that I have facilitated this week. That's right. I'm talking about merch going head to head with the Holy Grail. I visited Valencia Cathedral, which is one of more than 200 sites that stake the claim to hosting the Grail's final resting place. However, several popes have believed Valencia to be the real deal. I waltzed in there with my Sacred Symbols t-shirt and keyring, and within minutes, I could sense that everyone knew there was a new prophet in town. I eagerly anticipate the, mo- the more legit Sacred Symbols being edited into The Last Supper and other such important depictions of biblical events and eventually supplanting the cup of Christ as the Holy Grail itself. It's possible. <laughs> Here's the thing about the Holy Grail and some of these other things. One of the cool things about Catholicism, in my opinion, and you might agree, Chris, you're not Catholic, Dustin, so you might probably don't have any opinion on this, but I love how old Catholicism is and how there's a deep history of mysticism and relic keeping. So like different, a church usually has one, is built on like one or was built on like one item Mm -hmm. as being its central thing. Like this is a piece of Christ cloth or a cross. This is a piece of the cloth covering Christ. This is uh, the Holy Grail, like all that. Yeah, and, these are Joseph's but, tax returns. Yeah, these you know, are exactly yeah. these are Joseph's. And this is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
I I dig that. But what I love is that everyone's lying because no, you can't possibly all have these things. And so if there's 200 churches that are claiming that somewhere on those grounds is the Holy Grail, then we got to blow those churches up and see what we can find. We yeah, have to we, blow them up without dynamite. We, let's be we can use mallets and dig and use excavators. But let's figure out who has the Holy Grail. Isn't that an important question? I've seen it's Indiana the cup Jones. of everlasting life. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? To us? <laughs> I was saying I've seen Indiana Jones. I know what it can do. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, very important. I learned those skills on how to identify which cup is the real cup. You know, it's the one that's not quite as fancy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I got to say, I, I got to say this. I thought Indiana Jones's name was Indiana for an embarrassingly long time. Dude, I saw the new movie. Uh, it's not very good. But yeah, they explain I mean, why his name's Indiana. But that's not they, in one of the new ones. Do they really? I think that's in Last Crusade. Yeah, I don't remember. I know that they named it. I know that the name Indiana came from Spielberg's dog. That's the only thing I know about. Like well, that's that what they from. mentioned in the movie. But I don't know. Is that spoilers? Oh, is that uh, the Last Crusade came out in 1989? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't know that it's like available to not be spoiled anymore. But and I also don't think it's an important spoiler. But yeah, they say something about a, that. Right. I think that's. A, yeah, that's I the think that Sean Connery. He's Indiana Jones dad and he's like, oh, Indiana, that's you got that name from the dog or something like that was Indiana. I can't remember what his real name is, but yeah, he got the, he started using that name because of his dog in yeah. the movie. Dr. Canon. Jones, <laughs> yeah. his name's just Jones. Jones, Jones, Jones. Yeah. It's like Mario, Mario, Dr. Dr. Jones, of Temple. Everyone knows Temple of Doom is the best one. Please. Oh, no, no. Of the three, the original three, you think Temple of Doom is the best one? Yes. Wow. Bold. Yes, I do. The intro is the intro alone is amazing. At the mm. at the club or whatever, I love it. And he, and he oh, he's just so handsome, and he sits down, and oh my god, I, I, who doesn't want to be Indiana Jones? Holy moly, I love Indiana Jones. But I didn't see the fifth one. I'm not going to even acknowledge it exists. I did watch the Red Letter Media review of it though. I mean, it was very funny. Yeah, it was very funny. Yeah, that, dude, I love Rich Rich Evans so much. Like. I just think he makes me laugh. So that guy is so funny. And uh, his boisterousness and all that is just very, very endearing. They're, they're great. All right. I don't know what the hell we're talking about. This is Sacred Symbols, the PlayStation podcast. Let's begin with topics of discussion as we stretch our legs. Last week, we didn't stretch our legs at all, which was a good thing because we had so much content to get through that the show would have been the show was almost five hours long. So, yeah, it would have been over five hours if we did this. But let's stretch our legs this week and hear from the audience, see what you guys have to say. A few people wrote in about this. They think they have a correction. Yeah. But of course, they need to be corrected. Nicholas Hardacre wrote in, said, hey, CDC, just wanted to write in with a correction from last week's episode. In the conversation about Kingdom Hearts and how Colin should be playing this game, Colin stated that he does not want to go play Kingdom Hearts as Daffy Duck. <laughs> Daffy Duck is a property of Warner Brothers, and he has most and he was most likely referring to Donald Duck which is the Disney-owned iconic character. Also, you never play as a character within the Kingdom Hearts video games. He is indeed absolutely shit as a mage and a healer. Now that I piss off the crew, I'll see myself out. Thank you, Nicholas, for writing it, but that's the joke. Yeah. You fucking idiot. You might remember, I don't know what it was, several months ago, I earnestly did say that Daffy Duck was in Kingdom Hearts, and we were laughing about it because I, I made that mistake, so that's why I brought it up. Yeah. See, see this is why you need to listen to every episode yeah. front to back. Yeah, otherwise, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll look like a... Like a complete asshole, like Nicholas Headache. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that in the thread, so you guys submit your your inquiries for the show in the thread and on Patreon every week. 
by the hundreds. And the two comments about this were back to back, which weird. I thought was pretty funny. So at the same time, because usually it's like they're minutes apart. They're writing at the same time, everyone, because it's only up for like 24 hours, not even. And uh, so at the same time, two people had simpatico or simpatico and they yeah. synced up remote viewing MK Ultra. <laughs> and <laughs> they were uh, and they were and they got together and they 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 submitted the same exact comment. What is Daffy? Daffy's got to be a nickname, right? Like, is what is Daffy short for? It can't be the full name. Daffy Duck Wiki. It's going to be like Daffstifer or something. No, it just says Daffy Duck is an anime because usually you'd say Daffy Duck and then it would say in parentheses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daffinold, Reginald. Yeah, (laughs) Daffinold. Duck the third. I always think about this now ever since I found out that Chuck E. Cheese was named literally Charles Entertainment Cheese. Yeah, ever, right. since I, ever since I learned that, I was like, what are these like, I wonder if they like surely like when they were inventing these cartoons, they didn't think of this. But like later on, like retroactively adding canon, like to just just to flesh out this dumb mascot. I'm curious. Yeah, it's uh, I'm looking at it's, you know, like Daffy is so ubiquitous. Like you look at him and you're like, yeah, that's right. That's Daffy Duck. But he's fucking crazy. He's got <laughs> yeah. those big ovular eyes and. His butt sticking out and all it's he's very, but he's I don't know, man, I. These characters are way more interesting to me than the Disney characters, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. If Kingdom Hearts was earnestly about Daffy Duck, I might play it. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Thank you, Nicholas, for writing in, being our sacrificial lamb this week. You never know what you're going to (laughs) get. Final Final Fantasy and Warner Brothers would be such a chaotic. (laughs) I I can't even I can't even fathom that. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to go all the way you, you could have like gandalf in final fantasy 16 or some shit oh my weird. jesus christ all right steven campos wrote in said hey guys colin so i this came from an, an i this came from another episode i think of like it was on any constellation or something that he was bringing up but i wanted to bring it up here because he said something that touched me so much that i wanted to make sure he understood okay he says steven campos wrote in said hey guys Colin, I wanted to write this since you have mentioned in the past how you have a no solicitation sign. So I have a no solicitor sign on my door. It's just a small sign, like a, not an oval circle. It just says, please, no solicitations or whatever. And he says, I am a solicitor and I go door to door getting people to sign up for Arcadia. I don't know what that is, but I assume it's like a maybe it's a cable company or something. Why do people treat us solicitors with no respect? Me and my coworkers are constantly treated with no respect at the door that half of my coworkers and me have had an emotional breakdown on the field. We constantly have people yelling at us or calling the police on us. I write this because you always say to treat people the way you want to be treated. As a solicitor, I did nothing wrong. So why do people yell or scream at me at the door? If you want to get rid of me, just simply say not interested when you open the door or simply don't open the door. Colin, why do people feel like they have the right to treat us solicitors with no respect? At the end of the day, I'm a human being. Colin, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I know you hate solicitors, but someone like you should agree with me that we should treat people with respect, even solicitors at the door. First of all, this has nothing to do with sacred symbols, but it was so. The writing was so it was so aggressive in some sense that I needed to talk a little bit about this. Stephen, Stephen, I have never said you should mistreat anybody ever. And I never said you should mistreat a solicitor. I've never said that. So I don't know where you're, you're getting this from. You should, of course, be treated with with respect. However, and this is the important thing. This might be where the conversation you came that, you know. You have to respect if someone has a no solicitation sign on the door, and if you don't respect that and you still knock, then I consider that great disrespect towards me. 
and yeah. I will treat you a little more coldly because of that. Yes, that is true. And that's only happened twice since I put the sign up. We used to get solicitors all the time, all the fucking time until I got that sign. And they just see it and they walk off. But if you're going to ignore that, you're on my property and you're going to ignore that. And we don't want to be bothered. Yes, but the specific reason. So, so Stephen, to give you a little bit of maybe a, a customer's point of view, when you knock on my door unsolicited, it freaks my dogs out and they, they're going crazy for like a half an hour after it happens. So you ignoring my no solicitation sign, which exists primarily for that reason, they're not aggressive or angry dogs. They're just excited. They want to know who's on the other side of the door. Then they sit at the door, they whine, they cry, you know? So there's another side to the story, Stephen. There's an, indeed another side to the story. And so, yes, people shouldn't mistreat you. You shouldn't be crying. I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, envy you at all for having to do this job or choosing to do this job. Yeah. But let's have a, let's have a, you know, you come into my neighborhood. It says no solicitations. You knock on my door. It says no solicitations. What am I a fucking doormat, Steven? Yeah. People, people shouldn't be throwing like nail bombs at you or anything. Right. Sure. <laughs> but, but you know, respect the sign. I have a thought on this and I looked up this company because I realized, oh, <laughs> My main problem with some solicitors is these is I think one of the companies that our friend Steven works for. Now I don't know his specific company, but they're one of the most notorious solicitors in my area are these people that go and try to sell you some kind of alternative energy, which that's what this company does. Now here's the thing is why people don't respect them and hate them. And I don't know if this is you, Steven, so I'm not accusing you of anything, but some of them will be like, Oh, hi, I'm from, the power company or some kind of vagueness. And they say, I need to see your bill. And they act like they're official and they try to scare you or something, but then they try to sell you on some, I, I don't exactly know how it works. It's like, you can get some kind of alternative energy where they'll keep though. It's like, Oh, you sign up. You'll, you're going to save this much money. You'll lock it in for this many months. And then when those months are over, jack up the price, they get you. So, yeah. That's a, you know, my, my grandma's fallen for this. I, I'm hesitant to call it a scam, but I don't like people coming around saying they're from the power company when they're not. And then asking exactly. to see your bill. That's some bullshit wow. right there. Don't yeah. do that. So yeah. Steven, I don't know what you do. Maybe this is you. If it is, uh, I'm sorry, but this is why people don't respect that. But maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it's something else. I look, I took 10 seconds to look it up. So I don't really know. Yeah. I'm just you, saying this is what I'm saying, though, to Stephen, is that you have to know what you're getting yourself into. You have to read the signs, both literally, literally and figuratively. You know, I, I look at capitalism like this. I go seek the good. The good doesn't come to me. That's not the way I want to interact with capitalism. That's advertising. Yeah. You're basically it's basically the most aggressive form of advertising you could possibly imagine, which is coming to someone's house. Yeah, that's what I, it is. I, I just yeah. I, I don't like a stranger at my door. Right. Really, just in general. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a solicitor or just some like a neighbor that I don't know or a cop. Like, I, I just I hate it. Just get, get go away. Yeah, I, I, usually, just, I usually just don't answer is, is how I handle it. I'm just like, ah, yeah, OK. Yeah, I, no, it's the <laughs> I would do that except for that one it's like 50% of the time or more than that. It's one of the kids around us that threw something, like got something in our yard, like their yeah, ball or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't want to be an asshole to them. One time I had to go on my goddamn roof 
to get this kid's Mario doll that somehow ended up on my roof. That, that they threw up <laughs> what the and hell? I was on a ladder and then I had like a broom. He had and the I'm cape like, on. That's crazy. Fucking idiot. Yeah. So, but they're nice kids. They, they mean well. And so I, I don't want to like just ignore them. You know, well, of course. Yeah. It's they, obviously, it's obviously so you never really know. I mean, I have cameras, so I guess I could look, but it's, it's a situational I, I thing, like a, obviously. Like I, I'm, I'm in an apartment. There's no reason why, mm-hmm. you know, who the hell's going to, no one's going to get anything stuck in my balcony, you know? Hmm. When I lived in, this reminds me when I lived, because in, in, in the apartment, the cool thing about living in an apartment was like kind of the barrier between you and all, there's like, you have to get through the door and then you have to get the elevator and use the card and all of that. So you, you, people are buzzing. You can just ignore all that shit. Yeah, yeah, I used to get phone calls. You know, you get a phone call for your buzzer. It's like, it's like insulation like, kind of is how I exactly. think of it, where it's like, I will never be bothered unless it's actually important, which I like. And uh, it's funny, though, because there was a one time in that apartment in Santa Monica you're familiar with. That's where Sacred Symbols started, where I was just sitting there late at night with my ex and watching TV. It was like midnight or one in the morning. And someone is like trying to open the door with keys. And oh, was it like like, a drunk person thinking it's their apartment? And so what it ended up being, but it was just dude and this chick and the guy was trying to pretend that he had an apartment in the building, I think. And like was it was like a George Costanza <laughs> going to the Hamptons. That's awesome. Like going all the way. And it was really it wasn't cool because I was like, who the fuck? I was kind of aggressive. Like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you doing here? Probably the closest in my adult life I ever got into getting into a fist fight with someone. Probably. Then, yeah, like, obviously. Then like cops came. Then the cops were mad at me. Like for, for right, being like, well, well, the guy was just making made a mistake. He was in the wrong building or whatever. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, uh, the LAPD, dude. And then. Actually, they're Santa Monica cops. They're not even LAPD. So it's a whole nother level, I guess. But I always think about that because that was that was my only apartment living there where I was like, oh, my God, I have to interact with someone. I'm forced to do this. Someone's trying to get into my apartment. You know what I I I bet it is? What'd you say? And you know what I bet it is now I think Mm. about it because Santa Monica police department, because those are the those are the tourist cops. Mm. Those are the cops that have to deal with people from out of town coming to Santa Monica being like, oh, let's see the pier. Yeah. Let's see the yeah. fear. And then it's just like, so they just assume like, oh yeah, just like, you know, people are just unfamiliar. You know, that nobody knows what's going on. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? It's like, oh, I just live here. Don't worry about me. All right. I don't know why that came up. Thank you for writing yeah. in. Who are, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for writing in. <laughs> All right. Serge wrote in, said, greetings, fellow freedom lickers. Hmm. Did you mean likers? I don't think so. All right. How was your 4th of July? This is a good question. What sizzling meats did you whip out over the holiday and are all of your fingers intact? I don't know about you, but my neighborhood sounds like the backdrop of World War One trench warfare every year. Somebody's getting hurt somewhere. At any rate, I try to enjoy my time as I think everybody should. There's more to love about this country than there is to hate. So on that note, take care as always. I do agree with you there. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I'm, I'm more disenchanted with America than I've ever been in my entire life, but it's still better than the alternative. There's there's no doubt about that. Fourth of July. Chris, did you do anything specific? Uh, I, I just stayed in bed most of the day, <laughs> to be honest. I, I went, I took like a nice resting day off. I went, uh, I went over to a friend of mine's place who he has a house a couple blocks away from me. We, we grilled some, um, some hot dogs and some burgers, but it wasn't really. And then we went to see fireworks on the top of like some mountain. It was cool. But, uh, Fourth of July is one of those, it's one of those holidays to be where it's, I, I'm, I'm I'm not really enamored with it in any way. Not necessarily because it's like a political thing. I just kind of I, I am not like fireworks don't do it. It's like the equivalent of like keys being jingled at me. 
We're like, okay, yeah, it's a bright little explosion. Yeah, I, I, I don't actually know. I, hate fireworks personally. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I actually don't. I, I don't. I'm not a pyro. Like, I, I don't. I don't get like the like the little sticks with like the sparklers or whatever. Oh, the sparklers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I really don't. I don't get it. And maybe it's because I am like a pyro and it's not enough for me. Maybe it's mm. just like we need to, We need to blow up a building for me to be really we like excited. should do shit like that. <laughs> we should find an indiscriminate international target every 4th of July and blow it up. <laughs> yeah, we, I think that's, that's a, a good sign idea. of like power. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> we'll find some we'll target like one specific fish and just send like an ICBM no I, I don't know man like i just uh it's it's fine like i i get it um it's it's but it, it is more of like a family thing for me so like when i'm not home with my family and i'm just kind of with my friends it's kind of like eh, do we do we really need to do any like we could just like drink and hang out mm-hmm. play smash brothers or something like I, I don't know if it's necessary that we do the whole barbecue thing i don't know there's a there's a, a drama going on in my neighborhood right now i, I forwarded micah the email actually from our our um HOA because gar like our garbage day is Tuesday and in San Francisco yeah. and in LA when you have a garbage day no matter what it is it'll be that day like Christmas Day is a Tuesday it's like they'll come and get your garbage on Christmas Day but here it's not like that they're constantly moving your days around because of holidays right and oh my god and so here so on Fourth of July the garbage people came but no one put their garbages out and so and it's so hot and sweltering here. That like you need to get rid of this shit quickly. So like everyone's kind of freaking out because no one put their stuff out. But I am tied like a knot inside of me at all times, like a nuclear bomb about to go off. So I'm never really asleep. Right. I'm just resting. That's the most psychotic really... thing I've ever heard you say, by the way. Yeah, that's mm. right. I'm <laughs> that never really unhinged. I'm never really <laughs> sleeping. And I hear the sound of the garbage truck coming up the street from a dead sleep. And I am immediately awake. Now, I sleep like Winnie the Pooh. I sleep with a T-shirt and no underwear, right? So I'm immediately getting my stuff on, scrambled into the into the hallway outside, into like our loft, look out the window, see the garbage truck going, like beginning to go by the house, run out at the speed of light or near it, go out to the garage, come out with the recycling because it's the recycling truck. The guy stops, looks in his mirror, turns around. And starts backing up. Beep, beep, beep. I caught him in the nick of time. That guy was fucking feeling himself that day because no one put their garbage out. So he was just going re just and like the random garbage that might have been out. Right. The random person (laughs) that wasn't paying attention. And I caught him. And it's because I have a nice relationship with this guy. This is why you have to have good relationships with people to take care of you in your life, because I've I've had good interactions with this guy before. He 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 pointed with a little arm came out. It was hysterical. Like his window was up because it was hot as balls. The arm just comes out I was like, I just put the recycling bin right in it. It's like, boom, <laughs> like, and just picks it up, puts it in the truck and then puts it down. And the guy just speeds away. And I had caught That's him awesome. just in the nick of time. And then I put the garbage out and I got that too. But I was one of the lucky ones out there. That's what severe anxiety does to a person. And I was able to utilize it for once in That's my good. own, it's my own advantage, which I appreciate. You know, don't fuck around with the anxiety. Don't fuck around with the not. I'm less medicated than I've been in years. That's another thing, probably. I maybe I would have slept right through it. If I was still on that high Lexapro dose. No, probably, yeah. You'd be yeah. I would be snoozing. <laughs> but I'm never really sleeping, Chris. Yeah. 
I mean, doesn't affect me. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 your cross to bear. That is. So Fourth of July fireworks, dumb. Why do we still appreciate them? Don't know. I think it's a tradition kind of thing because I can imagine the sparkler. Right, you were talking about the sparkler. Probably pretty cool in 1850. Right. Right. Yeah. The fireworks in 1800. It's like holy fucking shit. What the hell is this? You know, that would probably be like the coolest thing you saw all year. But. Th- Come on, man. It's the same thing with parades. Didn't we talk about parades before? I'm like, we can't yeah. have parades anymore. There's no reason to have parades anymore. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. If you want to do a parade, do like a, like do Burning Man or something. You know what I mean? Right. Go to like go to some area that like no one is and then go celebrate. That, that's a great idea. Honestly, I, I think every single parade should be that just some weird congregation in in some random, nearly remote area. Where you can really like have a have a like make a crazy time of it, but like in the middle of the street, blocking traffic, like nah, man, like come on again. And, and the thing, the thing about the fireworks, I was like, yeah. like I was looking around and I was like, like these are like I feel like, and I understand why they're not higher up because like you'd probably like get into some problems with like planes and stuff. But that's really the only point where I would be excited to see them, like if they were like so high up that they were just like behind the clouds almost and they were just like like really exploding yeah like really exploding (laughs) but like you're looking around everybody's like there's like a maximum height to these things and it's like surely we surely we have surely we have the technology we send people to the moon we can't send a firework a little bit higher Mm. and make it a little bit bigger i don't know these like little and then they're there and gone in like a second like i don't know doesn't do much for me it food's great Dude, fireworks and parades they share that provenance though chris where it's like yeah i can imagine a parade in 1850 being pretty cool you don't see anyone you don't see shit you know yeah, yeah. you live on your goddamn farm you gather like once a year everyone just kind of parades on through you get to see all the horses and all the beautiful women and whatever it's yeah. like dude i have a goddamn television i'm on the internet i don't need a parade what are you parading yeah. for parades are insane honestly mm. I got to defend fireworks a little bit, guys. All right, please. Now, the regular fireworks, when people go to a place, they have professionals do it. I don't care about that. This year, I didn't get to do it since I was here at my parents' house. But I'm all about some bootleg fireworks. You know, some that put a little fear in you when you light them and you don't know what's going to happen. That's when the good stuff happens. And you got to get a little adventurous with it. It's a tradition for me and me and my friends will... You know, we have the big sparklers and you try to jump over them. You get the Roman candles, you shoot them at each other. Sometimes some flies on your porch. You got to put it out real quick and hope that it doesn't hit the other fireworks. <laughs> and there's alcohol in the mix, too. That's this is the prime fireworks for me. But I can agree with you guys on the other stuff where it's I've seen fireworks enough times, the the, the good kind or whatever you want to call them, that yeah, unless yeah. there's an element of danger, I just don't care. Yeah, exactly. That, that's about I wonder how many birds are. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I guess it's nighttime usually by the time by the time fireworks yeah. are up. But like, I imagine bats. like a I, yeah, I imagine like a bat is getting like really startled at, at the very <laughs> least. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, I just wish they were more interesting. I feel like we have the technology to make fireworks way more interesting than they are. Like, I, I don't know if the technology has like really improved since I was a child as far as fireworks go. Like, I feel like they're exactly the same as I remember them, which is crazy. Like, I feel like there's got to be like we got to have. So I love those videos, though, of the mishaps. Those are my favorite things. 
Oh man! About Fourth of July is those videos of people like lighting a yeah. one firework and then it starts ex- all of them start exploding in in their SUV. Their Toyota Four Runner is like destroyed. Scary dude. Yeah, I love that shit. That is my favorite. It's fun. Keep I mean, I love it. all sorts of mishap videos, but I that's always scared me away from ever doing anything with fireworks. Even as a little kid, I was very wary of them. I was like, I don't. I don't mind being around like I'll, I'll be 20 feet from him. I'm not that scared of him, but I'm not going to be the guy like lighting them or standing or hovering around them. I'm like, when are you going to die? You know, there's always <laughs> catastrophic fucking firework injuries every year. Mm-hmm. But I do love the American instinct of wanting to blow shit up. I mean, I do completely appreciate that. That's just somewhere deep inside of us. I don't know where that comes from. And that's why I was saying, like, I, I watched some of these these videos on YouTube, like this guy, Charlie Bo, that just goes into like derelict American neighborhoods like that are just abandoned. And it's like what we should do instead of doing fireworks is we should just equip everyone with like with RPGs and like crazy shit and just go in and blow this shit up. We're doing everyone a favor. <laughs> then yeah. we can have people kind of come in with excavators and being get, get rid of all the things. But you do all the hard work. Come in here with a fucking if you want to go melee, come in there with a goddamn iron mallet. And just yes, go, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a like a red faction gorilla sledgehammer. Right, exactly. Serge, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for writing in and happy Fourth of July to you, my friend. Brandon Breland wrote in and said, "Hey, sacred boys, my girlfriend recently saw a video about people having headphone indentations in their heads, so she wants to know <laughs> if any of you have headphone headphone indentations as well. She is gravely concerned in quotes about this." So God help us all. Thanks, boys. I did see a video about that, but I don't think I do. I don't know. I don't think we wear them enough. Yeah. Well, well, here's here's the thing, too. It's like I don't know. Is that because it's it's it reminds me of like when you wear a hat sometimes and it's like maybe like a little bit too tight and Mm. then like you kind of get like an indentation and then it goes like I'm fairly certain that's kind of how that works. Like, I don't think your head is literally misshapen. (laughs) <laughs> for like permanently from wearing headphones i imagine if you're sitting with headphones for five hours and then like you take them off and then shave your head on a stream like that guy did like you would see, probably see an indentation but i don't imagine that's there when you go to sleep dude i gotta send you you guys will appreciate this see if i can do this because i know you guys aren't into sports but when, when she when he wrote in about this it reminded me of do you guys know who peyton manning is the quarterback yeah, like, like the the fa- he's a famous quarterback. He used to wear his helmet. Let me see if this works so tight that he, this is what he would do to his head. You guys will fucking find this hysterical. This is what he looked like. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> he would just have yeah. this. He would look like a fucking crazy person and it would stay there like through the game, through like when he would be after, you know, at the podium after or whatever, like probably yeah. through the night into the next day. It's like, Jesus Christ. Why yeah, are you wearing things so tight? <laughs> oh, my Daffy Duck wiki's still up. I can close that now. Yeah, I don't wear headphones enough. I don't think really. And if I do, I'm usually like I usually wear a hat when I'm when I'm when I'm working on the computer specifically because I don't like I've noticed like my hair is like really oily and like it just it fucks the headphones up in some way. Like if I have my headphones for a long enough period of time. So I just try to avoid that in general. But I, I don't imagine that this is a problem that most people <laughs> most people have who aren't streaming like 10 times a day. Yeah. Or, or like yeah. not 10 times a day, but like for like 10 hours a day, like constantly every week, you know? Yeah, I, I'm not. This is not something I'm worried about. It's uh, what would be interesting is like if it if you're if you're wearing headphones a lot when you're a kid. Is it some sort of like foot binding type thing where 
Mm. You have this like your head longer. Yeah, like like I, you know what I mean. Where like it would have some sort of yeah yeah. Like in other words, is the indentation in the head that must have? It's like a tree growing around an injury, right? Like it's it's the head just continues (laughs) to grow around. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Is that so? Is that is that? Hmm. Yeah, 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 that's exactly know. that's exactly what it is. Because so like I know, like, if, yeah, <laughs> I, I know some. Because at a young age, like depending on how you lay down, your head will like reshape itself. Just hysterical. I love that. That's real. People, people are just like really slowly being clayed into who they who they're supposed to be into. Like a yeah, that's why I, there's that funny meme where it's like uh man my back always hurts and then it's just a picture of like a chair and a shrimp sitting on the chair because that's like how we're <laughs> yeah. all just like <laughs> at all times yeah. <laughs> all right brandon tell your girlfriend to stand down there's nothing for her to worry about i don't think yeah badly brave wrote in said hey cdc on dustin's latest mailbag sacred symbols plus episode he tried to gaslight the audience into believing that he wasn't a weeb just prior to pulling out a jar-sized figure of an anime broad in scantily clad samurai armor from an anime that he also claims to be at least 574 episodes into can we get an official vote on whether dustin should be branded as a weeb or not are you really claiming not to be a weeb is that true the thing there are some people think about it like this Think about how much popular anime is out there, how much seasonal anime is out there. I don't touch any of that shit. I'm not into it. Think like My Hero Academia. Fuck that. I hate it. One Punch Man. Never seen it. Demon Slayer. Don't like it. Mm. You know, there's all of this stuff out there. I barely read manga. I maybe read. I read a little bit like I read Berserk and I read a little bit of One Piece recently and that's it. You know, Mm. all these super weeby games that. Micah plays nah I'm, I'm not into that either you know so it's one of those things where for you guys I might be the number one weeb that you know but for the actual weebs I'm not weeby enough right, to understand yeah. this thing here that's perspective thing yeah so I don't want to claim king weeb status when I'm really not deep I actually pretty much hate most modern anime period I think it all pretty much sucks it's it, and it's unfortunate because there's very few things that I the things I do like, you know, One Piece, you know, Studio Ghibli, Akira, Evangelion. I'm very, very into those things. But as far yeah, as the it, modern anime landscape, not for me. You're probably not a, a, a king weeb, but I, I don't know, maybe like mm. a like a weeb gunnery sergeant grade two, maybe sure <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like you're higher than a, than a lot of people I know, but like you're, you're, you're not like, he's just an enlisted <laughs> man. Yeah. yeah. That's all he is. <laughs> he's just an enlisted man. I do think that <laughs> I do. I, I will say the, the figure. Oh, the, the Nami figure. figure. The, the figure by itself is a lot of like percentage points to that particular skill tree. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It's not like, the only if, if Nami you, figure I have either. <laughs> yeah, so, so like I, I would I would almost I would almost argue <laughs> in some way that if you have figures but have never seen an an episode of anything anime related that it's almost arguable that it's that you might be above people who have seen some anime. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. that makes sense. The figure thing that is a pretty deep connection there that i i can't deny you know i always it's, yeah. i feel like there are nerdy there's people that are like oh i'm a nerd but if you play 
Well, maybe not so much the case anymore. It's become more popular. But I always feel like if you play D&D, that was like a a step beyond. Right. If you Mm -hmm. play D&D, that was some real nerd shit. Right. So that and even if that was the only thing you did, like that, like the figure, like you're saying, Chris, that that can carry you a lot of the way there. So I just want to be, you know, there's especially with anime and gaming culture. There's a lot of gatekeeping, a lot of elitism. I don't want to claim to be something that I'm not, but I also acknowledge what I am at the same time trying to play both sides. Really? That's fair. Yeah. I I, yeah. I I think the figure is like a like a gill bug in, in weeb credits. Sure. Oh, yeah, Final Fantasy 16 reference. Yeah. Is that right? There it is. is. Wet Willie wrote in. This is the last one before we get into the show itself. Hey, CDC, I recently broke up with a girl that I've been dating for the last one and a half years and have been feeling sad about it. On paper, we were very compatible. She even enjoyed listening to Sacred Symbols and Constellation with me, but I just wasn't feeling it deep down. This isn't the first time I've broken up with someone, but it is the first time I've broken up with someone that I liked, just didn't love. I feel a different type of sadness about the whole thing, more for it not working out than anything she did. Do any of you have any advice for this situation? And Kayla, if you're listening, she probably isn't. I'm sorry things didn't work out, but I feel confident that someday we will both look back and realize it was the correct decision for both of us. Thank you, Sacred Symbols crew, for providing this great content to distract myself while I get used to being single again. I wanted to bring this up because, well, William, I'm sorry you're going through this, but in some ways, depends on your outlook because it's a different kind of pain. Breaking up with someone is is its own kind of very difficult to deal with, because in some ways it's easier to deal with it when it, you have if someone else does it to you, you at least have to deal with the fact that you have no control. So you have right. to get over it, you know, but if you if you're the one who aborts it, then you have to deal with the butterfly effect of like what could have happened because you're the one who put an end to it. And that's difficult. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. I say, what will you have to just sit with it, be with it, let yourself feel the feelings but being single is good. You know, that's a good thing for people. You have to yeah. explore, find yourself, find a steady ground. I think I was at my healthiest in those times when I let myself be single instead of trying to get back into a relationship or forcing myself back to be with someone or date someone. And then things kind of happen more naturally that way. And then you find yourself in happier situations. Well, yeah. Lily, be well. Chris, what's going on? I don't even know. Like you, you date. I don't even really talk about it on the show. Are you, you dating anyone? Uh, n- no. No, no, it's it is. I have this is an experience though that I'm very, very familiar with very, 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 very recently where it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, that, you know, you know, when you know it and there's sometimes there's like a like a like a level of like, wow, it's it's almost like, man, this would be really awesome if I if I felt that, you know what I mean? Like, it would be like, wow, if if only that that feeling deep down was there, because if if it was man, this would be great. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. And you can't make yourself feel something and that sucks. Uh, but you know, it's, it's ultimately like if you're feeling it deep down, like, you know, it's, you just got to do right by you at that point. And, yeah. and her, by the way, it's, it's a kindness mm-hmm. to everybody involved. Definitely. That's important. That's important. There's no but, way you don't feel like an asshole when you do it, even though, yeah, like you said, Chris, it's the right thing. You're going to feel bad because you can, I, at least terrible. in my, in my scenarios growing up and this situation happened to me, it's like, I, it's not that I hate you. I, it's not that I think you suck. I just, it's not working out. Do you want me to lie, you know, and, and act like that, this is going to work. And then eventually we get married and get a divorce and it's horrible. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. This is like you said, better yeah, for it, everybody. It's, it's a kindness and, and it's, it's, it sucks because it doesn't feel that way in the moment ever. 
because it's such a like an immediate like I, I used to be like a very, very passive person in that regard where it's like I, I would stay in situations that were blindingly uncomfortable for me because I, I think I used to value other people's comfort or happiness over my own. And it took a long time to really get to a point, arguably still grappling in, so, in some ways with that. But it, it took a long time to get to a point where I was like, you know what, doing right by me is doing right by other people as well. And as long as you like tie those ideas together in your head, you know, that's uh, it's a good way to go forward. And it's, you know, I, I think you made the right call because that feeling you can't fake that feeling, man. No. And I would give yourself just time to get through it. I've there been there was a time in my life where I went from one long term relationship to another long term relationship, like right away, pretty much. And I think that yeah. that was a big mistake. Always a bad idea. And in, it's in, just, retros- in retrospect, yeah, it's right. Exactly. Obvious. It was. It was not a good idea. You got to let yourself just chill. Don't even date. Don't, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do. I, I wouldn't even sleep around or do anything like that. I would just really just, you have to find some steadiness alone. Like we're solitary people. Like you, you can't have like codependencies and that's just like the most unhealthy way to live. Like, so you, once you find your steadiness, like when I found Micah, I wasn't, it was really the first time in my life, not my life, but the first time in a long time where I was not with someone and not looking. Yeah. You know, or not like, I don't want to say looking. I, I never used, I actually never used a dating app or anything like that. I was very fortunate to just meet people, but I was not even open to it really. It was like not a thing where I really was in a mode after I broke up with my ex where I'm like, I don't think I even want to be in a relationship ever again. And I meant it. Like I really did. I don't know what that was all about, but at the time you mean these different things, so let yourself feel all that stuff. And then you'll get to a, a healthier space, I think. Would you say that Micah knocked on the door of your no soliciting heart at the moment <laughs> yes she, she did she came she to you at did. the moment see wow that's true that's a that's an interesting uh that's an interesting way to put it i will say that she's the the only person i've ever dated that i really felt like a deep like personal connection with on an ethereal level like we're just kind of this similar people it because i i always look for opposites i like and i like that and i think there's something to that but i don't know that there's long-term happiness in that either it eventually breaks down, or at least it did for me in my few relationships. So anyway, wet Willie, stay well out there. Stay wet. You'll get through it. And it's, oh, it's, it's, I don't know. is wet Willie. That? Yeah. All right. Let's move on and get into the, uh, the show itself. Tyler Kaminsky wrote in. What happened? What, what are you laughing I'm at? I'm just laughing about this, this wet Willie situation. Oh, okay. <laughs> Says, hey, CDC. Enjoyed hearing last week's episode where you displayed a differing opinion on the FTC case. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the opinions of the public on this case. I'm noticing that while I consistently hear comments from people about both sides, I am really not seeing a very substantial other side. Creators and fans alike seem to be overwhelmingly for the deal going through. Check out the comments on YouTube, Twitter, and even Patreon, and you'll find overwhelming support. Just wondering what this means to you all and what the role of playing contrarian is like. So I think contrarianism is an active thing. That's why I've never really accepted that people, and a lot of people have called me a contrarian many times in my, in my career. That's nothing new. That's probably one of the most common descriptors of me. But I think you have to try to play that role, and I don't. Like, I really don't. I just tell you how I feel. And that's why I think sometimes we, like, like people look at things like, oh, Colin loves Far Cry as contrarianism. And it's like, no, that's not contrarian. Far Cry is one of the best selling games in the world. Every time it comes out, that's you're yeah. contrarian for ignoring the, the reality that I'm at. it's actually a very mainstream thing, you know? So I've never really, ex- oh, 
Hello. I'm getting a delivery from Holly. What is this? This is a matcha. It looks right through us. Soda. Sorry, I was. Tra- she was trying to be subtle, but no, it's okay. That's fine. I don't. Did she wave though? I didn't yeah, actually yeah, see. You're, Maybe she was definitely wasn't being not subtle. a weeb. Nothing weeb about you. Nothing. Weeb. Um. So <laughs> there's, yeah, there's nothing. Nothing weeby going on here. <laughs> Just a man drinking his import soda from Japan. <laughs> so I wanted her to say that, like that contrarianism is different than being on the opposite side of what you would think is a consensus. Uh, I just don't think that they're the two of the same and, and people can disagree with me being a contrarian. And I mean, that's obviously up to you, but I, I don't see myself that way at all. However, I will say this, that I don't agree that the consensus shows that people feel really one way or the other. I feel like one side is very loud and boisterous and vociferous, but I just feel like, well, what metrics do we look at to support the other direction? Is it that, even though the last po- episode of the podcast was quite divisive with people that it has like a four or five to one positive or thumbs up to thumbs down ratio. I mean, does that not, does that seem like it was a mega unpopular episode? If you just look at it through the most basic way you can interact with it, Patreon up week over week. So we're getting more paying customers after the podcast. It's like, I don't really see, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't really see it that way. I just see one side being so overwhelming that the other side is not really saying anything. And teach their own. I mean, you can feel how you want to feel about it. But I did want to say that to this point, I do feel like I need to personally separate. I, I found, let me back up and say, I, I don't know where it was, but I, I saw an interesting comment because I was reading around about last episode in various places because it was so divisive with some people. And someone said that because Colin doesn't post on Twitter anymore, that Sacred Symbols is kind of the place where he can contend with what he would kind of retort to the various Twitter conversations of the day. And I found this to be an interesting and even meaningful piece of feedback that I pondered for a while. Because should we be giving credence to things that are being said on social media that are not reflective of reality in any way, shape or form? And this is not only true in video games, but everywhere. Um, right. Like during the we used to, people used to say most famously during the 2016 election, if Twitter was em- emblematic of reality, Hillary Clinton would have beat Donald Trump like by 90 points or something. So. It's we have to look at these social media things as funneling a certain thing like f- social media, especially Twitter, it 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 thumbs up or, or boosts things that are contentious. And um, this is the same thing on YouTube. I saw a person made a video about me in that last episode and I went and clicked on it and then I went to the the person's channel and I won't say whose channel it is, but it's just all of these kinds of videos. It's like not about content or about anything even fun or interesting. It's just about other people. And that's the kind of content I don't really want to do. And I do think that by giving too much credence to like just endless amounts of free feedback from anyone, whether you're soliciting it or not, I think that it makes it difficult to focus on the material aspects of our ecosystem, the the games, which I think are the most important thing. And then when interesting things happen on social media from relevant players, you bring that in. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that I've realized over the last week or so, and I even spoke to Dustin pretty extensively about it, that I feel like if anything, I need to remove myself even a step or two further 
then I've already removed myself from social media and from reading things. Cause like I've always said, I'm on, I'm on read only mode on Twitter. I've removed myself mostly from Reddit and all these things. But to that end, I've like, I'm not going to go on discord anymore. Um, I really don't want to read comments on YouTube too much anymore and all of that just to try to, I guess, stay as pure in mind as possible so that the contrarianism that you're bringing up that you seem to get from the show or from me specifically can't possibly be that because I'm not really even sure what anyone's saying anyway. And I think that that's kind of when I'm at my best Mm -hmm. is like kind of siloed off from that. Because I was telling Dustin that when you get attacked enough, any person, at least from my perspective, maybe people will disagree, you can't help but let seep into your mind the idea of like, okay, you could avoid this, right? You could say what people want to hear. You could play into the passions of the time to become one of the heroes of this particular instance or whatever the case might be. But I don't want to play any of those roles. I just want to talk about it from the heart, from the gut. And I think the first time I realized that I really need to disconnect myself more was during the PlayStation showcase thing podcast, because that was an example of me shooting from the hip without knowing what anyone else felt or thought. And I was on the opposite side and people looked at it. That as contrarianism, but that was just an honest approach. It was what I always said when I was at, and I've said this before on the show, when I was at IGN and you do review games and embargo, right? And you had no idea if you were going to be the outlier or not. I was scared shitless when I gave I, uh, The Last of Us a 10. I was like, everyone's going to give this game a 7. I'm going to look like a fucking idiot and all that. But you just have to kind of go in blind, and that's the purest way to do it. There is something to be said about that embargoed, rea- you know, that embargoed reality in terms of not being able to really adjust your expectations even subtly or even subliminally. So I just think that we have to be careful about the way we interpret different things. Comments are easy. Obviously, thumbing up is even easier and all of that. But I wouldn't assume that the overwhelming majority of people want the deal to go through. I don't believe that that's true at all. I think there's plenty of people that see the other side. I think a lot of people are just saying silent at the time we're recording. We don't know yet, but I'm operating on the assumption it happened that the deal is going to go through. I haven't really given the much credence to the idea based on what I've reading, that there's much of a chance that the FTC will put a spoke in or a, a stick in the spokes, but maybe they will. But I just wanted to kind of get that out, that the other side does exist. I just think it's being kind of drowned out by, a, in some sense, a vileness, but certainly like this very sports-like cele- uh, celebration of uh, that that's undefinable, that still no one really can can eloquently define to me. And um yeah, that's just kind of the way I, I feel about it. And I'll leave it there. Dustin, do you have anything you want to say to Tyler's writing in here? Yeah, it is definitely more toxic than ever. I feel like around this specific case and situation and you're you're totally right about the annoying. And we've talked about this before, about the uh, the bottom feeder content creators that just thrive on this trash, really, to just feed completely off of other people's opinions and other people's work where instead of having any kind of thought of their own, they're just taking someone else's and then saying why it's good or bad or something like that. And so it is, uh, you know, I I think that what you're doing as far as staying away, I think for, you know, will be, will be helpful. I mean, reading the YouTube comments is always painful. (laughs) It's always a a painful experience. So yeah, it's like, it is what it is. I, I, in some way I appreciate it because it's good for us to get so many comments. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, keep them coming. I mean, regardless of what you say, I don't want to. That's the thing is, I don't want to tell people they can't or shouldn't say anything. I just think that I'm at my best when I'm just using what I feel like is my deep well of knowledge and my good instincts about the industry and my experience here to tell you how I feel. And any other guidance is it's not really guidance. Any other reactions, I guess I should say, don't they don't really affect me reading them anyway. You just feel like you could, you know, in your mind, you could do something about it. And I just don't want to worry about it, I guess is what I'm saying. So, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of where I stand on that. I'd like to play devil's advocate with you for a second on. And I can imagine this is going to be the number one response from people hearing this is that. Are you concerned that you will uh, get out of touch with the PlayStation audience by doing this? No, because I'll still read. We still have a weekly thread that people are going to submit all their inquiries into and and all that. So I'll see a whole smorgasbord of hundreds of people's feedback every week. I just don't know. I don't need to go seek it out from people that don't care about me, people that have nothing nice to say. You'll, there are certain people that you'll never, you know, they'll never have a nice word to say about you. They'll never give you. They'll, sure. they'll always I'm misquoted and mischaracterized all the time. I don't want to. I don't. Those people dominate that space and I don't care to give it any more oxygen. So. Like in 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 hindsight, there's very little that I think would have changed had I had people telling me what they think. And that was the point I was saying about being at IGN or being in media. And I'm sure it's still the experience there today where you don't have that option. So you have to kind of just fly blind and it is kind of pure. Right. So I but the one thing I will say, Dustin, and I did why I, I underlined this in my notes because I didn't want to forget it is comments and drive by tweets and all these kinds of things are easy. And they're short form and they're they're done for certain reasons. I will make myself and you can clip this and share it around as widely as you want. I will accept an invite to any podcast that's established. You don't have to have a huge traffic or anything like that, but I'm not going to just like do random conversations with people. But I'll accept any invite to any of these podcasts to talk deeply about any of these issues. Anything that I say on here that you disagree with, I can defend. And it's easy to pretend that there is no defense to anything I say. It's easy to mischaracterize and do all those kinds of things that will happen in a long form. That will, so those retorts will happen in a long form or not at all. And otherwise, the show will just be what it is. Sacred Symbols is mass, obviously, obviously massively influential based on the reactions that people have, positive or negative, to many of the things we say. So we should just continue to do what we do. And like the cheap seats can say what they want to say. I'll live you know and what i was telling you when we had our conversation about this about like kind of me wanting to withdraw a couple more a couple more steps get off of discord really stop reading twitter doing all these things which i've been kind of successfully doing you know for a few days now since we talked and we'll try to continue is i think this is actually the way most people do it anyway <laughs> and that chris is an example of someone i remember when we said like chris is inaccessible basically and that's that's the way it usually is, because there's got to be some sort of barrier. And what I was saying to you, Dustin, and I think this is what makes me sad about it, is that I actually come from the community. I was a forum kid. I was a game facts kid like. Doing fa like I didn't I didn't roll out of here at a journalism school or like just stumble upon this. I really was doing this as a kid all the way up to doing it professionally for many years. And so I really want to have it both ways. And I can't. The thing I said to you, I think 
that I think resonated most was that like my presence on a place like Discord in our own Discord actually corrupts the Discord because it becomes about me and not about the subject matter. And I want the shows to be about PlayStation and about video games, not about me. Right. And not about the, the, the opinions and all that paint everything. But I want people to focus on those opinions and not, on, not necessarily on the individual. I think we do a pretty good job of doing that on our show. And I think I'm going to have to do and to be and I'm going to need to be kept honest in trying to incorporate less and less of that and more and more of like the original content that people come here for. That's not predicated on all of the lame shit that's happening on social media and elsewhere. So, yeah, that's I, I just wanted to. The, Chris, do you have anything you want to add? I don't know. I, I feel like you kind of eloquently put everything. I don't know if I have anything of of substance to add to it. You were kind I, of the inspiration would, in some way. You know, really? For, yeah. When you said that to me. Well, I don't know what the fuck we were talking about. I was talking about how I answer like every message or something like that on oh, and, yeah. and Patreon. And you're like, oh, I don't do anything like like. And I realized like that's actually normal because. We have. Tens and tens of that. We have 13,000 plus people paying for this content. And then all of this, um, you know, enormous amount of people listening to it for free. And in my own experience, listening to shows and being into things, even for years at a time, I had no expectation that I would be able to talk to anyone or reach out to someone or whatever. It's like it's 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 very core capitalistic. And that's not the way I mean to come. I mean for it to come out, but it's like the content's created and it's absorbed and then you move on with your life. And I think I right. wanted to have it both ways. I think I wanted mm. to be like, I can be a big content creator and the show gets bigger and bigger and I can be the dude that answers everyone and is very engaged and all of that. But actually, it's kind of a corrupting agent and it's hard to do. And it, I think it makes the content worse because mm. you become reactive. Yeah. You know? So you are the yeah. inspiration yeah, for that. I mean, for, for me, it's it's funny you say that because like for me, I almost view it as like somewhat of a not a personal failing in the sense that I, I care to really improve on it. But it's it's it is like one of those things where it's like I can't I can barely manage responding to the friends and family that I feel obligated to respond to on a daily basis already. You know, like I'm really bad about it. So the idea of like opening that sense of obligation to 13,000 strangers is like overwhelming to a degree that I can't even fucking entertain. <laughs> and that's that's me. And th that feels in some way like, oh, man, I can't I just I'm not cut out to do this in some way. But uh, I mean, I, I do think it, it helps. And so it definitely keeps me more focused. But uh, I think it depends on the person. It, definitely 13,000 is a lot of people, man. Like that's 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 a lot of people to, to, you know, to keep an open correspondence with. Yeah. And I think I agree. And I think that it's just I was talking, you know, Micah and I go for our daily walks around the various neighborhoods here and, you know, talk about a bunch of different things. And she was saying, like, it's just you can't feel bad about wanting to make this change. Like, it's just not reasonable. You know, it's it's cool. Like, it's ideal. It's idealistic to right. want to always remain like truly rooted. But. It's true that my original vision vision for this would have allowed that to happen, but it's also true that this has become and not just sacred symbols, but last stand so much bigger. And this was something I was not lamenting. I'm proud of it. I mean, it's it's amazing. But I was something I was saying to Dustin was is like, this has put me in positions that I never intended on being in. And I don't really know what to do sometimes, you know, um, right. Whether it's from a leadership perspective or a financial perspective or whatever. It's like I'm not, I never really wanted to be the CEO of a 10 person company, you know, it, but it just kind of happened and it right. forces you to find 
new ways to dig deep and figure things out. And you do, but maybe some other things have to kind of fall by the wayside to stay sane. And I, it's funny, I went into this year just to give people a little bit of perspective. I went into this year with everyone knowing that I wanted to do less. Like I needed to remove myself and find a more, a more centered life from a, on a day-to-day basis instead of always being engaged with work, which I am. But what ended up happening was that instead we doubled Constellation because it was so popular. So I'm now doing more work than I was supposed to, than I was even doing last year. That's just kind of the way it absorbed. It, you know, you have to absorb these, these blows and it's, it's a, it's a blessing because everything's so successful and that's the way, that's the reason we do it. And we're appreciative of that. But I, um, I think what's funny is that this is very navel gazy because like 99.9% of the people listening to this don't even care. They don't even talk. They don't leave comments. They don't do anything. Right. And that's the way I interact with a lot of content. There's nothing wrong with that. But to the people that I think are used to, I guess what I'm saying is for the people that were used to having me very accessible, whether on discord or Patreon or whatever, I think that those that's, that's going away for at least for the time being, just because I feel like I'm too much in the shit and not enough in my own mind to postulate the various things that I say on the show, you know, like it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, right. So I, I'm going to try it this way and see how it goes. And I think it'll be great because I think people come here not to hear what I think about what fucking people on social media think, but rather what I think about what happened. Right. And that's simply it. And I'll reiterate that for the long form, if you have a problem with anything I say on the show and you have a podcast or an outlet that you, I will come on your show and we will have a long form conversation about whatever I want. You can say whatever you want. You can ask whatever you want, but I'm not going to participate in like drive by nonsense. And um, and that's it. And just understand that I can defend everything I say or I wouldn't say it. So I do have these points of view. They exist, whether I'm the only person that feels that way or everyone feels that way. And I'll continue to say them. And I hope that that makes sense. But um. Tyler and others that wrote in about this. Thank you for writing in. And by the way, it's worth noting at the time we're recording and I don't think this has changed. I haven't been on Twitter since we started, but I guess I can look. Um, I don't think the FTC situation is um, solved yet. Yeah, I don't think so. So, yeah, but we'll keep an eye on. And if if it happens before we publish tomorrow, because we record the day before, I'll re I'll, I'll we'll make a little stinger and put it in and, re- and we'll re- do everything. Um, but otherwise, I guess we'll talk about it next week if we get a decision by then. But guys, a big piece of news and let's get into the items here of news that we need to get through the smaller pieces of news before we get into what we're playing and bigger news items. And of course, we'll wrap things up with your inquiries from Patreon, as we always do this morning from when we're publishing uh, Arrowhead second party studio working with Sony released new information on Helldivers. Helldivers 2 specifically. They reiterate, first of all, that the game is coming out this year, although they don't give a date yet. The PlayStation blog post is called First Details on Helldivers 2 Co-op and Combat Gameplay. I don't know if this indicates that the game can be played alone. The original Helldivers could be played alone. So it is my hope that that will be the case here. And I don't know why they would call it anything other than just a combat trailer pointing out the co-op unless that was just one option. But they did not make it clear. There's like a three and a half minute video or so showing a lot of new gameplay information about the game on PlayStation blog is being reported pretty widely is interesting. I find it actually less interesting because it sounds like the original Helldivers, which I think a lot of people have not or did not play at the time it came out, which is it was kind of a more obscure game. So I don't blame them, but it seems like they're bringing back stratagems, which was a whole thing in the original Helldivers where you would kind of make these choices and call down 
things from the mothership to help you out and different strategies and all of that, obviously weapons and armor. The big thing, though, and this makes it clear here is that it's no longer isometric. It looks like it's going to be purely third person shooter. They do have a in this trailer. They do have like a series of notices about perspective online play all these different things so there's there's more wrinkles to this than meets the eye but i must ask and chris will go to you first i think this looks fucking awesome what do you think about hell divers too yeah i i feel like it uh it looks really good in motion more so than it did in the in the first trailer we saw uh a while back where i feel like it looked a little bit choppy and a little bit and that's probably due to stream compression uh in all honesty but like seeing it in like a, a properly rendered like trailer and like in game and actually like getting a sense of like what the game is. It looks, it looks solid, like solid fun. It looks like, it looks like exactly the kind of casual co-op experience that I feel like back for blood really should have been, or like these, these, these like left for dead style games that kept coming out, that kept missing the market. It looks like this has a pretty good potential to be something like that, where it's like, Hey, let's jump in and, and do something real quick. I like, I like that they kept the friendly fire aspect because that was an aspect of the original Helldivers that I did distinctly remember and distinctly enjoyed. I, I didn't play a lot of Helldivers 1. I, I think I played like maybe... I, I'm sure I have... I'm sure I have the, the time on it, but I think it's it might be like a, a couple hours, like maybe like eight hours or something, and then we moved on to something else. Because that was in the time I was jumping around from game to game a lot. But... I like that they've basically not really changed anything aside from just the perspective. It seems like very holistically the same type of game. I, I like that you can get crushed by the the ordinance. Yeah, it's super that cool. You call in. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a very simple idea, and it's 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 friendly fire is is a complicated thing because I feel like people look like even in, in Halo. Halo's traditionally had it, but in the new one they took it out, which I feel like actually like harms the game a lot. And so to see a game kind of not built around it, but have it as like a defining aspect of like the fun of combat being like, it's always fun, regardless of whether or not it ruins a run that you're doing to make a mistake that hurts your team. Like it, it's, it's bad, but it's, it is, it's really engaging and it's fun. And there is something, there's something really enjoyable about that. And to know that it's back in full force and you can get crushed by people coming in and and that there's like some in-game lore to like when you die, like somebody else pops in. And I, I even like the little corkscrew drop pod that kind of like drills into the ground and mm -hmm. then you kind of pop up in an elevator. I think that's like I love drop pods in general. I'm like, a, and I don't know what it is about <laughs> the concept of them, but like people dropping into bit from big shells and like popping out. is just like really cool. To Titanfall me. did that, right? Or am I crazy? Titanfall, yeah. uh, Halo does it. Like a lot of people, a lot of franchises do it, but like this is the first time I've seen anything like that where it, like, I remember Section 8 back in the day had like a very, very Jeez, uh, drop pod focused mechanic. Yeah. That was like 2008 or something. But <laughs> the idea that it drills into the ground and you just like pop up like a little, like a Pez almost is really funny. Um, I'm into it. I, I think it looks it looks way, way, way cooler or way, way more inviting than it did in the initial trailer, which I think was like a little bit more quirky and trying to focus more on like the tone of uh, of the humor and, and kind of the tone of like the lore that was going on. And that was cool, too. But this now looks like a game that I could actually envision playing as opposed to before. It was it was still felt a little bit nebulous. Yeah, it, it's the Starship Troopers vibe is key. And yeah. That's something that they didn't really show very much of in the trailer, which is cool because they showed a lot of that in the first trailer. But like yeah. the fascistic, colonial, xenophobic, like whatever, you know, like 
just an insanity of um, yeah. of of hell divers is like in the backdrop uh, out of control fascistic sci-fi which i think is is always an interesting setting but um yeah otherwise i think you're right that i think the game it looks pretty much the same just the perspective shifting obviously much more beautiful the original hell divers was on vita and ps4 i think the ps3 version was ultimately canceled so there was already a very lo-fi version of it. It is important to note that when it comes out on PS5, it will also come to PC day and date. They did uh, reaffirm that as well. And Dustin, I'm curious what you think of the game. I'm also wondering if you want to touch on if they're going to sell it, because I am I think one of the things that they haven't said yet is what the what the model is for the game or what the pricing model is. And I do wonder if this is one of their games as a service. It's and certain- by the way, it's important to note that their games of a ser- as a service can be sold as well. We know MLB The Show counts as one of those, for instance. Anyway, go ahead. Right. It definitely could be a game that they do free to play or uh, ideally for me, I would see this as a game that's maybe $40 or something. I think the original Helldivers wasn't a full it wasn't a full priced no, 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 game or something like that. I think it was so, 20 bucks or something. Yeah, somewhere somewhere in the middle, I think would would fit for me. But I am pumped about this being a third person shooter and not an isometric view, mainly just because I think that the first Helldivers is awesome. I like isometric games, but I think that this will have a lot more depth in terms of, you know, different verticality shooting and the way you have to aim and stuff like that. It's just going to be a much more in-depth game at all. But like Chris was saying, they kept all of the elements that make the the first Helldivers game unique with its, different way to pull in your your ODST weapon drops and stuff like that. And uh, the the friendly fire is the thing I think that I'm probably the most excited about because it is hilarious, but it does add a, a new level of strategy where it's like you can't just throw a grenade anywhere at any time. You you really got to be careful yeah. about these things. And it's it, it's such a big man. I love friendly fire. In game. Like, yeah. I understand that the, I understand that it opens up, especially in like competitive games. I like if there's PvP involved, this is not PvP, but like I understand that it opens up this the potential for griefing and that sucks. I get it. But it is it is such a core motivator of combat and it changes the way everything works. Like you said, you have to be if you have like an explosive weapon, you can't just and your friend is like you, you have a teammate who's like being swarmed by a bunch of enemies. You can't just blow them up. Because it defeats the purpose. And so you have to think a little bit more where it's like whenever you take that sh- that out of a game, it it dumbs it down to a degree that like really bothers me. Right. Yeah. So I love that aspect. I like in the trailer, too. They talk about different loadouts and customizing your character. If you want to be a tank, you can put on a bunch of heavy gear, which is going to make you move a lot slower. Or if you want to be a lot more mobile, you basically become a hunter from Destiny and put on a little hood and cloak, which I thought was funny because that's exactly what destiny does for its lighter characters as well but i like that aspect it kind of reminded me it's too early to say if it's how the mission structure but they made a big point about how deciding what weapons you bring in is going to be really important based on whatever alien or, or monster you're fighting like if if it's a type of alien that has big thick armor then you're going to have to take weapons that have armor piercing rounds and stuff like that so it almost reminded me of kind of monster hunter-esque where you kind of got to prepare think about what the mission is going to require of you and how you're going to stat uh, your character and what kind of gear you're going to bring so seeing this game again i'm even more excited than before I, i hope it's awesome this is one that i definitely will see myself playing with the boys on discord late at night yeah i'm, I'm hoping that you can play it by yourself 
that seems to me to be implied, I guess. In I think you can. Game. Yeah, but I don't know for sure. By the way, I want to correct myself. I, it did indeed come to PS3 because I, I thought it was canceled because it took so long. I was actually looking at the Wikipedia page and I'm, I'm cited in it because I played it at Gamescom in 2013 and wrote a preview of it. And the game didn't come out until 2015. So oh I thought by God. that point, the PS3 version would have been canceled, but it didn't. It wasn't. So, yeah. Anyway, Helldivers 2, Arrowhead. I think that, you know, just I guess because it's it's in the air right now, people ask about like what were what would be the logical targets of Sony's acquisition uh, acquisitions if they wanted to buy more studios. And I, again, kind of say that I don't think they need to make too many acquisitions, but maybe one of them you would want, you know, one of the ones that they think would make sense based on this. This idea of growth is is Arrowhead if they like what they're doing, although they, this game has been in development for a pretty long time. I think I don't know this for sure. I don't I don't. But I'm pretty sure that this game took so long that it probably was in some way rebooted. Because I don't I wonder yeah. if they I wonder if they immediately came to make it a third person shooter. It seems like what what my opinion is, is that. It, looking outside very limited information, but just kind of prognosticating is. Sony probably saw the game in development. They 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 tell divers did decently enough. Obviously, they, they greenlit a sequel, probably started to develop as the PS4 generation went on. They looked at it. Remember, there's a there's a, a piece of a leaked trailer of it with the old Sony computer entertainment stinger on it, indicating that it was maybe going to be shown much earlier, like much, much earlier. Yeah. And I wonder if they looked at it and said, why don't we just double down on this and make it higher production value, get away from the twin six shooter kind of shit. The same thing that happened with Rezo or Returnal, not in that it was ever going to be anything other than what that it was, but they let Housemark just do something else, like much more, I don't want to say high quality, but much higher higher production levels than what they Ambitious, were used to. Maybe. Right, exactly. And but it's the same gameplay. And I yeah. think that I think that that might have happened here too. And I, I'm interested to to know more about that because otherwise it's a ridiculous amount of time because Arrowhead hasn't made anything since Helldivers one. So this is what they've been doing. And yeah. um they're a studio of like fifty or sixty people. So well, that could also be why it's taken so long. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it is a small it is a smaller team doing something that that looks I mean, it looks like a bigger team did it. You know, which is a, a huge compliment to them. Like, it looks really fun it looks really smooth. It looks really great. It looks like a like a grand old time. I, I I think it's interesting to see so many of these games kind of because you have like Risk of Rain is another example mm. of 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 like a game that its sequel is just a completely different perspective, but it kind of keeps the general um, concept uh, alive and, and, and still fleshed out. I, I wonder how many other games like this we're going to get because it's, it seems like not a super common trend, but it's, it's happened enough times now. I think there's another game too that I'm, it's not coming to mind right now, but like another game that went from, from 2d to 3d in a, in a, in a similar way to risk of rain and, and hell divers. It seems to be happening a lot. Well, I know it, exactly it, what game you're talking a, about, Chris, oh. you know what I mean? Right. What yes, is it's it? that An is it Annapurna game? The I'll have to, I'll I have try no to memory of what it is. I just I have no memory of what it is. I just know that I've seen it because I remember being like, oh, that's the third time this has happened. And Risk of Rain was the second um, or maybe the first. I know that Helldivers was the third one that I saw do that. Yeah, anyway, it's not, it's not that important. Yeah, but. I'm looking, but they, they publish so many games. I have no idea. Yeah, it's, Although it's they just recently announced that they're doing that Blade Runner game, which is their first internal developed game at Annapurna. Oh. Blade Runner 2033 Labyrinth. I think is the uh, is that the right one? I think that's the right one. Yeah. Yeah, it's the new Blade first new Blade Runner game in 25 years. 
so anyway, shout out to Helldivers 2. Shout out to Arrowhead. I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm wondering when it's going to come out. They're being very cagey about it. Is it going to come out of nowhere or is it going to release right after Spider-Man? Don't you kind of want to culminate with Spider-Man? I don't know. Maybe it needs more time. Who the hell knows? I wonder if I'll even have a beta for it. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Uh, some news about Rise of the Ronin. I wanted to bounce off of you guys. So there's a um, over at the gaming leaks and rumors subreddit. There is, I guess, a random post that just talks about a few different things. And I wanted to just kind of touch base with you guys on how you're feeling about this game, because it seems like based on this, this particular leak, should it be believed and people say that this is a reliable source, I guess. And I guess it comes partially from that guy, the snitch. Remember that that guy that kind of comes and goes that seems to know things maybe based on YouTube metadata. It's unclear. But the game apparently is going to come exclusively to PS5 in the first quarter of 2024. So they're going to have to show it and date it. And this goes in line with what I've been, you know, been understanding, which is that there's going to be a showcase again or like some sort of, you know, showing of games later this year for PlayStation. So. Dustin, I want to go to you first. Are you interested in this Rise of the Ronin Team Ninja PS5 exclusive sounds like some of the things that they're talking about don't really make it sound like anything different than what Team Ninja has done many, many times already with Neo and Wolong and stuff. But where's your what's your take on this? Yeah, I am curious because they're going to add a lot of new stuff based on this leak. The leak says it's a mix of Assassin's Creed, Ghost of Tsushima and Dark Souls. And one of the images they show is like a a very Ubisoft style map with different icons barfed all over it. Not super into that, but I'm also kind of tired. I I think we talked about this when it was announced that I'm just starting to get tired of these these games set in this type of era, you know, Sekiro, uh, Neo, and there's, you know, many others where you just kind of so many of these games. And so, and for me also, I've I've talked about how I'm not really big on team ninjas take on dark souls really with the Neo games. But like I said, this is supposed to be also adding Assassin's Creed and ghost of Tsushima to the mix, which is very interesting. And including here, looking the other weird part about this leak planned romance options. So Mm. is there going to be, some kind of persona-esque relationship thing going on too. To what extent does that look like if there are multiple romance options? Also, they talk about skill trees and having difficulty options. So I'm I'm wondering when we're going to get our first real deep dive into this game and what it actually is, because I think that that trailer we saw remembering back, it was in engine, but it wasn't really a, a, a look at what actual game pe- play is like. And so that's that's going to be the most important thing for me. It's funny because you were bringing up that there are like a, a series of three leaked images, ones of a map, ones mm-hmm. of a skill tree um, and one is of like, I think, in-game dialogue or something. And the map was what interested me the most. <laughs> yeah, that's so where we're like, total I, opposite. Yeah, that's OK. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> <Is> that right. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what are you what are your thoughts here on Rise of the Ronin? Slated apparently will be playing it within maybe six months. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this, and I, I I don't quite have a good reason why, outside of the fact that the last time we saw it, it was like this kind of like hypercut gameplay trailer, that, and and each of those snippets that we saw just looked really 
engaging to me. I th- I think I believe if this is the one that I'm remembering because like because I mean like Dustin said there's so many of these. I think this is the one with the with the gun. If I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, there was like some finisher with a gun mm. that I saw, and I was like, "That's interesting." Could be totally wrong, but I'm the rest looking. of the trailer, even even despite that gun, <laughs> the fiction, the Schrodinger's gun, just looked really cool to me. Like I thought the 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 magic kind of infused combat with like the like the fiery blades and the quickness and and the gliding and. You know, that Leonardo da Vinci looking. uh... (laughs) I just found it. I found the the thing. Did you? you? Yeah, it was uh, here. I'll. I'll, I'll, I swear to I I, I swear to God, I remember he stabs a guy with like a rifle like bayonet and then blows his head off with the rifle. Yeah, I I saw that and I was like, okay, so this is this. I I like the style of like I like games set in this period in Japan. Like I like like this idea, like uh, Ghost of Tsushima, Sekiro, like the, these types of these types of historical Japanese kind of locations with now gunpowder and like and rifles in some in some capacity, even if you don't necessarily shoot them, the fact that they're in play in some way intrigued me. I'm into it. Like, I, I'm not really a big fan of Ubisoft style open worlds, but it is something that I can overlook if the gameplay is really, really solid. In fact, it, it's it's something that I can see myself engaging with if the gameplay is is solid and and is there and i do think it looks i don't know i I get like a good feeling about this i don't know i don't normally get like a like a positive feeling about games that i don't know anything about but this one strikes me in some way well team ninja Um, well backing up koei tecmo owns team ninja and koei tecmo has always been very mercenary with like who they'll work with which i think is interesting and i think it's kept them relevant on all the platforms remember like Tecmo was really interested in working with Xbox early on. And then the Ninja Gaiden reboots were all Xbox exclusives back in the day. So they worked with them. They've had a deep well of working on Musou games with Omega Force through Koei, Koei Tecmo on, on platforms like Switch. And then I think here I say all of that because I think Sony has discovered a, a worthwhile partner in Team Ninja through Neo. And I think and Neo 2, which are both PlayStation console exclusives. And I think they want to continue that that relationship, maybe Ghost of Tsushima has been a little influential in first and second party in the way that they do things. Ubisoft and their game design has certainly been influential on games like Horizon. So I wouldn't be surprised if that leaked into other parts of the Sony ecosystem as well. I sent, by the way, the, I, I, the trailer timestamped for you guys here if you want to look at it. The, the particular scene I think you were talking about from this low-res trailer that I found. And... Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see when this is dated, but I assume we'll definitely learn more about this action role playing game, this open world game in the months to come from Team Ninja. All right. A couple of things we can go through quickly. Video Games Chronicle writes that EA Sports Football Club 24, which will be the first post FIFA EA soccer game ever in 30 something years, will be released apparently on September 29th. This is according to reliable Data miner, according to Video Games Chronicle, Bill Bill Kuhn, um, who, quote unquote, has an extremely strong record of posting release date information. So September 29th seems to fall in well to be obviously available on both PS4 and PS5. I'm curious how it will do. I wonder if there will be any difference in its sales. Uh, I'm sure EA is very eager to see what the FIFA name means, because there's going to be a lot of educating going on. They probably have a, a big marketing blitz. But I assume also they've been slipping this into the game, the previous 
game that people have been playing. And I imagine most FIFA fans know what's going on. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for them. So that comes out. Apparently, September 29th, we'll have confirmation of that later. I was curious what you thought of this. Kotaku has an exclusive rare for them these days. Assassin's Creed publisher remaking Black Flag, according to Ubisoft. Um, So you guys might remember that in 2013. Um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag came to both PS3 and PS4, as I recall, and that this will be remade, I guess, in time for release, maybe in 2026 or 2027. This I'm not in Assassin's Creed. In fact, Assassin's Creed by this point had totally lost me. But I wonder this is this is the one people, you know, this is AC4, the one that people usually point back to as being kind of the seminal Assassin's Creed game for a lot of people. So it's interesting that they're willing to remake it. Of course, this is happening alongside other remakes of the Ubisoft games and properties like Splinter Cell, which we know is probably early in development. And uh, anyway, I just I was curious if you guys had any care for this. Dustin, did you play AC4? Did, were you into it? Are you into trying it again? Yeah, I did play this in the early days of the PS4 generation. And it was funny because I remember thinking I didn't like it as much as the ones prior to it, but that was not the overall reaction to this game. People were really into it and really into the ship combat in particular, which I personally didn't really like that either. But people liked it enough that they went and tried to make a spin-off game that now people know as that eventually turned into Skull and Bones, which is still yet to release, which they're probably looking at this now like, damn, maybe we should have just remade Assassin's Creed for instead of fucking around with this game that uh, has been in development now for so long. But I'm wondering if it seems like Ubisoft just can't help themselves in that they were going annualized with Assassin's Creed every year, started to slip a little bit. They took one year off. They come back with Origins. And now we've just seen a steady ramp up again where they're talking about this Assassin's Creed platform. There's the old Assassin's Creed game. There's the new Assassin's Creed game. There's the show. There's the VR thing. There's the remake. Mm -hmm. To me, it says I'm thinking pump the brakes as someone who is not into this IP anymore. But for Assassin's Creed fans, maybe they're having the time of their life and they're and they're pleased. But I would be concerned about oversaturation at this point. Yeah, it's I think there's reason to believe that Capcom's Resident Evil remakes and even something like Dead Space remake, which was so awesome. I think publishers yeah. are just saying like this is if we just do it well, the game people already love the game. They'll play it by the, at least the several millions just out of curiosity, they're going to do it. So I think that there's some wisdom in going back. I, Cause that's the same thing with that Prince of Persia reboot where there's wisdom in saying like, yeah, let's get Splinter Cell going again and start like a new pantheon of Splinter Cell games. Let's start Prince of Persia again. And you start by maybe those reboots and with Assassin's Creed, cause there's something like a dozen different projects, like you said, in development or in some sort of like vague, you know, production across all these different mediums. And I don't think Assassin's Creed, I don't think anything is good enough to demand that much. There's nothing in this world that's interesting enough or good enough to demand that much. So I say pump the brakes as well. But I think Ubisoft is in a little bit of a desperate mode right now as well. Although I think things are going to start looking up for them again, at least in some ways with that Avatar game looks very high quality. So that's something they should be able to get behind and we'll go from there. I saw this on GamesIndustry.biz and uh, I just thought it was interesting. 
um, especially on the back of what we talked about last week, which is the Red Dead Redemption kind of current gen ports that the South Korean Games Agency ratings board had um, leaked. This title of this article on Games Industry Up is, is South Korean government charges game rating and administration committee with embezzlement, which I thought was funny. And it says South Korea's <laughs> game rating and, and administration committee has been charged with embezzlement. As reported by Niche Gamer per Insight Korea, the indictment followed after the mobile title Blue Archives age rating was changed from 15 to 18. This categorization change prompted a petition of more than 5,000 signatures calling for an investigation, citing the game's new rating was unfair. The Korean government's audit of the regulatory body found that it embezzled $46,000. The funds were allegedly funneled from ratings games to Bitcoin mining. So I thought that was uh, <laughs> fairly interesting. Oh, man. Nothing to really say about it, but just thought I'd throw yeah. that out there. Speaking of South Korea, this comes from website mpfirst.com says report PlayStation pursuing partnerships with Korean developers, including Pearl Abyss. We've kind of already gotten this vibe because it hasn't been announced yet, but it seems like Sony is working with NCSoft on a Horizon MMO, although that hasn't been acknowledged yet. This particular website says, uh, quote, PlayStation is reportedly paying close attention to Korean game developers and working hard to build partnerships in South Korea. According to MTN, which is a South Korean publication, Sony's attention has increased towards the region after the massive success of PUBG, Black Desert and NCSoft's TL. One of the developers Sony is reportedly interested in is Pearl Abyss, which is about to launch Crimson Desert. And PlayStation is discussing plans, including investment in return for partial exclusivity on content. According to the same report, NeoWiz, com to us and or uh, come to us, I guess it is, and NCSoft are also in consideration by Sony. And I just mentioned NCSoft. Crimson Desert was unveiled during 2020's Game Awards and caught everyone's attention. Since then, however, the game has been delayed indefinitely with no updates on the release date in about two years. MTN also reports that this is part of a rebuttal against Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. According to reports, Sony also acquired Bungie and other smaller developers as part of the same rebuttal. We know that Stellar Blade is coming out, and this is noted in the article. The South Korean studio Shift Up is working on this Project Eve. I had noted that this game is an interesting retort because we often mention how Xbox's acquisitions of things like Bethesda have reportedly had PS5 versions of games canceled. And people often say that that's never really happened in reverse. This is one example that it definitely did happen in reverse because it was announced for Xbox as well as PlayStation back in the day when it was Project Eve. And then that was removed when Sony came in as a second party partner with Shift Up. Dustin, I'm curious what you think about South Korea as a kind of a burgeoning place. I think this is very wise. I've said before about Japanese consortiums of studios that Sony can really save themselves. But I think having a very Asian flavor overall and being able to export that is a really key portion of Sony's historic success. And I think it's future success. So I like seeing this aggression in South Korea and having PlayStation really breach a lot of these places where console gaming hasn't traditionally been big. Yeah. Well, and we've seen this with them do this in China as well, trying to look in and, and try and find developers there. I wonder if this has an aspect too where they're looking at where they can find new partners and start up potentially new studios that eventually could be either second party or maybe if they do get more aggressive with acquisitions to be part of the family and they're looking at where a lot of their studios currently are. And number one, you don't want to necessarily compete uh, with yourself when it comes to talent as far as moving people around. But also, it's just probably so expensive where certain development communities are in the United States when you think of San Francisco and L.A. being the primarily places or Montreal and Canada. And so why not look into these places where especially a, a country like South Korea, which is well known for being 
for having a big technology angle to it, whether it's with Samsung or LG, it would make sense that there would be some studios blooming up out of that kind of environment. And so to go in early and secure some talent and secure some, some games, I think is, is awesome. And so I, the big question for me right now, you, you brought up Stellar Blade. Where Where is it? What's going on? I think that game is supposed to come out this year and it still hasn't uh, still hasn't shown up. So potentially could be that second, uh, you know, second showcase if it happens. I'm muted. Sorry. I think that um, I was <laughs> I was typing, looking something up um, about Project Eve. But uh, I was thinking that with. Sony kind of invested in a lot of these second party games. It seems like they're they're kind of setting a lot of new seeds. They're kind of keeping their cards close to their vest until the games are clo- ready, really ready to come out. Like, what do you really gain from not have like from announcing games? Like, it's true. So the one thing I can say about the showcase that made my, again, Microsoft or Sony in their various showcases where I think Microsoft obviously had a much better showing. The one thing you could say to Sony's advantage, I think, objectively, is that while well, Microsoft has gone. Now, you know, right, like what right. that next 18 months or so is going to look like. Sony hasn't gone. The assumptions about that old showcase were that they have nothing to show. But I dispute that. I don't think that's true at all. I think that they're just not going to say anything until the games are closer to ready to go. And that's why I think Rise of the Ronin and now this game as well, uh, Project Eve Stellar Blade, I think are two indications that there's simply much more to say. Right. And those are second party games. So. Mm-hmm. Not to mention your first party games, not to mention some of these games that maybe have been in stasis for a long time. Chris, I'm curious what uh, you make about South Korea as a, a place to get some of these games. Do you agree with me that Sony should keep its Asian flavor with by dipping into those markets much deeper than its competition? Because I feel like the Japanese flavor, Chinese flavor, South Korean flavor, these are different, of course. But Sony is on the ground in all of these places and it is differentiating them from the competition. Yeah. And, and those are big markets. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's a smart way to diversify. I think it's a smart way to it's a smart way to diversify while also kind of in a weird way, not doubling down, but like kind of reinforcing what you've already got going on in in some way. Like, obviously, like these are these are different places with their own different styles, but it's in stark contrast to, I think, Microsoft's. um, Approach of being very, very I mean, even in my head, even, even as PlayStation is has kind of dominated the last two generations, you know, (laughs) Microsoft does feel like they are the American console. There is, there's something there where it's like, it's very, it's very action. It's very, it's very focused on these very specific experiences. And, and they're trying to, you know, to their credit, get some, get persona in there and, and, and get some Japanese influence over, over in their, their camp as well. But I think Sony, I mean, like you said, with their historical success, I think it, I think it just makes a lot of sense that if you're going to look for new talent, you might as well go to these places that are kind of kind of around the place that kind of got you guys up and running in the first place. And also, especially if it's a country that's kind of like newly kind of burgeoning with all this talent and all these studios and all these games and all these IP. Why not? Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, it's true. And I think we talked about it a couple of months ago. You guys might remember on the show that they're even expanding. So they did the China Hero Project, I think two or three rounds of it. And we talked about the games that came from that, like Fist and others, Generation Mutated, Anno Mutatinum or whatever the fuck that game was called. There's a few of them that came out of there. And South Korea now, South Korea is much more developed in terms of a tech, like an endemic tech industry. So they they don't need that kind of investment. They're going and getting 
and working with established companies. But a couple months ago on the show, we mentioned that they launched the India Hero Project. And we often don't, I think, globally look at India as an Asian country because it's it's in a subcontinent. And it's kind of a people in and of itself. But it is part of Asia and they're mm-hmm. planning flags there too, trying to get games. I think this is smart because not only can you get good quality games from unknown markets and from developers that haven't been tapped, but it's certainly so cheap to make. I mean, I couldn't even imagine how cheap it would be to make a game in India compared to making it in L.A. So if you can yeah. find these high quality developers, I think this is uh, this is a, this is how Sony this is goes back into my sports analogy that I know is lost on you guys about small market versus big market. Like these are moves small market teams make where it's like, oh, we can't afford to go play with the big boys. Like, let's go and try to f- we're going to fucking rural Mississippi in the Delta to find the, the next great pitcher instead, because we're certainly yeah. not going to know like we're not going to find like a known quantity. And uh, I think that's how you wisely spend money. And I think that's really good for them to do. So I'll, I'll be really interested to see what comes out of some of these places and how it kind of marries with their first party strategy. And if anything out of South Korea, like Sony, it's not unthinkable that Sony could buy a South Korean developer or buy an Indian developer. I think, I think yeah. buying a Chinese developer would be a little, little dicey. I don't know that that would work, but who knows? Yeah. All right. Just a few more pieces of news to get through quickly before we get into what we're playing. Uh, last week, we talked about Pixel Junk Scrappers, which was once an Apple Arcade game, finally migrating to PlayStation later this year. But um, that's not all we're getting from Q Games. Pixel Junk announced that Pixel Junk Eden 2, which was a Switch exclusive, actually, back from 2020. Of course, the original Pixel Junk Eden was a PS3 game released in 2009 on the PSN. That's finally coming later this year too, undated, but will be coming, I guess, in the fall. So people can look forward to that if they'd like. That will bring pretty much... M- Almost, I think everything Pixel Junk has done now back to PlayStation, which is kind of where it's always belonged, considering that's where it began. Chris, I thought you would appreciate this. <laughs> this came from Wario64, although it's been widely reported in the German press as Datalik is a German developer. But um, the Gollum game was so bad that they've just canceled their next Lord of the Rings game that's been in development for maybe less than a year, which so they're not losing so much money on it and just getting right back into publishing straight up, like not even bothering anymore. What do you think of that? Maybe your video had something to do with it. I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's, dude, it was just, it's categorically the worst game this year by like a lot. And that's in a, you know, the same year as Redfall. So, I mean, you've really, you've really, <laughs> you've really, really got the crown as far as that goes. I don't know. Like, I, I, I did they lose? Like, are, are people losing their jobs? Is that or yeah, are they it's just like 25 game? people? Although I think that they are trying to be shifted around maybe other projects. And I was reading a story where they were saying, like, Germany is one of the best places to be unemployed. So, all right. Well, uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully nobody lost their jobs. Hopefully people get shuff, shuffled around. I, I'm never in favor of anybody like, you know, losing their that sucks. But uh, at the same time, you know, this this is it's a horrible game. And so, like, it's it's good to know that we we won't be subject to any more of a. Uh, Whatever the hell that output was, because that's that's crazy, man. That is I, an um, unbelievable game when you look at it. When you really watch, I watched uh, Moist Critical uh, Charlie play it, and it it is astounding. Everything from it, just the font of it is wrong. Like everything about it is so wrong. It's crazy. Why well, does he look like that? I don't know. I will never get over. Th- Nobody mentioned that, by the way, like every 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 negative review I I heard about it, even Ryan McCaffrey's was like the 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 uh, well, not Ryan McCaffrey, who he he did the he, he read it. He, he did the yeah. voice for it. It's not his review, but like <laughs> the, just everybody's talking about like everything else about the game. But nobody 
talks about how fucking gross he looks and it boggles the mind because it's the first thing that set my red flags off when i saw it i was like why does he look like rugrats why did you do that to him this brings up a difficult question for me though which is because we always obviously you always lament when people lose their jobs and you don't want people to be out and, and whatever but like is there such a thing as uh, there certainly are just untalented groups of developers too right like did yeah. they make something so bad where regardless of time and intent and all and and all that that you a lot of teams are struggling to to perform and and get things out on time and get things at a high quality but usually don't fall this bad and so you wonder like do these kinds of games purge people that don't really that maybe well, shouldn't be making video games to begin with? Because why is it so much worse than all the other constrained games? You know, well, the thing about Daedalic Entertainers is that they had they had a few games under their belt already. Right. And, and it was um, they were. Oh, my God. It, it was like a beer thing that they made. Yeah. What the hell right, was it? it? I'm looking it up. It was like some beer simulator or something. Um, games published. Unless <sighs> these games developed. Let's see. Oh, publish, 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 publish. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, that's not it. Is this I, the... I don't know. It's it's beside. No, the you're point. right. The, the... I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know why I can't find it. Yeah, I can't find it right now either, which is bizarre. But the, the point is, it's like, I mean, they clearly made stuff before that made them attractive enough to some other entity to sign them on this property in the first place. You know what I mean? So, like, to me, it doesn't it doesn't seem like, oh, a studio uh, comprised of untalented people who weren't good at their jobs. To me, it seems like more of like, why did a managerial, why did anybody in a managerial position put this studio on a game like this, knowing what this studio is typically known for and, and knowing the, the ceiling of what this tip of this, what the studio is capable of. Cause clearly this is just not in their wheelhouse at all. Like if you look at anything that they've ever done, nowhere near anything like this so i think i think if anybody should if anybody should genuinely face the consequences of this it's i don't think it's necessarily the developers who were just put on this project i think it's more so the people who designated this project to be given to this developer like because that's obvious to me like you don't do that like if you need a golem game made for whatever reason that's even an idea in your fucking head uh because that's usually a production that's usually a producer's call like usually a producer is the person who goes in like it's like that famous um, story about uh, oh my god, uh, was the, who's the guy with the jersey? The comic book Kevin, Kevin Smith? Smith. Yeah, it's like that Kevin Smith story where he talks about like how he was talked about. Uh, some producer wanted him to write a Superman script, and he was like he was adamant that it had like a giant spider in yeah, it. Yeah, and that and that spider ended up in like Wild in, Wild in, West uh, or whatever. Wild right? Wild West. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like that's good shit to me. To me, it seems like some producer is like, all right, I got I need a Gollum game. <laughs> I need I, I need Gollum to to raise an owl. <laughs> and I need that owl to be his friend. And and the studio's like, what? <laughs> you know? So I don't know, man. It seems like whoever whoever put this developer on this project is is just a really not smart individual who probably shouldn't be working in this field. But I don't know. I, I'm 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 not so quick to necessarily put it all on the developer because it's you know, it's they they clearly are not the studio to be doing a game like this. Well, I came I, like, I, I every metric. I think I've come to the conclusion of what we were thinking of. It's not that it's that they only made point and click games. Right. That was yeah. what it was, is that they they were like a pretty well respected point and click adventure studio. And made yeah, some so not triple A, not triple A action stealth Lord of the Rings games. In other exactly. Words. So they were just a fish out of water, totally. Because yeah. I was looking, yeah, all I was looking through their games on Wikipedia, and it's like these are all adventure games. 
Yeah. And I believe they're well received. Yeah, yeah, they are. There's I, a game, I, I The Pillars of the Earth, which came out in 2017, is in the 80s on Metacritic. Yeah. So they're so they're a good studio. It's like yeah. it's like you don't put you don't put Jordan in in baseball, you know? Well, you don't got to do that. You don't, you don't put Shaq in baseball. Yeah. Jordan tried to play baseball and it didn't work out very well. And speaking of basketball, our final piece of information, I just wanted to throw this out there. It looks like oh, yeah. uh, NBA 2K24 will have Kobe on the cover. This will, of course, be one of the biggest games in the United States and around the world when it comes out. I don't think there's a release date for it yet. It'll obviously come out in prelude to the upcoming season. But um, yeah, just want to throw that out. It's been it's hey, crazy. I, I have a thought on this, Colin. Three and a half years. Oh, can you really? Oh, please. I do. Because yeah. I noticed, I remembered the 2K20, uh, the 2K21, they did the Mamba Forever edition. Yeah. And so I saw in the comments on uh, Push Square that some people are like, dude, they're, they're really milking Kobe on this by doing it again <laughs> a few years later. Though, he, to be fair, he is the cover athlete on both versions of the game. But he's already been on the cover post you know the the tragedy that happened but seems a little weird to do it again in my opinion but i don't know i'm not a basketball guy yeah i wonder if there's like some sort of well first of all it's surprising because the nba is full of so many stars and likable players that people love that you you would think you'd be able to no offense to kobe Bryant, who definitely should be on one of them and he was Mm -hmm. but yeah to be on a second one is very interesting because just because there's such a wide selection of players but i wonder if Take two has like some sort of contract either that was written before or after with him and his and in or his estate where they're very happy to sign off on him. You know, like it's like, sure, sure. Like his kid, you know, one of his daughters died, I think, in that crash, but he has other kids. And so like that. So maybe it's just like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Um, You know, that's how we're going to make money moving forward, although I'm sure Kobe left him with a a lot. But it's crazy. I remember that (laughs) that happened right before COVID. I remember that was like the the big disaster before COVID was Kobe dying. Um, Yeah. And it kind of like it wasn't forgotten, but it kind of just like we were on to other things a month later or whatever. But that was crazy. That was totally crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's get into what we're playing. We're all playing the same game in unison. This doesn't happen very often on the show. So let's enjoy it. Chris, I want to hear from you about Final Fantasy 16. Now that you get to finally sound off on it. We, we talked about it extensively last week. You had to sit on the sidelines. I'm very, very eager to hear what you think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm about uh, I'm level I'm level 29, I think, or, or 29 or 30. I'm, I'm about about 20 something hours in 21 probably and i like it a lot clearly because i'm playing it this much which is very very rare for a final fantasy game usually it's it's it gets and i will say though it's getting it 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 is kind of getting to the point where i'm like man i do i do i clearly have a preference for games that end around this time mm. like cuz i'm i'm definitely feeling that where it's like because as much as I'm enjoying the story and the spectacle and like all of these like boss battles and I'm like really, really liking the characters and the world building and, and all of this stuff that that real time active, that active time lore or whatever the hell mm-hmm. is so cool. Oh, it's awesome. And I didn't really understand. Like, I kind of got it by what you guys were talking about, but I didn't realize it was just consistent. I thought it was like a cutscene thing but you can like at any point do that and it'll tell you like what are what's around you and like gives you like a genuine and it updates in keeping like where you are in the game and like with story beats and stuff. And it's, it's something that I'm like, wow, it would be so cool if this was in every game, (laughs) like every game that had any type of story 
to speak of. It would be so cool to be able to just pull something like this up, even in something that's a little bit more straightforward or like a, a little bit less, um, you know, broad, even something like in like a Gears game or like an Uncharted game. Like, what's the history of this this temple? You know, like what like it'd be so cool. And I, I, that, that is that is the one sticking point for me, which is kind of surprising where I'm like, I want this everywhere. Like, it's the one thing in this game where I'm like, this is this feels revolutionary, even though I don't think many people are going to take advantage of something like this, because I would imagine that this is a lot of work just from like a writing standpoint. Mm. Um, but I'm really liking that. I'm, I'm really enjoying the combat is, is awesome. It, it definitely reminds me of, you know, Devil May Cry, which is obvious because there's like a d- direct lineage there. But there's one thing that th- that is kind of bothering me and it is it's not it's not the combat or any it's more so the lack of and in some ways it's it's more approachable to me because of this but at the same time i do wish that there was a little bit more i wish there was a little bit more rpg to it because it 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 doesn't feel like obviously in final fantasy 7 remake you're like swapping between your 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 party members and you kind of designate and, and this one it's a little bit more character action focused which is it's good for me because it's 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 less anxiety inducing and it's a little bit more straightforward it's a little bit more linear i can i can i can really get into it a lot easier but at the same time there is a breadth that i think is sort of missing that you do kind of pick up as you as you get more um oh my god what are they called uh, as you get more elemental icons? kind of uh, yeah, as, oh, you get icons, more, yeah as you get more icons it, it does kind of open it up a little bit more but i do find myself kind of just spamming special attacks like when i get to a certain point and it's like i i, I don't know it, it i wish there was like some elemental factor to it like there is in even something like destiny where it's like oh this this type of element will break this shield easier it does seem like it doesn't um, really matter I will say yeah. that, like, it, it, which is very, which is unusual for Final Fantasy. You know? Yeah. And, and I feel like even just that simple, that simple addition would have. I feel like that would have made it a little bit more engaging on like a on like a like that one change would have substantially kind of increased. It's like because to be to be able to kind of break through anything with any ability, it, it's fun. It's definitely like an action game and I'm enjoying it and I'm having a blast playing and these boss battles are so so cool but there is there is some thoughtless thoughtlessness to it that i am noticing as i get deeper and deeper into the game like i just got to a point where there are characters with shields mm-hmm. or like magic shields where you have to like i i thought that that was going to be like a like a, a thing where it's like oh you have to like spam like a very specific but like every every special attack breaks it which is okay that's fine but I, I, at the same time, I feel like it's like, what's the point of this mechanic, even if it's not going to introduce some type yeah, of like, like, I think there's a barrier where like you have to use magic or something, but it could be any kind of. Yeah, magic. but it could be it could be any like I th- at first I thought it was like the, the, the distance magic, the triangle where you're like, oh, you should you have to charge it and because or, or, that was something that I wasn't using, to be honest with you, like not it, it was like a kind of an afterthought. I, w- it I would does throw chip it in damage, there. Really? You know? Yeah, I, I, I would throw it in every now and again. But then I found out you could just like do the, you know, the R2 square, R2 triangle, whatever. And it would it would break it just the same. And I was like, oh, well, it, it's it's still fun. It's still cool. I, I'm enjoying it. But I am noticing that it's it's just a little bit. 
from a combat and strategy perspective, it is it's more fun, but it's less interesting. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I'm still playing and I'm still having a good time. I'm, I'm definitely way further into this than I have been into any Final Fantasy that I've ever played and that I think is to its benefit and to its strength. But I do kind of understand why uh, maybe some longtime fans might have been a little bit like, oh, this is a lot more linear and a, and a little bit more um, action than, um, than we're typically used to. And I will say that the side quests are really fucking like really not interesting to me even slightly like they i, get I better, don't know apparently I, I, that's what everyone keeps telling I'm me is they st- get I'm better st- i'm don't still waiting I, look I, I don't i've never been a side quest person really like they always kind of bother me so to see so to see these where it's like go i, I remember there was one point where i'm, I'm walking around in this in this area as uh, I, I, i'm clive i'm 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 I got all this shit on me. I've got like this, this demon weapon. I've got all this power and I'm literally picking up dirt to bring home. And I, I just felt like I'm not doing these. Like I'm not going to do these, especially when there's such a big, big juxtaposition between those side quests and the incredible, like the high quality, like cutscenes and, and like the, the, like the main story, like, battles when that when that juxtaposition is so noticeably high i have been on the off chance that i do a side quest i am and this might be sacrilege but i am skipping the shit i I am skipping so fast through them because i have yet to meet a side character that is telling me anything that i really care about or or really want to know or that isn't supplanted or filled in by this active time lore stuff you know, where it's like, oh, what do I need to know about this place? Oh, I can I can look it up at any time. I don't need this random idiot who toppled his fucking caravan to tell me about how his wife sucks or something. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's that that part of the game is really and the rewards for the side quests aren't really that good either. So, like, to me, I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm skipping these. And even some main quests kind of feel like side quests, too. Not a lot of them, but some like I'm at a point right now where I'm like, this feels like a a very side activity. Like I had to build a workshop and I remember mm-hmm. being, I, I, I can't possibly, <laughs> I can't possibly be the best person in this community to do this. You know, I'm like, a, I'm like a, like an assassin, like, dude, like I have all this power. There's gotta be some guy named Jim who can do this, <laughs> like who, who it's a better use of his time. And, and, I don't know. It's 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 little things like that. But I'm really liking the story. I'm really liking the the character interactions. I'm I'm liking these like the, the villains that are, that are being set up. Some stuff gets a little confusing. Like I I won't get into it for spoiler reasons. But there's 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 one character that I I I do not understand at all. And I'll, I'll tell you guys after the show because I'm I'm genuinely fucking baffled. But it's a really fun game. I'm really into it. I think I'm definitely gonna finish this. Um, because I'm so far into it and I'm, I'm really enjoying the combat and I'm, and things are still popping up for me where I'm like, I'm still getting like new types of blocks and, and, and new magics and all the, all this stuff. Um, I happened to cross a random side quest that gave me a, a mount, which was mm-hmm. nice on the off chance that I decided, but then I'm like, damn, should I be doing these? Because like, this is a pretty transformative thing to come from like a, 
a side quest and then I'm like, damn, but I don't want to. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a little tricky, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I'm having a great time. That's a, a problem. I think too, is that I'll, I'll leave it for this. The sacred symbols plus that we'll do about it where we will spoil the game. I don't want to spoil anything here, obviously, but I, yeah. I think I could defend the nature of the side quests based on, on who your character is and who your character becomes throughout the game. Although, mm-hmm. and like the mundaneness is, is uh, <laughs> it's funny because I think the mundaneness partially comes from them looking at the game and being like, we need to stretch this thing out. And I think that's where a lot of side quests come from always. But right, I also think yeah. that, um, that they do a decent job of making you, I, I think, I don't know if even this, this might even be, I never mind. It's a, even what I want to say is a spoiler. I really want people well, to go in and, and enjoy it for themselves. I, I don't know that I have much more to say apart from what I've already said, except for that. I'm, I'm 40 hours in or something like that. Is this something of this nature? 37 hours. Yeah. And it says I'm at 70% completion. And I just did a boss fight where I was like, holy shit. Like no matter what I saw in the game, this was like one of the craziest, most high production value, most dripping with, dollars i was like holy moly man it's yeah the, the, and, the, and that the does start crazy that, that stands in comparison in star contrast like you said to some of the more lo-fi things like there's actually an interesting thing i noticed this isn't a spoiler at all but you can go and talk to various people in the town and ask them about things and that's the only time in the game and i don't know if you guys noticed this the only time in the game it's not voice acted but what they do is that they say the first line or first half yeah. of the line and i'm like what is this like I, I, i'm trying to go through my mind figuring out is it were they at like a word count thing where they just don't want to pay them where was this written very late what why is this not voice acted everything else is voice acted yeah except for the, these conversations that, very strange that's that's the thing that keeps me from engaging with the game in, in that way too where i'm like I'm, I'm kind of feeling like there's an element to it of there's so much production value and so much care put into like the big the, like the big sticking points so that when i want to go and get lost in the town it's like an immediate break of immersion in some way where i'm like oh well, this is this is a very jarring shift in not only tone but like approach you know because you get these triple a like really high quality cutscenes and then you get like an entire paragraph of which you can only hear the first like I thought my game was broken or like I thought it was like a bug or something initially when like it was the first sentence and then nothing but then I I, I remember I was like oh this is like intentional and I remember like I don't want to do this and I think there's there's an element there where it's I think it's it, it does ground it and I do think it's obviously there to stretch the game out in, in in some way but also maybe to flush out the the area a little bit more but at the same time and maybe this is probably because I'm playing Metal Gear Solid 5 at the same time, which, you know, there's a lot of there's some weird mundane aspects to that game as well, where like you, you kind of you're you're basically a like a manager in that game where like you're you're you know, you're you're abducting soldiers and like you're 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 assigning them to different departments in your military and like you, you get like a combat team that you dispatch to different missions and you have to like monitor their time and like make sure they come back. And I'm a lot more interested and engaged in that mundanity than I am in whatever's going on here. And I, I that's not a fair point of comparison. Obviously, they're both different games trying to do different things. But in this game, I feel like I have a really heavy desire to get to the next 
incredible boss fight because they are so fun. I don't know if they're necessarily super challenging, but they're really fun to engage in. And the, the, the spectacle is like so like I haven't died a lot. Like I've died like maybe I think five times max. And it, and like two of those were because I went to try and I, I went to try and capture this. There there are bounties in the game sort of for like these creatures that are a little bit higher level. And I went to like some level 30 dragon thing that was just like roaming around in some field and I tracked it down and I was like level 25 and I thought like, Oh, maybe I could just like skill check this thing and, and, and just get, get by. But I'm like, Oh no, I can't. I'm <laughs> this thing's destroying me. I had a similar situation when I, I approached the first bounty and it cast doom on me and immediately killed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, I'm, yeah. but I, I'm enjoying so, it. I, I'm, I'm really, really feeling it. I like Clive a lot. I like the story. I like the political intrigue of everything that's going on. It, I've never seen Game of Thrones, uh, so I don't necessarily have like a, a great frame of reference. But I, I like that it's focused on dueling nations and power struggles and and you know kings and heirs and and well, you love Game of Thrones if you love all that shit. Yeah, uh, but I, I also you know I know that Game of Thrones doesn't end well yeah. so like it, it defeats the pre- like and that's why i haven't watched it i'm just like i'm not going to get involved in something that eventually sucks you know but so far i'm you know I, like you said i'm only you're 37 hours in. I'm, I'm about i think like with the demo included because i did try the demo first um i think i'm like 22 23 hours in max uh, right now and i have been skipping a lot of you know the uh there's so many people in this town that want me to do stuff and I'm I feel like an asshole because I'm just I'm running so swiftly away from them. Yeah, like their barks are like their barks get cut off because you get too far away from them. Yeah, I, I've yeah. noticed that too when I'm running through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I, I continue to be really impressed by the game. I think it's really, really awesome. I, I think the the level of writing and storytelling is really pretty high. And I don't want again, I don't want to get into what the game is about because I didn't know what the game was about going in. And so I think that that's the best way to do it. But what the game is about and what you are doing is fucking awesome. I want to just underline that. I think it's so cool. And the way it ties to the original Final Fantasy, like I said last week, is is I think really neat. And and the themes that it shares with games like Final Fantasy one. And like I said, Final Fantasy four, which is just all over this game and continues to be all over it um, for me as I play. And as I understand, Final Fantasy four, I think I said this last week is is the Final Fantasy 14 team, which is, of course, did the team that did this game or most of the team that did this game. Apparently, like that's a North Star kind of game for them is Final Fantasy four in Final Fantasy 14. So it's no surprise, apparently, to a lot of people that that feels that way in this game as well. And uh, I just I think the the level of um, there's like a meta level to the story. And then there are also allegories in the story, I think. I don't even want to say I think there are two different allegories running through the story about what I think the game is about through a modern lens. And I think one of them is obvious and I think one of them is not so obvious. And the obvious one, I think, is actually how it connects to Final Fantasy seven thematically. Yeah, because I, think- I said last week that there are, the game feels like Final Fantasy seven in a weird way. And I'm not even talking about the remake. I'm talking about the story, <laughs> like yeah. what what you're doing and like what what's happening in the world. In fact, I think that there's some sort of connection to six there as well, because Final Fantasy six is very much about magic and the world and what it's doing to the world. Right. And yeah, 
But I think that magic in Final Fantasy 16 is an it can be taken as an allegory for things in our own lives today, the way people obsess over certain things and and all of the rest. And so I'm really eager to to get more into it. I just want to really respect the sanctity of the of the game and let people experience it themselves without getting too deep into it. Yeah. Dustin, I want to hear from you. What, what, what's been your experience over the last week? You've been away, but you have your PS5 with you so you can play when the glare from the TV is not too bad. So what's happening? Yeah. I'm definitely falling behind. It feels bad right now. I'm we'll, we'll talk after Chris, but I think Chris might be a little bit further than me now because I really just haven't played very much this past week. I will say I agree with Chris in that the more I play, the more I'm finding it to be a little easy. And it's not that I'm saying the combat is is basic. I think that people that were arguing that are dumb really especially when you get into where you can upgrade and get new abilities and stuff like that but i was thinking when i did do one boss fight here and i died once and before that i only died once one other time at a boss fight and i was thinking about this and i thought i don't i don't think that's to the game's detriment i'm not looking for every game to be like dark souls where i'm beating my head against the wall trying to beat a boss but I was thinking that I could handle it being a little more tough. And I saw that going around. I think uh, there's that YouTuber. I don't know of him super well, but I think is Maximilian dude. And he was talking about how the game, if you're really into it, doing a second replay on the Final Fantasy mode is really, really rewarding because it actually makes the game a lot more difficult. Mm. So that's something I'm definitely interested in. And like I said, it's not... It's not easy enough that I'm not doing anything or that I yeah. don't have to think at all. It, it is pretty forgiving in that if you die during certain boss fights, it's not going to reset you at the beginning or anything like that. And I'm cool with that. But yeah, the I like what you're saying, too, about the story from uh, the story is definitely evolving. There's many layers to the story, whether you're thinking about the the class related fight the uh the greater world related things whether that is on a political level or on an um, even much greater than that and i think that that's what's really keeping me in because they'll feed you a little piece of information that's like oh that kind of connects on the political level okay that's really interesting and then you'll get to the next thing you're like oh well this kind of makes more things make more sense on the class struggle going on stuff like that yeah so it's really well paced for me in in that area. So I'm really excited to to get home and, and play. I've, I've been having a great time here hanging out, but there is a point where it's like, man, I you realize when you're away for a little bit how integral video games are to just your satisfaction of life, yeah. you know, and I'm <laughs> sure, Chris, you were feeling this. I, you had access to to limited stuff. Same same here. I have access two things but i'm not it's not my normal routine so i'm excited to to get back home and play more yeah i i I don't know i think it's a pretty masterfully done game i do think that there are problems with it like the performance issues are there that there is a difference in the lack of production value i think i think the kingdom this is just a joke because i don't really know anything about kingdom hearts but i think the kingdom hearts team was saying something in their interviews like you'll know what parts we did like when you get there and i'm like are they the shitty parts 
Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what they meant by that. But that is yeah, something they said in an interview before the game came out. It's the and, part where uh, it's, a, it's the part where Popeye walks out from a from a monster closet. <laughs> <laughs> and otherwise, I think that there's a uh, there's a real heart and soul to the game, and I think it gets it at. I think it gets at some really interesting subject matter. And I kind of I'm really on one hand, I'm really amped that they basically said that they're not going to do anything else with this game. Like they're just going to it just is what it is. And I hope they stick by that. Yeah. And but at the same time, I kind of lament it because I'm like, there's so much. So much love put into this game, so much attention to detail, the codices, it's like seeing exposed for the world what I imagine many game Bibles would be inside of a developer where you have answers to questions. You just don't reveal them. And here, so it's like this person's mother died. That's why he's so angry, but you never really understand that. It's just to kind of answer that question as a writer, but they kind of have exposed a lot of that. And it's neat. It's, it's cool to have that level of world building. I think it's quite complicated. I personally don't really understand a lot of the political stuff myself. Even after reading it, I have to kind of sit there and have you guys met the character Vivian yet? Not yet. Okay. So when I you do, so. if, if she gives you a different way to look at everything, she's like a war planner and yeah. she, ha- so it's, it's super cool. I won't, it, it's not a spoiler that she exists I th- or whatever. I, I think I know. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I know. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. And once you find her and she's like accessible to you, there's like a whole different way to experience like the military realities, the interpersonal realities, all the different things that are even above and beyond the, the what is that guy's name? Harper, Harper Crates or whatever his, uh, his yeah. codices. So I, I like the, I like her, the way she present the, the, her presentation of, of things is really, really engrossing because it feels like a history. It, it feels like you're watching like the history channel or something. Well, I wonder, really if it was, cool. I wonder if it was something that was added during development where they're like, we need more, there needs to be more exposition because that's like what where her character is really for when you get to her. Maybe you know, so I agree. It's it's pretty it's cool. Really yeah, cool. I wonder if they were like, this is just not clear enough. It's getting too complicated. And that was that's where I think the Game of Thrones stuff, in my opinion, is really overstated in a lot of ways. But it does uh, involve a lot of the same core stuff. It's just that ultimately they're about very different things. And so yeah. I think that it's a little bit limited in your analysis of the fiction to just reduce it to game of thrones i think it's yeah especially because game of thrones is just rooted in a lot of things as as well well i I agree but i also think that in a lot of ways this game is nothing like game of thrones because it's not nearly sophisticated enough to be game of thrones in in some ways but in, in other ways it's it's a lot of people have a problem with this, like focus on Clive as opposed to a greater party. Although I, I would argue you do have a party. Your party is very small and limited and only has a few people in it at any given time. It feels very much like an old like an NES or Famicom Final Fantasy in that respect. Maybe even like one, although two might be the better barometer because in two you have characters constantly coming in and out. But yeah, but I, 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 I understand people's dis- dismay with that, but I find the combat just completely engrossing. I think yeah. it's just exactly what I want. It's not dark souls obviously and then it's not like mega sophisticated devil may cry combat which i also am put off by where you're getting s ranks and it's like cool and like all the like fucking 80 hit combos and all and i'm like i don't wanna i like that i I like i like i like that you can kind of do that for yourself in the game though exactly like Like, i don't feel the game i appreciate that the game doesn't make me feel insufficient 
right like right yeah i've died a few times too and in fact i'm surprised by how forgiving the game is when you die because i don't know if you've noticed when you die your potions are refilled yeah which i i but i think they do that because if they don't the game would be broken because you could find yourself in situations that you couldn't leave and i think that that's them saying like we're just gonna make sure you don't die you know if you die it's really your fault at this point so i but i wonder if final fantasy mode takes care of that or and there's a bunch of ways the game tempts you to cheat it's really up to you not to do it there are accessories immediately available that make the game much easier i just ignore them and in fact i saw a friend of the show sophia narwitz say on her twitter that she was dismayed that you can't sell those items and i actually agree it's kind of a bummer they're just they're just always sitting there being like just cheat 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 and then they're all mixed up with all of your different accessories. Yeah, yeah. Those, uh, those like um, amulet of timely parry or whatever. Right, exactly. Like yeah. it'll parry for you automatically. It'll heal you automatically. Do do all that stuff. And I, I so, have all that. I have all that off. Yeah, me too. I, I I think it's cool that it's there. I don't mind the accessibility options. I'm surprised you can earn trophies with them on. Yeah, and they I apparently do, make the Final Fantasy mode completely trivial I, if you I are do, going for the platinum. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I do like that the accessibility options are like in game items yeah i think that's like a really cool that's like a really cool twist on the idea of like instead of just like putting it in like some setting Mm -hmm. the idea that you would have to actually and the fact that it comes at a cost because if you if you if you put on like you know okay so here's this um amulet of of i don't know uh, timely combos or whatever like that comes at the expense of you being able to maybe up your damage with them with like something that increases the damage of something um, so I think I think the way they've handled it is actually kind of smart in some way. But I do. I, you should be able to sell them. For a high price. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> that's why I always like item buybacks in games. It's just that just solves the whole problem of regret. It's like, OK, just Borderlands was the first game I ever saw do that in my experience and the original one. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Just sell everything. And then if you have a problem, just you can fix it later. Jack Branch wrote in us. We have a few things from the audience I thought would allow us to explore the game without spoiling it too much. And again, I think we were going to do it this coming week, but it seems like everyone needs more time. I'd like to give everyone the time that they need so we can do it properly. I think it would help Maddie, too, because I think he's moving this coming week. So we'll uh, we'll all get together and gather and I'm sure it'll take and Gene's going to join us, too, I think. And we're going to. We'll spoil the shit out of the game, but we'll do it under the right circumstances. So in the meantime, let's talk about some more vague things about the game. And so Jack Branch says, Sacred Brothers, I know you had an hour long talk about Final Fantasy 16 last week, but I just wanted to bring something up. Can we all just take a moment to appreciate how quickly the game loads? Literally, I boot up the PS5, start Final Fantasy 16's application, and I am playing within 30 seconds. As new farther, this is very much appreciated for quick and I mean quick sessions. The ability to pause the cutscenes and catch up on the lore is incredible as well, but the loading has made my experience sensational. Hope to see you in England soon. Thanks, Jack, for writing in. This is a notable part of the game, and I was I was remarking to Micah that it's actually it, this game doesn't so much suffer from it, but I'm like it's getting to the point where games are loading slower than they can because it would be jarring to let them load as quickly as possible. So like it would be like watching a a YouTube video with like jump cuts because the game is loading that quickly. So the game almost stops itself from loading instantaneously by at least giving some some presentational heft to moving spaces as opposed to Fallout 3 where you would be in a a, like on a loading screen for 30 seconds because that was the nature of the game. So I did notice that and I did notice when you boot up the game like it doesn't do all the Square Enix published by all the licenses and middleware. They don't do any of that. They just I think it does it the first time you load it. But the after that, it does get you right into the game. It's very quick. And when you use I got to give a shout out 
to the quality of life stuff, the UI, all of that perfect in the game. We always say that a lot of games that are very high quality get that shit wrong. God of War is, of course, the biggest example of that. It's just like, what don't you get about maps? What don't you get about items? What don't you get about all these things that are so tertiary that you you just fuck up and you master all of this really difficult stuff? They don't have that problem in this game. And I, I like that you jump around from quick travel station to quick travel station. They're like these little crystals. It's seconds. It's nothing. And what's really cool about this game, as far as battling and really convenience and kind of making it what you want, constantly auto saving, lots of different saves, um, like manual save slots. You can walk away from any battle you're in, including battles against non-boss creatures, but like hunt creatures, which I think is really cool. And you can even quick travel in the middle of a fight. So the game is very friendly. It's not trying to like beat the ever loving shit out of you. And I actually appreciate that. Because I don't think that has to be everything. It's like I say about Resident Evil with the with the ink ribbons. It's like, that's cool. But it's cool that there's options to not play like that as well today, as opposed to being forced into the ink ribbon mantra yeah. in the early Resident Evil games where it's like, well, I got to go, you know, got to go to fucking friendlies with my family. I only have one <laughs> ink ribbon. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I just saved 10 minutes ago. So now it's like, you got to shut it off and just do it all again. I just I think little things like that really improve the experience and I think they should get a lot of credit for that. And yeah, yeah I want to, yeah, for sure. All right. So Jack, thank you for writing in about that. Emmett, I'm interested to see what you guys think of this. He says, Hey gentlemen, Kotaku published an article criticizing the characterization of Jill in final fantasy 16, calling her quote, not a woman, but a prop interchangeable with the trees and the stars End quote, the discourse around female characters in games is exhausting. One is too beautiful. The other is not beautiful enough. Another is too abrasive and another is too passive. In your opinion, what's the right way to write a woman in a video game? Or is this type of discourse simply too effective at increasing Kotaku's click through rate? Cheers, gents. I don't think there is a right way to, to write a woman in a game. I think that the women are it, that's not a personality, right? Yeah, it, it's it's who you are at the, the biological level. And that's about it. So I, I will say this because I've seen some of the discourse about Jill. I think Jill's awesome. And in fact, I think Jill gets more impressive the more the game goes on. I won't say yeah. anything more, but I think the character is the characterization of her in that particular article, which I did read, is divorced from the the Jill that I am experiencing in the game. So I don't even know yeah. how you make some people happy. And it does seem like it's just another one of those. That's, you know, go ahead, Chris. It, well, I was going to say it's, it seems like a very I played the game for two hours and I'm going to write up something i think about it like two hours in jill is not she's not really in it you know like it's not that's it's she's not in it yet and the way that she's described in that article is really baffling especially because there's a part that i just finished that i think is incredible like very very cool and very very jill focused and i i i can't I, i don't understand how you play the game even even if you don't finish it, like I'm not done with it. And even I know that that's like a really bad characterization of the character or a, or a bad way to describe that character. So like, I don't know how you as, as somebody who finished the game could possibly come away with something like that. But I, I do think it's, I do think a lot of this is just kind of click through stuff. It's, it's, it's meant to spark people getting angry in the comments and people talking about it and people sharing it on social media. Like That's the entire point of articles like this. There's no right way to write any of these characters because in some ways I find a lot of this stuff ironically misogynistic, you know, like the mm. idea that like, Oh, you didn't write the woman the way that she's supposed to be written. It's like, what's the way that a woman is supposed to be written. And why do you know that? Right. 
Like, it's so weird. Like, there's so many different people in the world. Like, how could you possibly? There's no way to. What? How do you write a man? I have no fucking idea how you write a man. I really like, like, what do you like? You, you do start there. Like, I don't know. I think you start with like a character and then you work mm-hmm. your way around from there. And like, there's definitely like aspects of like, uh, you know, male and female and in, in, in any given character's history. But like, I, I don't know how you could even entertain the idea that there is a right and wrong way to write anyone. Unless that person is like a real character, like there's definitely a wrong way to write JFK, you know, or something or like or like, I don't know, Oprah, because these are people that exist. But like, there's no wrong way to write a fictional character. It's insane. Hmm. The very the very idea is is fucking ludicrous. I don't yeah. Know. And I, I think just at a base level too, the kind of the constant gender ideology that's implanted in all these these things all these different games it's just from a from a critical perspective it's just so predictable at this point because i think one of the interesting things about final fantasy 16 is that unlike game of thrones it doesn't really portray a gendered society at all like there are yeah. female warriors female queens that are as powerful as kings i mean obviously that's in game of thrones too when you have characters like um Brienne of Tarth or whatever that's kind of like a, a chick but that's like a that she's a joke kind of to a lot of people in, the, in that world because that's not it's more normative in that world than it is in this world which I think is like more of a, like a utopia from that perspective and I just so I think people look at they're looking for things to be wrong when in fact it's so much more what they I thought they would have wanted that, that in other words that Jill exists at all makes it very un Game of Thrones because there's really only one character that even a female character of any consequence other than Brienne and it's, it's Arya, you know, and you're already yeah. finding like in your face, one of the most important characters and there's others too. And we were talking about Vivian before, which I think is a really interesting character, but there's, I don't know. I just think that there are certain things you, certain people in certain outlets are never going to be pleased. They do get hate clicks. Like you said, as I said a week or two ago on the show, I think that that's not a good way to do business. So keep it going. It's definitely a bad way to do business in the long term. It's good for it's good for like immediate. It's it's good for like about ten minutes, <laughs> and then it's immediately really it's it, it's like that Velma show, where it's like this show. Look, that you're not gonna get season eight of Velma. Like you're just you're not. Let's hear from Mighty Max. He wrote and said, "Hello, kind sirs. What is your level of emotional connection to dogs or other pets in video games? I recently completed Final Fantasy sixteen, and it's an absolute gem of a game. That being said, one of my favorite parts of the game was Torgal." I like how they incorporated him into the story. I don't want to get into spoilers here, but I will say that I've always had a strong connection to animals, especially my own dogs or cats. And Torgal really added emotional weight to many scenes of the game for me. I also really liked how he was your faithful comp- companion in combat. It added a little extra level of strategy to the more casual encounters. And I always liked and I always had a little bit more courage going into hard boss fights, knowing my good boy was next to me. How are you liking Torgal? And have you ever felt a kinship, kinship towards an animal companion in a video game? I actually really like this, this dog a lot. It's cute. I also like my Chocobo. I think his name's Ambrosia. Chocobo. Chocobo. Ch- oh, how, how do you say I, it? Uh, well, that's what they always say in the game. They're all like, oh. Chocobo. I'm yeah, like, it's British. Choco- I don't like Chocobo. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to call it the, the I think, Ch- Chocobo or something like that. I wasn't definitely oh. not saying it right. Yeah. You that know, sounds so. like a slur. Yeah, it does. Doesn't I don't like it? that at all. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know where I got the, there's not two O's at the end of it. So I don't know why I didn't no, always no. think it was Bo, but. It was, yeah, so I, I, I think I say Chocobo or Chocobo. 
I don't really yes. say it. I just read yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's you chocobo. It. Choke, cho- chocobo. Okay. Not chocobo. chocobo. British people, stand down on that. Let's chocobo gotcha. in this world. What do we think of Torgal though? The dog. I I really love this character. I like that you can pet him. There's a trophy for petting him five times if you haven't gotten it yet. And there's a um, there is like a kinship there. Like I do care about him. I am. I consistently cringe hoping that nothing bad happens to him because it yeah, seems like yeah. <laughs> this game is so violent. In some ways, it's surprisingly violent. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's any more violent than some other Final Fantasy games. I just don't think those Final Fantasy games were nearly sophisticated enough to portray their violence. This is a, a game sophisticated enough to p- portray a high level of violence, and they do. So I always assume that the dog, they're going to finally come for the dog at some point. But um, <laughs> but in the meantime, I, I, I really I do enjoy it and I like him. And I actually do have. I guess I guess it is one of those gems or I don't know if it is or something you put on, but where he just does his stuff automatically in battle because that I don't want to deal with. Like, I just want him to kind of do his thing. Now, a Final Fantasy game in the past had a dog that I cared about quite a bit, which was Final Fantasy six. The ninja character Shadow has a dog in the game called Interceptor and Interceptor has like a he's supposed to be like, a, I don't know, he's like a black dog. I don't know my dogs are real. He's like a black dog. And uh, he has like a relationship with there's a little girl character named Realm, who's like a magician. And she, he, they're like kind of connected with each other and it connects her to Shadow and Shadow. If you stay with him at ends with him in the party, has random dreams and shit like that. It's really interesting and like very deep and very cute. But of course, my connection to dogs is that my my dog's names are Rush and Treble. And those are both dogs from the Mega Man universe. So there's those as well. But uh, Dustin, how are you feeling about Torgal? Yeah, I think Torgal is great. And like you said, I'm always looking out for him because he's always looking out for you through, you know, various cutscenes and stuff. He's very integral into the story. So I'm a big fan of him. And uh, Mighty Max, was it Mighty Max? Yeah. Talked about other video game pets. I got to give a shout out to a game that I know that you guys don't like. And that's The Last Guardian for having an awesome uh, relationship with I guess I don't know if Trico's a pet kind of it is a big bird dog creature but it is pretty special what they were able to pull off and and many games that it's uh they make you feel for this little virtual character or in the case of Last Guardian a big virtual character that doesn't really exist and I think that's cool and obviously as a, a dog lover I'm happy to have a good boy by my side in Final Fantasy 15 for sure. Mm. 16. Yeah. 16. 16. Damn. Right. We don't we don't talk about Final Fantasy. Te- no, we don't part. talk about the boy trip. Uh Chris, you have something to add? Well, yeah, I mean I mean Torgal's really cool. I, I, I he's disturbingly muscular. Um it's really the only <laughs> Yeah, he is. He's, he is. he's like I remember I mean, I don't know if this is a spoiler. He gets bigger. I mean, obviously, like you're not if you've seen any game. Well, yeah, you get him as a puppy. Yeah, yeah, you get him as a puppy and you see him grow and you get him as a puppy. and You're like, oh, that's cute. And then you at a certain point, like he just becomes very clearly not that dog, like even slightly. And I'm like, okay, this is just a different. It's like I I saw on Twitter like earlier today, this this video of a, a of a muscular goat like a really beefed up, like a yoked up goat. And it was one of the, it, it just, it's something that you shouldn't see, you know, because, because <laughs> goats are supposed to look cor- kind of unfit and, and like raggedy. I, I've never, yeah. yeah, they're like, yeah. like, a, like vaguely emaciated, maybe like a gut mm. going on. <laughs> but like, it's, it's a little, so it's a little disturbing to see this dog 
so capable of like that dog could bench more than I can probably. But I really like him. I don't know. I don't know if it comes close to like the most connected I felt to an animal though. And like, if it, because to me, I think of immediately Red Dead Redemption 2 and the horse that you have in that game that like you, you're kind of like obligated to take care of. And it totally works. It worked for me um, at certain points in that game. And even you bring up uh last guardian, but I think of shadow of the Colossus and uh, the horse in that mm. something about horses in, in games that like require them or like D dog right now. And in, 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 <laughs> in metal gear solid five where like, he's like, he's still, he's still a little puppy right now. So like when I go back to the base, He's like barking at me and he's like small and he's like, oh, he's like waiting to greet me. And I'm like, ah, but I don't know. Torgal's great, but I kind of I kind of don't like controlling him. Um, I don't have that amulet on because I don't have I don't have any of those amulets on because I'm, I'm focused on like stat boosts. But the up and down on the trigger, because sometimes I'll use a tonic by accident. And I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, I wasn't swapped to like Torgal's D pad. And that kind of that's that part's a little frustrating but torgal's awesome yeah i just don't have the sophistication to like be able to keep in, t- in touch with him during the battle really it's like you got to just do your own thing you know like it, i can't it, be honestly right now. honestly you're probably it, i i probably will just switch because I, I keep using really important things accidentally and it it's getting on my nerves now yeah i've restarted from a quick save a few times if i've used a potion on accident on my d-pad so because you just don't know how you're going to need them. Although, again, the game is so forgiving that maybe it doesn't matter. But I just want to be in. I want to play it straight up. It's funny that you brought up Red Dead Redemption 2, though, and the horse, because I remember being strangely emotional when my first horse died because I was trying really hard to keep him alive. Right. And exactly. then he died. Like, so I, I was trying to immerse myself. I like play it as like a sim in some way. It's like, all right, I'm going to this is my horse. So I'm not going to like fuck around with it. But then he got hit by a train. And he died. <laughs> it's tragic. Yeah, like you actually do feel horrible when it happens. I remember, like, yeah, when my f- first horse died in Red Dead Redemption Two, I felt terrible. His name you name them in the game, don't you? Yeah, you can name yeah. them. So, so it's got a name now. Of course, I like my horse was like I think I think I named him like Halo Two or something. <laughs> and and Halo Two fell off a fucking cliff for no oh. reason. I didn't well. ask him to do it. He just did it, and I was like, well, well. <laughs> there goes. <laughs> Very old Halo 2. <laughs> Time to mosey. I actually, it's funny because I was talking about reading the uh, the book Blood Meridian earlier, and everyone talks like that in this book. Like well. Everyone, everyone talks like the the old Southern man or that guy, and yeah, like everyone's just there over yonder. God damn it, Torgal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, this has been on my mind. I have to admit, Parker Mitchell wrote in and said, hey, CDC, with the love both Colin and Dustin showed to Final Fantasy 16, especially with regards to the story last week, I have to ask if anyone on the sacred crew would be willing to take the jump into the story of Final Fantasy 14, the other mainline Final Fantasy game under the purview of Creative Business Unit 3 at Square Enix. I know that with the exception of Chris and Destiny, which is perhaps more of a live service model than a traditional MMO, MMOs are not typically a part of anyone on the sacred crew's gaming habits, but Given that the most loved part of both 14 and 16 is the story, would anyone be interested in seeing what else CBU3 has to offer? If the game requires playing online with other people is, is a concern, you may be interested to know that the entirety of the game would be playable with AI allies instead of other players for every dungeon in the entirety of the game. Having now finished 16, I personally rank its story on equal standing with 14. I cannot recommend it enough if you are willing to give it a chance. Thank you all for the entertaining content and may the blessing of the crystals go with you. 
Thank you, Parker, for writing in. I think about this. I do. I mean, Final Fantasy 14 is a major blind spot in a series that I know pretty authoritatively. And I don't know why I've been 11 is like kind of dead and, and not possible. But I would even have I really should have paid more attention to that when the, the time was there too. not I, dead. Oh, it's, it's on a PC still. I learned that recently. You can still play it and they still do minor updates. Oh, interesting. It, so. So that's cool. So yeah. that's an option, too. It's like maybe these are things that you should just familiarize yourself with. And I was looking through my games a little while ago, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I have Final Fa- like something from Final Fantasy 14 in my library already that I think I bought during a sale. I don't know what it is because I think it's free up to a certain point. But then you play a monthly subscription, plus you pay for new content, I think. So that's correct. If I get in. I got to really be focused on that, like blazing through it. And what I'd really like to see, and I'll, I'll Google it, I'm sure they exist, is like, what should I do here? Like, how is the, what, what's the most efficient way for me to play it? I'm not looking to rush through it. I want to do all the side quests and t- take my time and explore and all that. But I just want to know what the most efficient, like, roadmap would be through the game. Not from a platinum standpoint or whatever, because I, I don't think there's any hope of that happening. I just don't have the patience or the time to play an MMO like that. But I am open to the idea of playing 14. I would definitely play it by myself, but I just don't know if or when or how that might happen. Are you in a similar place, Dustin, or what? Where, where are you on this? Yeah, this is something that Brad from Easy Allies asked me about probably once every three or four weeks about when I'm going to start playing 14. And I've noticed that it's not just him. It's people that play this game, love it, and always talk about it super highly. But to get through all the content is a serious undertaking. And... I just know for me, it's not going to be possible probably this year. I would like to do it at some point and maybe later in the year. It could be possible. But right now, there's just such an onslaught of games that are very tailored for me that Final Fantasy 14 is not in the mix. And also, I really the the monthly service fee, which I know you can play up to a really far point without it, though, I think there are some limitations with that. I the the service fee thing is feels gross to me. I know that that was the standard, but I'm just out of that now. And so I wouldn't want to pay it. So maybe at some point, but definitely not for a while. I mean, we got armored core in just a few weeks and then Starfield after that. So I can't I don't want to jump in until I can fully immerse myself. And now it's not the time. Chris, will you play as a, a healer in Final Fantasy 14? There's no chance in hell. Of, of... You can get cat ears. Yeah. You can be a cat-eared creature in 14. Yeah, you're really doing the opposite of selling. selling yes, yeah, fair enough. I've always I, been... I, yeah, I, no, I was going to say, because, like, dude, like, I, I, I'm behind on Destiny. And that's a game that I like a lot and have played for almost a decade. So, like, no. <laughs> like, like no like no shot am i ever catching up to this like it's one thing to get me to go back and play like a game a single game that i've missed out on right like that's fine but like something like final fantasy 14 which i've heard is really great but also inconceivably long i i i no man i i just don't have the patience or the or the time and there's so much coming out dude like there's just like every time i think about playing something like that I think about like what else is coming out and like or what what in my backlog is just sitting there that I haven't touched that I probably should finish. I, I, Metro Exodus is just sitting there right now. Like it's it's been staring at me for so long and I'm like, God damn, I really got to. I started Metro it Exodus. and then stopped playing it for some reason. I started you know, like, it. And st- yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, I 
well, there was just so much coming out at that time. Mm, that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't foresee 14 Final Fantasy 14 in my future. I think. My le- I'm a completionist when I play games and I think games are getting too big. And that's the one thing with 14 that just see it's like it. I don't want to just do it a little bit if I'm going to do it. It's like you said, Dustin, it's like you got to. You got to get in, you know, and Malls this deep. just this just seems so unnecessary, like a like another job, you know, getting balls deep into it, going just raw dog in Final Fantasy 14, potentially for months, year or longer at a time. I mean, how how can you how can you, you know, how could you do that? So. I just I don't know, I, I think that like intellectually, like I've been saying recently, it's intellectually, this sounds like a good idea, but. I don't know that I'm probably going to get 20 hours into this. And be like, I can't do this, man, for another 800 hours or whatever the fuck I have to do to see all this stuff. It's just you, you, at some point you have to accept that you're too far behind. But what's interesting is that this is like the that, that's like the most successful Final Fantasy ever by far. As far as money made and people playing it and all of that, it's like not even close. To yeah. to like 16 people are really overselling how 16 is selling. I think it's selling just fine. I think it's, I don't think it's selling great. I think it's selling good, especially week over week, but that's nothing to sneeze at three, 4 million copies. But, um, final fantasy 14, you know, profit dwarfs that. And the people that are involved in those games have been playing it for so long that it it just, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of getting stuck on a game. If I get stuck on a game for a month, I'm really upset and annoyed. And that's a, that would be a really long time for me to get stuck on a game. So anyway, let's move on to the news and uh, get into this. There's only a couple items this week, but they're both big and I wanted to discuss them. So oh, wait, hold one. on, hold on. Oh, what happened? I, I did want to ask about worms because he oh, did write down because oh, yeah. <laughs> Dustin, Dustin said he was playing worms. And I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, good. You playing the first one? Well, okay. so here's what happened is that I was trying to figure out a game we could all play together. And growing up, I was a big Worms fan. And so I was telling my dad, I was like, hey, they just put this first Worms game on PlayStation, (laughs) whatever, the premium service. I looked and I'm at that point in my subscription where I could upgrade for only five bucks for I think it was like. 90 days or something. I don't know what the, how the math worked, but I knew that worms was 10. I could upgrade for five and then I might play this twice at most. So I did the upgrade and we were playing worms. And I just remembered that first worms game. I I said, this as a joke a few weeks ago when they, when they uh, launched it, but it is true. Your worms are like four pixels tall. And that's it. You can barely see what's going on. I don't know how people with way smaller TVs back then could see anything going on in this game. But despite that, we had some fun playing it. We ended up switching over to Worms Armageddon, which is a just a huge, huge upgrade in terms of the amount of weapons, uh, the size of the characters. You can actually see what's going on. And it was fun because there we had those same type of classic moments where you you throw a grenade and you blow someone up and then they just happen to brush by someone they fall in the water there's all these like totally unplanned outcomes and it's just a a fun little party game that i I, if you've never played it you owe it to yourself to check out a worms game at least once the first one probably shouldn't 
unless you've got yeah. unless you've already played it before. It's it's not. Dude, you should see they have pre-rendered cutscenes in Worms that are <laughs> they're straight out of a bowling alley when you you know you get the strike or whatever and there's all the weird shit going on on the screens. That's what the Worms cutscenes are like. They're pretty cool for that reason. But yeah, just it's, a little it, Worms going on. <laughs> the Furman it's house. jarring. Those cutscenes are really jarring because I remember I started up some game on on Worms PS1. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It just cuts to a worm shooting an Uzi at a tree. And then like yeah. a bunch of dead worms fall out of the tree and then he and then he and then he turns to the camera and he goes and then he and mm-hmm. he just meanders away and I'm just like that was the cutscene for this yeah. for this Good game. Shit. And then you get into the game and then they are so small. I was like where are the worms? I thought maybe it had glitched or something and like they didn't show up but like no, they're really fucking small, dude. Like mm. shot like disturbingly small. But uh yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend the first worms other worms games are yeah. great though like the, like the second they got that art style lined up where they got like the the worms that we know today there's it's so hilarious like i love worms you got a shout out to some of the amazing weapons worms armageddon like the holy hand grenade that was legit when i was that age and we discovered the holy hand grenade that was peak comedy nothing was funnier than throwing that thing and blowing people up with the chorus that would come out or the super sheep was another great one where it yeah, the suicide bombing steep. Yeah, that was real good stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to skip you guys with these other games because there's another one here too. Do you have anything else to say about Metal Gear? No, uh, I kind of I kind of threw it into what I was talking about with Final Fantasy. All I had to say, I'm still enjoying it. Perfect handheld game like a way in a way that I really couldn't even believe when I'm when I'm playing it, mm-hmm. but I, I was <laughs> I really wanted to because I tried Worms earlier because I saw that he he wrote it down and I was like oh yeah that's right Worms is out and then I went and tried it myself and I was like yeah that's okay <laughs> that's yeah, that's not enough that for great. me <laughs> but I wanted to hear it makes you wonder why some of these games like it's cool to have access to everything that would be ideal to have access to everything in a digital way like if that's ever been made on any of these platforms but then there are games where I wonder if it's just nothing more than nostalgia obviously and I, I was thinking about that actually recently with them. Um, when they released Pursuit Force, the PSP game. And I was just went and looked at gameplay because it's been so long since I even played any PSP game. And I'm like, yikes. You know? I think a lot of people had that realization with Siphon, the Siphon Filter games too, where it's like, mm, yeah, they're fine. Jim, you know? is, well, it's Jim Ryan being like, who the fuck would ever want to play Siphon Filter? Yeah. Oh, Grant Turismo <laughs> said that about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was right. Maybe. A couple of news items here to get through, both PlayStation related. Let's talk about them. Number one. While there's admittedly not a whole lot to work with, the biggest news out of the world of PlayStation in the last week is undoubtedly new details about Naughty Dog's unannounced but still seemingly in development, The Last of Us Part 3. The rumors come from two typically reliable sources, and while these sources work more in the realm of film and TV than games, it would make sense that they would know these details that they're sharing as they read as they read like they're out of a casting call for actors. I'm sorry. The first set of rumors comes from Daniel Richtman, a movie and TV industry insider who said, quote, Part of the plot will be about a group of scavengers surviving on the outskirts of a post-apocalyptic city crammed into a Victorian house that serves as their base, end quote. There are five characters known, at least according to this rumor, three males, Lucas, Mason, and Ezra, and two females, Val and Gracie. Val is purportedly the leader of the small group and has a building, a budding rivalry with Ezra. Now, there's something interesting about this rumor worth noting, and it's in the Victorian house. One of the most famous cities with intact Victorian houses in all of America is San Francisco. And this is relevant because San Francisco is seemingly the setting of the currently in limbo The Last of Us multiplayer game, which has commonly been called Factions after the original game's multiplayer mode. 
So while potentially unlikely, it could be that fuses are being crossed about which The Last of Us game is being discussed. However, strengthening the first set of rumors is another rumor, this time from fellow TV and movie-centric leaker viewer Anon, who, in a series of tweets, noted that The Last of Us Part 3 is filming this year, presumably meaning motion capture, and that Ellie will indeed be in the third game, perhaps not a surprise to fans of the franchise, but something notably not in the original leak, which made it sound like a game about other people. As always, it's important to take these rumors with a grain of salt, but from my perspective, viewer Anon is especially worth listening to because old listeners of the show will recall that this very leaker insisted The Last of Us Part 3 was in development in 2022. That very same original leak indicated something else we already knew, that Naughty Dog's Uncharted franchise is in development somewhere else, as essentially, as I'm sorry, as teased in the most recent live action trailer from months ago. As for The Last of Us, its more immediate future is unknown. First launched on PS3 in 2013, on PS4 in 2014, and in so-called remake form on PS5 just last year. The Last of Us was followed by a sequel on PS4 in 2020. And earlier this year, The Last of Us became one of HBO's most popular shows ever, with a second season en route. However, not all is well. Reporting indicates newly acquired Sony studio Bungie has thrown the kibosh on The Last of Us' standalone factions game, at least from a long-tail point of view, which the studio apparently claims the game lacks. If and when it may see the light of day remains to be seen, though with potentially a couple hundred million dollars already dumped into it. It's like Sony will want to recoup its investment. Now, I want to underline something here because I think it's important. I'm not fully confident that that first leaker isn't talking about factions. I just think mm-hmm. that it's too weird to, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I really don't have any inside information on this. When I talk to Neil, I don't, I don't, I don't, the people I'm friends with that do this kind of stuff, I don't put them on the spot and ask them shit that they shouldn't be talking about. It's just not, not the way it works. So I really don't know anything, but I think that the way that it's described as a five characters in a Victorian house with that being noted, I just think San Francisco's aesthetic is entirely surrounding the Victorian house. We know based on artwork released about factions that it takes place in San Francisco. It would be weird for me if I'm making these tethers properly that they would have another game based in California or in San Francisco. I just I just think that would be weird. So and it not being about Ellie, like Ellie not being in that original leak. I'm like, I don't think you're talking about The Last of Us Part Three. And the reason that I think that's possible is because the leaker, while known in TV and movies, is not known in games. And so maybe they just don't know enough to be able to differentiate between the projects or maybe they're being fed wrong information or my I could be totally wrong. And the game could be about five random survivors in a Victorian house. But doesn't that sound like factions? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so anyway, uh, Dustin, let's go to you first. What do you think about what's happening here with uh, The Last of Us Part 3 potential rumors? Yeah, I'm in agreement that I think that that first one definitely sounds like factions. If it was Part 3, then it could be that there is a section or a slice of the game involving these characters, right? Because, I mean, when you when you think about Last of Us Part 1 or Part 2, uh, particularly part one, there are these different sections where you deal or are interacting with different groups of people. And so maybe this could be one of those groups. Right. But I think it is more likely that that could be a, a factions related thing. And then as far as just the overall rumors about Last of Us part three, I think that when we were hearing rumors before, it was kind of a. And not even rumors, but Neil talking, saying like, oh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know yet. I think that was kind of in the midst of a lot of the HBO show stuff. And I think that now, especially in hindsight, looking at how big the show was and 
um, just how it brought people outside of gaming into this world and into PlayStation and this idea of like what gaming can be. I'm sure that there's like, okay, we, we have the opportunity to really capitalize now. In fact, I think there was something about, um, maybe it was in the FTC documents or something about PlayStation getting into these, the mega IP. And I'm sure they're looking at this like, Hey, we've got two last of us games that were super successful. We now have a super successful HBO show, one of the biggest shows on HBO ever. If we're going to do part three, now's the time to do it. So and I kind of hope I know that earlier our conversations were kind of mixed on the idea of a part three, just because there is this saturation point where we it starts to get a little tiresome. And I think particularly for us as commentators in the space, we are always talking about Last of Us all the time. And for good reason, because of how important it is. But I think that despite that, it would be best for Naughty Dog. I think it's like, okay, let's let's put a cap on this now when everything is so big. And then from there, they're kind of released from from Last of Us. It sounds negative in that way, like they're beholden to this IP. But I think they can kind of conclude the story with with part three and then they're truly free especially with uncharted being at another team to just go and do whatever they want at this point what do you make of this chris i'm curious to get your take on it yeah i mean i think i think you guys are probably right in the sense that it's it's factions or if not it might be like maybe some but you because you'd imagine you spend a lot of time and a lot of resources building out uh, play spaces and and AAA looking environments maybe you might want to capitalize on that by maybe getting some mileage out of it. it it could be potentially that there is a part of the last of us part three that does intersect with you know characters that you meet in factions in some way like that's that's a possibility but as far as i don't know as, as far as the last of us part three I, I think we talked about this a couple well not a couple episodes probably many many episodes ago but they are definitely making it. <laughs> I think like Colin said uh, a lot of times that the the second one necessitates a sequel more than the first one did. So I don't know. I don't know when we're going to see this thing, but I, I would imagine that it's it's at least because didn't Neil Druckmann say that it was written at least? Yeah, like, he said that they have the idea. Capacity? They just don't they just don't know if they were going to do it or not. But yeah, he said that I think in right. 2021. Yeah, so I mean, it, it could be that. uh Things are ramping up. I, I I would imagine by now that there's something fairly solid kind of in gestation at the very least. But, you know, I, I I'm tired personally <laughs> of, of The Last of Us. Like, I don't I don't want any more, but I know it's kind of inevitable. So now it's just a matter of time. Now you just got to wait. But if, if I were a betting man, I would say that this was factions. Yeah, I, th- I think again that I think the two of them are talking about two different games. And yeah, listen, <laughs> No one wants The Last of Us Part Three without Ellie in it. So if you're if you're planning some shit where it's about like five survivors in a Victorian house or whatever with like a power struggle between them, I don't think so. I don't think I mean, I'll play whatever you put in front of me. It'll probably end up being awesome. I, I have no doubt. But that's not The Last of Us. Like the core Last of Us is about Ellie. And that does need to be wrapped up. 
I think. And I think that they will. And I think they should. And I think there's every reason that, to believe that they're going to do that, especially with the success of the HBO show. I mean, to, to that point, my when I saw my dad, actually, a week or two ago, he was down here to see my, one of my nephews was in a play. So he was down here and I went to dinner with him and he, and he was saying how he watched the HBO show, The Last of Us, and how, how much he loved it. So my dad doesn't know shit about games. You know, he doesn't care at all. So it's definitely like a crossover property with a lot of potential. But I just want to say that I think the game the first person is describing is factions. The only thing that indicates that it wouldn't be is that they it sounds like mocap, like they're, they're casting for, for these people. So if that's true, then they that wouldn't really be happening for a game that was so deep in development unless they're doing like a lot of story features. I mean, you could imagine a game, in other words, being built as a service very much like The Division and then spliced in between all of that is the context of scenes that they're getting into later or whatever. I have no idea, but I just don't know if I, I guess maybe it's a little bit more of wishful thinking than anything else to hope that they're not talking about The Last of Us Part 3 because that just doesn't sound right. Unless that's literally just one random scene that Ellie ha- ha- happens upon and just like one random part of the game. But it better be about Ellie. And the second person says that it's certainly about Ellie. And so we'll see what happens. But it's always good to hear some Last of Us rumors. And I'm excited to uh, to hear more about the second season of of the HBO show, especially. And I don't think we're going to be getting anything for that until next year. Okay. Number two, something weird is almost certainly going on with PlayStation's embryonic mobile games initiative. As you may recall, just last week, we reported that Nicola Sebastiani, one of the pioneers of Apple's megalithic app store, a founding member of Apple Arcade and a key poach Sony made just a couple of years ago to run their PlayStation Studios mobile vertical, left Sony, leaving the initiative in the hands of Chris Davies and Olivier Courtmanche. But you may recall that Sony made its first mobile studio purchase in the form of Savage Game Studios just last year a European outfit run by the studio's managing director, Mikhail Katkoff. Savage is apparently at work on a new Sony IP specifically for mobile, and its nature is totally unknown. But but according to a widely shared LinkedIn post, Katkoff is now also leaving Sony with, as was the case with the wider silo, a duo of people taking on his responsibilities. According to a post on Katkoff's LinkedIn post, he quite carefully doesn't say he's leaving on his own accord. Instead, noting in part, quote, why am I leaving? Well, For as long as I remember, my mentality was to push tirelessly to pursue my career and financial goals. Little did I know this pursuit came at the expense of friendships, parental life, marriage, and mental health. Needless to say, my life got out of balance, and now I'm taking a good amount of time to course correct and find equilibrium, end quote. While it's possible Katkoff did indeed leave on his own volition, it would make absolutely no sense for him to do so, since he is no doubt well within his vesting period and having sold his studio to Sony. Directors of newly acquired teams don't just leave. You'll remember, however, that a similar story played out with newly acquired Sony Team Haven just last year when one of its co-founders left, though that happened before the acquisition. Nonetheless, Savage will be left in the hands of Mike McManus as director and Najim Ajir, one of Savage's other co-founders, will run the day to day. Based out of both Berlin, Germany and Helsinki, Finland, Savage's website describes the team as making, quote, action games with epic stories to foster connections with players around the world, end quote. Later, they write in part, quote, our mission is to amass a stellar list of action games over the next decade by focusing on building a core that teams can fork and build from through clever hiring, smart live services and effective publishing. Our engine will allow internal, external and mixed teams to focus on game design and vision without having to resolve core problems in shipping and operating games. End quote. I'm curious what you guys make of. uh, Is is there any connection here? Do you think am I I conspiratorial? I just feel like this obviously like a shakeup going on here. So to, to back up. As I noted, Nicola Sebastiani 
started at Sony in the summer of 2021 and basically got their their entire project, their mobile project off the ground and did all the hiring. He was a key figure in the 2022 acquisition of the once independent European mobile games developer Savage, which is now a PlayStation studio. He leaves. Then the next week, it is announced that the person who runs Savage is also leaving. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. I just think that that's a little strange. Both of them leaving within their <laughs> vesting periods, by the way, like well within their vesting periods. Your, your creative director is invested for one year. Yeah, try it, five, it, you know, at least. <laughs> so I, he they either walked away from a lot of money. Sony paid them out. There's something in their contract letting them go or they really did want to leave. I, I don't know that I believe that they're unrelated to each other, though. Chris, you have something to say? Well, no, I mean, I, I obviously pure speculation, <laughs> but it is. I don't know. The timing is is bizarre. There's definitely some kind of shakeup happening. I don't, I don't know what the, what. The, obviously, we can't speak as to why or, or what the reasons are. I would, although I would imagine, I would imagine, and again, this is more speculation that these projects are probably not looking so great. I can't. I can't imagine another scenario like unless both of these people did something really bad. Like re like uniquely bad where they were just like, you got to go, you know, like for for the sake of like everybody, you got to get it. I didn't realize you were microwaving babies, you know, in the office break room. (laughs) So you got to get the hell out of here. But it's it's weird. It's 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 weird, especially given the the vesting period, which is clearly not done. It's it's weird given the the acquisition. It's 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 all of this is bizarre. There's something. Yeah, I think Dustin will go to you with this. I, I see if you have anything else to say. My, my theory, and this is just a theory, like I, literally just a conspiracy theory at, at the very best, because I don't have any insight. And I don't give a flying fuck about mobile gaming anyway. So it's not like something I would even really be interested to follow up with. But it seems to me like they hire this guy. He gets their their mobile game vertical going. He insists on having them spend X amount of money based on what studio. I mean, Microsoft spent one hundred and twenty seven million dollars on Ninja Theory. So I can only imagine that we're talking about a substantial amount, tens of millions at the very least, if not a hundred million or more to fork over for a mobile game studio to kind of buff themselves out and get going. And then they realize that Sony under these reviews that have clearly been going on that have also got you know people from Media Molecular out and, and so on and so forth. They're like, well, you guys aren't deli- there's something wrong, like there's just something wrong. And that and that begins with the person who started the initiative and the person who made the investment in the first studio. That's my theory, because I just. Everyone out there knows it doesn't make any sense if you are part of a purchase acquisition to leave within the vesting period, right? Like you don't leave until you are fully bought out. If you if you were bought out that quickly, you would leave immediately. So that's why. It, it it just doesn't wash. He sold his stu- it's his studio. You know, so I, I just think that that's it's it's a mobile game studio. No one knows anything about. And I think that's why the drama isn't higher that this happened, because I think this actually looks like a, a black eye for PlayStation, if I'm being honest. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there could be an element too where I just wonder that if there is conflict between both this uh, Nicola guy and the the head of Savage, where Sony doesn't has never really figured out how to do mobile at all. And so maybe there is an element where they're trying to do things 
their way in the in the traditional mobile sense way and and sony wants to do things a different way and so there is a a conflict there where that eventually like you said con leads to dismissal right i made the argument when when we talked about uh initially about about this that i just wonder if sony is looking at this now and thinking like man maybe we shouldn't have really even bothered you know, maybe we should have just been focusing on what our bread and butter is that we don't need to change ourselves to account for this market that maybe we have no real business being in. And like I said last time, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but even Nintendo's kind of felt felt the need to be there and now is kind of bowing out. So it feels a little late at this point for Sony to really be doing a big mobile initiative outside of the main thing I could speculate in seeing is just that they saw the success of a game like Fortnite where you could play it anywhere. And for a long time, you could play it on iPhone as well. Uh, Not anymore because of a whole different separate issue, but you still can play it on Android and stuff like that. And so maybe they were thinking like, well, if we do a big, live service game that really catches on. We need to have a mobile version of it and account for that. But I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit putting the cart before the horse. And this isn't exactly what it sounds like Savage was designed to do. So I don't know. I'm not saying to to shut down the team and the initiative, but at some point they got to make something happen if they if it's worth, you know, get some returns on that investment, because right now it doesn't really seem to be much of anywhere. Yeah, like I'm trying to do the detective work just in my mind. It's not even detective work. It's really all conjecture. But how do you end up with a with a with an outcome that has these that has the co-founder of the app store at Apple? So like a really huge talent, right? That mm-hmm. helped launch Apple Arcade. He leaves after less than two years, right? And he was certainly under contract. He certainly made a ton of money. He certainly had all sorts of investment in staying. I mean, that's the way it works at that level. Then the the studio that he spearheads buying has their guy leave after one year. Well, probably not even 20% through his period of getting all of his money. And I think doesn't quite say that he's leaving on his own accord in the LinkedIn post. Although, you know, it indicates he wants to spend more time with his family. I mean, he's rich. I mean, he doesn't have to worry too much about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Congratulations to him. He was rich before he sold the studio. But I I think that that seems to indicate. Oh, so there's actually more to my detective work here. Sony replaces Sebastiani with two people. And then Savage's leadership is is replaced by two people. Now, studios are often run by two people, an operations person and a director, right? Something like that. But this indicates to me, if I'm being a conspiracy theorist, as I am, that they amassed these people. They gave individual people lots and lots of power and it didn't quite work out either too much work, bad decision making, whatever. It seems like, in other words, they're trying to split up the risk. Now they have two guys replacing this person. They have two guys replacing this person and so on and so on and so forth. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I think that. You know, when you read Savage's website, like I did, it indicates that they want to make a platform of quick release games. That's how I interpret it. This seems to stand in stark contrast. Now that could be fr- that could be old copy from a website that comes from before they were acquired. But when you go to their website, it says that they're a PlayStation studio and it seems to indicate different than what the announcement blog on PlayStation blog 
said about what they were working on and why they were being purchased. I do think, though, Dustin, to your point, that Sony very much wants to be in mobile because they look at how much money they make in Call of Duty and then they realize that something like four times more people play Call of Duty on mobile phones than they do on PlayStation. And then I think their eyes light up like fucking crazy, you know, because Call of Duty on mobile is ridiculously big as far as player count is concerned. And I think that they. They want a piece of that game, and I, I think if anything, Dustin, I mean, another theory could be that it's like you guys are we're taking too long. Like, what is going on? Like, what, what are the plans? It's not to say like we're getting a game going, but like, where is the spool up? Like, what are we doing? Are we going to. Are we going to start going? And so it could be that, but I, we're never going to know. It's very frustrating. It's very similar to what happened at Media Molecule, very similar to what happened at Pixel Opus. These things are all connected. They are like they have to be. Mm-hmm. In some like in some sense. So another connection to make Colin is probably mm-hmm. Sony looking at trying to get their own Genshin Impact type game. Certainly. And I so, wonder, I mean, they're all, I wonder they're if that's all over. Posi- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, if like an acquisition. Mioyo. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say oh. that I wonder if um if they're looking at mobile development or at least something along these lines that it's like, yeah, we can. This is a mobile game that we can also have run on PlayStation as well. Cause I would imagine that's the case for Genshin impact that they have to start with the lowest console and they can have something like that as a live service game. Could be they, they, they have a, re- a deep relationship with Mihoyo going like even star rail or whatever that game, hunk guy star rail, the mm-hmm. fucking yeah. ridiculous name. That game is huge. Like Genshin, it's not as big as Genshin impact, but it could be. They've been wise to make these like little tethers in these connections. By the way, I was just looking it up to wit. Call of Duty mobile player base. The last 30 days. 58.9 million players. (laughs) That's so crazy. (laughs) I can't conceptualize that even slightly. Like the idea that you would want to play something like Call of Duty on a fucking touch screen. I, I... Hey, man, what do you you say about it? I don't even know. You know, know, God bless, you know. All right, my friends. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, that is. That is literally it. Let's just keep it. (laughs) Literally, like, God bless. Have fun. Fucking psychos. All right. Let's get into the uh, six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to end this episode of Sacred Symbols. We always draw these from our weekly thread on Patreon, patreon.com slash last day media. I post a thread on Wednesdays. You can post in their response with your inquiries. I comb through them, try to include as many of them as I can in the show. I delete that post when I'm done with it so that you don't waste your time posting when I'm no longer reading it. It goes live the next Wednesday and so on and so forth. Jambi wrote in and said, hello, bodacious men. Hope you're all doing well. What are y'all's thoughts on Souls-inspired 2D Metroidvania games? Colin, you've spoken highly of Hollow Knight, but I've never heard you talk about games like Blasphemous and the recently re-revealed The Last Faith. Dustin and Chris, have you dabbled in traditional? Uh, I'm sorry, Chris, Dustin and Chris have dabbled in traditional Soulsborne, Soulsborne games. Does this transition to the 2D space? Curious to hear your thoughts. Love the work you all do. So it's funny because I don't maybe I'm totally wrong, but I don't really consider Hollow Knight a Soulsborne game, although it is brutally hard. I beat it. And it's not that hard to beat, but it is hard to do the optional shit in the game. And there's like a lot of it. So mm-hmm. I will. and And I think. What what Silk Song the sequel probably gonna kick my ass but I'm gonna be playing but I don't really think about it that way Blasphemous I did play a little bit and I love the aesthetic but I wasn't really feeling the gameplay it was very heavy 
I will leave the question to you guys. Chris, let's go to you first. Does are you interested in 2D Soulsborne games? And and does it do you even feel like it translates? Because I even have a problem with that notion in 2D just because I think there are really fucking hard 2D games, notoriously hard 2D games. And I think there are hard 2D genres like bullet hell games. But I naturally 3D games are so much harder that or can be so much harder that Mm -hmm. there's a limit to a 2d space and so i don't think you ever really capture the soulsborne i've never played a game in 2d that frustrated me like elden ring not even close you know um so so uh, talk to me about that a little bit i don't know i i think it's i have a trouble i have trouble the same way you do in 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 connecting those dots because like it like i've played hollow knight and i i'm really bad at hollow knight like i don't know what it is maybe i didn't give it really my all but like i i got lost and that's really the biggest that's the biggest problem for me with uh 2d with 2d games that kind of focus on this um this metroidvania style kind of like go around um and and lose yourself in a labyrinth i get extra lost in 2d games despite the fact that it's theoretically more limited and you can really only go like up down left right for some reason those four directions will tangle me up in ways that a pure complete 360 degree of three-dimensional motion can. I think it's largely because, you know, you have points of reference. It's like skylines and, and, you know, atmosphere and, and, and just general, I, I, I feel more grounded in 3d. And so in a lot of 2d, 2d games like that, I just get lost. And I, that's what frustrates me more than combat. I've never stopped playing a game like Hollow Knight or Dead Cells or or anything like that because it's been difficult and definitely not because it's been as difficult as any Soulsborne game. Like I, I have trouble making that connection, but I just get so fucking lost. And then I, I have no idea how to get back to where I was going, even even with the map, you know, like the map almost confuses me even more. We're like, OK. Uh, I got to go down and then, but that's not even exactly true because sometimes you got to loop around and like something might might be right next to you, but you got to go through this like different corridor. I don't know. 2d, 2d Metroidvania games like that. Always. I love them and I appreciate them, but I'm, I'm so bad at finishing them. I just don't have the situational, the, the 2d situational awareness to do it. Yeah. I love, I mean, Metroidvanias are probably in my top three or top, maybe top five genres. Yeah. I love them. And it's funny, man, because what you're saying about the map is so interesting, because I think that the DS Castlevania games, the three of them on DS were so popular because the map was on the top screen and you didn't have to. Or I was actually on the bottom screen, I guess. And you wouldn't you didn't have to constantly go into it. So you kind of yeah. like track it yourself along. When I think about games like Shadow Complex, which is one of my very favorite Metroidvania games from the Xbox 360, mm-hmm. I loved that game. And that was like a manageable brief Metroidvania, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like five hours, seven hours long. You don't have to get too crazy with it. It happens in real time. The thing I think that is lost on a lot of people with 2D games that I think turns some people off, especially 2D Metroidvanias, is the fog of war in games like that inherently is so heavy because you just have no vision. It doesn't matter where yeah. you are. You cannot see anything else than what is on your screen. And I know that sounds intuitive, but think about the way, like you said, if you're in you're in like the field in Hyrule in Ocarina of Time, you can like turn your camera around and go and look around and see any different direction. But if you're in like just a place in a Metroidvania game, you're just in a part in the map. The only way, way you have any context of where you are is either you remember or you look at the map. <laughs> and I think that yeah. that's a that kind of fog of war is difficult. 
for some people to deal yeah. with, I think. Yeah, it totally screws me up. Yeah. Like Hollow Knight, I, I just I did not know where to go at one point. And, and the, it's such a big meandering play space that I, I remember at a certain point, I was just like looking around for for a while. And I was like, I guess I'll try this tomorrow. And then I didn't <laughs> like I, I I don't know. I wasn't I either didn't play a game that day at all or I was like playing other stuff. And then I and then but before you know it, you know, it's been a couple days. And then I'm back into Hollow Knight, and then I now I don't even remember what the fuck I was doing or why I was trying to go. And that's the wrong game to to walk away from, you know. I know, like, I know, I know. I didn't. Even, I was like four hours into it too, which is I like think a, I'm gonna play it again. Like an awkward amount of time. Yeah, like I, I think I think to even be better for Silk Song, I'm gonna probably just play it all again, and that maybe try to go for the platinum. But the platinum is very very hard. I think I'm I'm biting off more than I can chew with that because. I'm just not very good anymore. And I got to say this. Actually, no, I'm going to save it. We have, an, we have another comment about it, but I'm going to save it and, and we'll, we'll get there later. Dustin, do you have anything you want to add before we move on? None of these games have really hooked me in any major way. Some of the ones I have played, I've played some of Hollow Knight. That's the one I feel the most like I want to get back to at some point. And I was the same place as Chris where I was getting lost and, and frustrated Again, it was one of those times where something else was out. So I was kind of sharing time with it and ended up leaving it behind. And it's funny, I was looking at lists to think of other games that are considered 2D Souls-like games and and Dead Cells is one of them. I put a good amount of time into that and eventually burned myself out. Blasphemous is interesting to me. I think I played that. I don't know if it was in early access. I know I played a little bit of it and I don't. I think that it's the same thing with other souls like games where I don't know if I'm just looking for that in other types of games really outside of the ones that from software makes. And and maybe that's a little bit elitist, but when, especially when it comes to 2d games, I'm more and more recently, instead of looking for Metroidvania games, looking for, I'd rather play a platformer, I think than a, uh, a Metroidvania game, but there is a glut. Of also, me- there's a glut of Metroidvanias right now, which is yeah, it's a lot. dude. So many roguelike Metroidvania yeah. games too. I'm just over that. Which not all of these are roguelikes, you know, but some of them are. And so, yeah. yeah but I don't know. I, we'll see. Some Hollow Knight, like I said, is the one I want to get back to at some point. Yeah, I, I just wish I didn't get lost. Like even games that I really, really like. Like I'll just get lo- like I loved Guacamelee. Like I really loved it. But then I just got lost and then I, I just got frustrated and, and then stopped. And same thing with. Uh, oh, my. Oh, my God. What's that song? What's that? Not that song. That game where you can Colin, you loved it. It was um, the, the one where you transform into different things. Oh, uh, nobody, um, nobody, nobody saves, saves the, world. the world. Yeah, I had. I loved nobody saves the world. Like I really had a great time with it. And then I got to a place where I needed to go somewhere and I fucking could not for the life of me figure out how to get there and i spent like a good amount of time trying i was like i am lost and nobody can help me and i'm really bad about it because like i i don't like and maybe you know what this might be like my trophy thing where colin has this 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 method of engaging with games that arguably makes them somewhat worse i refuse to look up guides for the overwhelming majority of the time that i'm playing any any kind of game like if i get stuck I'm probably not going to look up a guide, even if it's a game that I really, really love and I really, really want to get through. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. If I get stuck, it's like, that's it. Hmm. I'm out. I'm dead. This game, the, the game killed me. I'm gone. 
<laughs> because I feel like I lose in some That's way. My it's, it's so interesting because I was having an, uh, uh, an opposite experience with Final Fantasy 16 where, you know, this 37 or 40 hours in or whatever I'm, I am right now in the game, I have not looked up anything at all, which is very unusual because I get very impatient with games. If it's yeah. like I run into something where I'm like, it's like, oh, you can't. I'm like, all right, I just I don't want to. I always bring up Resident Evil in that situation. I'm like, I'm not doing this. So what is the fucking solution of the puzzle so I can just move on and shoot things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, but I'm I'm finding that Final Fantasy 16 is the rare game that I actually haven't looked up anything. There's no need, really. It's yeah. somewhat linear and self-explanatory. But there have been a few times <laughs> where I'd, I could see myself maybe being like, Ugh, I don't really want to do this. But um, by the way, he shouted out that game in his in his letter here. What was your name again? Uh, Jambi. He shouted out the game, The Lost, uh, The Last Faith. And that game looks fucking awesome. But and trust me, that's all on my mega on my radar because it looks like a Castlevania game. But it's supposed to be. And apparently the developer really does play up that it's a Souls like. And I just don't want mega difficult games in my life like that. But it does look yeah. awesome. All right. Kyle Taylor wrote in and said, hey, DDC, intended order. Hope you guys are well. That's not very nice. This one is primarily for Dustin. Dustin, you said on last week's show that you purchased the DualSense Edge. What are your feelings on it? I bought it around two months ago due to never owning a premier controller, and I just dived into Elden Ring and now Final Fantasy 16. I love the mapping functionality and the ergonomic aspect, but my God, the battery life sucks. Do you share similar feelings? Thanks, guys, for the ridiculous value. LSM provides. I am curious to hear more. You mentioned your dual sense edge. I'd like to know more about it. I, I bring this up and this is what I was going to say about segueing to another topic just a few moments ago. I feel in my hands, something is going wrong in my, and like in my right hand over the last couple of years. Remember when I was playing God of War Ragnarok and I was saying like the tapping of the triggers was like really hurting my hand. And I thought it was that, but now I'm realizing that you're like going between, you know, circle square, and triangle on the D-pad in Final Fantasy 16, I'm getting this pain like in my hand here. And I'm wondering, I'm like, oh shit, like maybe this is all starting to catch up with me no matter how I need to maneuver my hands. Any sort of dexterous movement is hurting me. And I was thinking about the edge myself. So I'm cu- on that note, I'm curious to see how this, uh, this expensive and apparently sophisticated controller is working for you so far. Yeah, it's definitely expensive at 200 bucks. And I gotta say so far, it's not... I guess the biggest point of comparison first is what I should say is the Xbox Elite controller, which I also have that. And as far as the way it feels in your hands, it's not doesn't feel quite as nice, in my opinion. It does have a a lot of essential features, which is why I bought it. The main thing for me is the back buttons and that I like the ability to map different things to those buttons. I finally bit the bullet and got it because I wanted to be able to map the dodge button and the jump button when I played Final Fantasy to those back buttons. And so that's what I've been doing in combination with Final Fantasy 16. I am using I can't remember if it's control B or C, one of the two where your attack is mapped to R1 to just to try to avoid the repetitious tapping with my thumb, because that's what makes me be in pain. So for me, it's almost the way I was, I was talking to Holly about it. I'm like, this is kind of like my accessibility controller. It's not really I don't need something crazy. I just want to be able to move repetitive actions off my thumbs. And so moving forward, those back buttons will be really helpful. It feels a little bit different. The grip on the back feels a little nicer, I guess. 
Uh, I don't know how exactly to describe it. I don't, it's like soft touch or something like that. So that's nice. You can swap out the sticks. It's the the Xbox Elite controller is magnetic and they're actual metal sticks and they feel high quality. The way these click on and off feels n- nowhere near as nice uh, as far as uh, like they, they you kind of just rip them out. It almost feels like you're breaking them in some way. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the feature where you can fully replace the sticks, but I'm I'm not going to open that up for no reason. That whole aspects of the controller you like pop the face plate off and you can sw- swap the sticks in and out it's nice to know that it's there in case one of your sticks does go that you'll be able to pay the privilege to fix your fucking controller if it drifts mm. so thanks for that sony for giving us the ability to pay for that really really appreciate it instead of just using good sticks you know that <laughs> is uh, is nice but there's also the the hairline trigger feature which if i was playing shooters would be nice, but I'm not using that either. So ultimately, it's not really that worth it for me outside of those back buttons. And it's worth mentioning because, Kyle, you bring this up. Battery life is definitely slightly worse on this thing, which is just it's fine for me because I have one of those docks where just when I'm done playing, I put it back on the dock. And so for it's overall not a problem, but I have noticed that there's been one or two times where I haven't put on the dock. I'm like one bar left. Really? Really? We're at one bar already. So it's, it's, it's pretty shocking. And I, I don't know. I think I saw a teardown. It's just that because of the housing of the in and out of the sticks, there's a, they ended up having to put a slightly smaller battery in it is the, the issue. So it just feels unacceptable. I had to charge it here while I'm at my parents. And I was thinking about when I had my switch here, when I was playing tears of the kingdom last time I used the pro controller the whole time I was here and the week before and part of the week after and never had to charge it. So, and I understand that there's not the advanced haptics. Well, there is nicer haptics in the pro controller, but doesn't have the, the adaptive triggers or anything, but still it's, it's totally, totally night and day different. So if you're interested in picking one of these up, I think that it's important that you know exactly why you want to use it. Uh, if you have a specific feature, if you like the ability to map those back buttons or you want to get the hairline triggers for FPS games or something like that, there is other customization features that I understand how they work, but I don't understand why you would want to do it necessarily. It has to be some hardcore shooter shit where you can adjust the response curve of the sticks so they kind of can can ramp up or they can be more linear in when you press them left and right. Some people that may be interesting to you, but I don't really understand what I would use it for. So it's probably overpriced. So if you want it and you're just looking for a controller that feels a little nicer in your hand, don't buy it. It's definitely not worth it just for that. You got to have a specific use case. Mm. Any interest in, in this from you, Chris? No, I, I honestly like I found myself playing a lot of my games. Uh, and this is interesting because I, I feel like uh, at least Dustin's brought it up. Just the ergonomics of it being a little bit weird where like I, I do find myself often making the decision to play my multi-platform games off of PlayStation because the 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 controller does bother me 
after a certain amount of time. Like it actually, and it doesn't, and I don't have this problem with any other controller. Like it doesn't hurt me. Like I, I could use the Xbox, the, the PS4, the Xbox one, the, the series X controllers. Like they all, like I can play extended periods of time with them, but uh, even in, in my, you know, my binging of final fantasy 16, I've noticed that like, Oh man, I'm starting to, I'm getting a little pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I'm, I don't have that experience with anything else. So I don't think it's like, a, oh, I'm getting old, although it might be, but like it, I, I, it's something's up, something's up with the, with the dual sense. Cause that's mm-hmm. weird that it would happen to me and Dustin. And it, it's sounds like it's happening with you. Although like you only play on PlayStation. And so many others. No, yeah. And many, yeah. People so let that, me know all the time. There's something up. There's something up. So like, I, I don't know if I would invest in, in a, in a, like a $200 version of something that already kind of hurts, especially because like, quite frankly, I used the Xbox one that was, it was great, but I also didn't need it. Like it was, it was something that I, I very quickly realized that like, this is a very dope piece of tech. Um, it feels really nice to hold, but I would, I remember I would leave it charging and then I would use my normal controller for the series X or whatever. And I would feel like I wasn't really missing much. Like it's nice to have and it's, it's a nice build and it's, it's, it's worth it. If you're really going to take advantage of those hair triggers and then like it's taking it, taking the sticks out. But for me, I never really, I never bothered with back pedals. I never bothered changing the sticks out for any real specific use case. I never really messed around with the triggers. So to me, it was just like a nice heavier controller, which, uh, I don't really need, you know, I have my two dual senses and uh, I just alternate them when they, you know, when the, when the battery dies. And that's, that's really all I need. I don't know if I'm really in the market for highly conceptual, like new um, modular controllers as much as I like the idea. And I think they're cool and I think they should continue to exist. I think I just don't need them. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if there is something about the dual sense. I have a hard time believing that there's something specific about the dual sense. As much as I think that we're all just getting older, because I, I think I just think about the ergonomic reality of some of the old controllers that I used to play with. And it's like, <laughs> think, about true, like yeah. a, think about like a grown man holding an any like my dad holding an NES controller. That, that's a comical. The yeah. NES, yeah, <laughs> the NES controller didn't necessarily demand as many hours from you, though, necessarily. I mean, you could spend like a lot of time playing. I don't know any number of old games that took a while, but at the same time, you're probably not it's not the same amount of dexterous kind of motions that are going to be happening when you're playing like a devil may cry or yeah, that's true or a final fantasy. So I don't know, man, I'm starting to think I'm starting to wonder if there might be something because I, I straight up like sincerely don't have this problem when I don't use the controller, no matter how long I'm playing. The only game that fucks me up even close to it is, is crash team racing. And that's because that game is fucked. And it's not kind at all. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Alan Sweeney wrote in, said, hey, CBC, I've been absolutely loving Final Fantasy 16 so far. The story, the combat, the music, the little touches like the 16 bit save sprites. But something that's surprisingly adding to my overall experience is when I'm playing it at night, relaxing with everyone in my household to sleep, the window open to the cool summer air and sounds of the city. Something about summer gaming just hits differently and triggers nostalgia for countless hours spent grinding and leveling characters until the sun comes up with nary a responsibility on the horizon. Just wondering if the Sacred Crew has any fond memories of summer gaming that stand out to them. You know, it's funny, man, because thanks for writing in, by the way, Alan. 
summer gaming used to mean something so different than what I imagine it must mean now because the advantage we had when I was a kid and certainly I think it was the same with you guys as well those years later was there weren't games really coming out over the summer or it was pretty rare to have a big game like I think KOTOR was like a random big summer game like it, it, it wasn't something that often happened and I used to look at my summertime in like middle school and high school as like how can I use this time to catch up on things that I've missed and kind of clear my plate so a lot of summer gaming for me was me catching up on things I just wasn't able to dedicate time to during the regular year. And now it must be so complicated because you're getting real releases all year, including in the spring and the summer, right before Christmas, all that you have no no respite. So you really do have to pick and choose. And I feel I feel for kids. It's so funny because there are like, what, seven or eight hundred NES games total. And yeah. that many games comes to PlayStation 5 in probably a half a year. You know, like when you look, think about all the garbage, the PSN stuff, the stuff you don't even see on the store anymore because they hide it. It's, yeah. a, it's a lot to distract you. So I think summer gaming probably hits a little differently now than it used to, which is probably, Alan, why it feels a little nostalgic because it's not necessarily the game. You would have never played, in my experience, a game like Final Fantasy 16 in July. That would be like the weirdest time to ever release a game, you know? But it's not that way anymore. And uh, so anyway, Chris, what are your summertime gaming memories, if any? I don't know. I I think I I would for for me specifically, I remember it picking up a lot once online came into the picture, like the second Xbox Live was real. And I remember I think the summer of 2006, I got my 360 and I hooked it up to the Internet. And I remember playing a lot. I, I think like the Lost Planet, Lost Planet had a multiplayer demo that I was like all over and. And uh, Halo 2, I was delving into because I had never really experienced multiplayer before on my own. I'd always like played it like with my cousins at their house on split screen and stuff, but I never really got it. And so I think from that point on, even in high school, it was like summer was summer wasn't necessarily catching up on games that I missed. Summer was, oh, we got a lot of time. Let's let's do all of the shit that we don't have time to do or, or that we had, we would have to, we would have to go to sleep early throughout school to do, or that that would like impede us from doing. So it was, it was a lot of like gears, a lot of call of duty, a lot of left for dead, a lot of these like co-op experiences. I remember mass effect threes co-op being like a big, a big thing for a while. And so it really was like a multi like it's so it's it's a little bit funny because like during the school year and in and, and through my time in college that was the time for single player stuff <laughs> because oh i could you know i could do my homework and then i could bump out a couple chapters get a couple of hours of skyrim in and i wouldn't have to it wouldn't rely on anybody else being awake you know i, I could just do it on my own time and then i could save whenever i wanted i remember skyrim was a big game in college like that was my first year of college. Worst possible time for a game like that to come out, by the way. Absolute sabotage. Like you would have not yeah, even like 2011. So many, it would have been. I, it. it was it was November of 2011. So like the people like my first semester in college completely. De- I watched people too. Like I watched people get completely fucking derailed by that game and it was it was a hilarious side there, there's entire features that are altered because skyrim completely fucked somebody's academic career up from specifically from my exact generation i funnily i didn't get until march because i was still kind of like i had this attitude of like yeah whatever little dominoes uh, todd howard releases skyrim big domino 
sleeping in <laughs> Skid Row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I think s- summer was like mostly a multiplayer time, and I could, I would, I would still spend a lot of time doing multiplayer throughout throughout the school year and stuff. But summer was really the time where it's like, dude, we're gonna get up at like eleven a.m. and we're not gonna stop until we're fucking tired. We're not going to stop playing until literally one of us needs to go because we're passing out and we need an IV or something. And that was that was a special time. Dustin, any summertime memories? Oh, yeah. For me, this was all about the ability to stay up as late as I wanted. As Chris was just saying, the absolutely particularly later in high school, I was I was playing World of Warcraft just on this in the summers because I wanted to make sure that if I was paying the subscription, it was a during a time that I could really play it. So I would go real deep into that. And I think about some other games, too, in particular during the summertime. I don't think it was new, but I remember playing Splinter Cell Chaos Theory over one summer like I rented it. Uh, maybe I think even rented it multiple times. That was the, was was the, that's the third one, right? Yeah. 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 Dude. So I would play that on Xbox live. There was the spies versus Mercs mode, which I remember playing one night and being so into it. And I remember my parents going to bed around 11 or midnight. I was playing for a few hours, a good time, you know, having a good time. And then my dad calling down and he's like, Dusty, you need to go to bed. Like why? I I'm just, it's summer. I can do what I want. He's like, it's 6 a.m. It's like, oh, <laughs> it was one of those like time travel <laughs> yeah. moments. And it was a it was awesome at the time. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I really I really should be in bed because I don't want to ruin my whole day tomorrow. So it was a good time. So summer gaming and also playing with friends and stuff like playing, yeah. playing Smash or playing online, playing Call of Duty, stuff like that. I was like the prime. And I know what he's saying. Uh talking about having the windows open and stuff. Cause I didn't have air conditioning for, I think we got air conditioning at some point when I was in high school. So I think about there was a short period of time when I had a CRT and Nintendo 64 in my room. This was well after, but I was getting into retro game. They weren't retro at the time, but I was getting into older games and playing Ocarina of time in the summertime with the window open. That's a very special feeling on a yeah. CRT. At late at night playing that game. Let me get that, hum, get that get the hum of the get that, get that breeze. Yeah. That late night breeze. It's like per, oh dude. I remember when I first Beautiful. moved to when I first moved to LA and I opened my window at night and there was no breeze and it scared me. Because it was like <laughs> yeah. fucking like the air was just dead. It's still and smoggy. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But like <sighs> I had an air conditioner in my room that I swear to God was illegal. I, I, did they did they change something about how air conditioners were allowed to work at some point? Like, yeah, we, we discussed the, this recently. They must have because, yeah, like my air conditioner from the 70s. I wasn't born in the 70s, but the air conditioner I had in the 90s from the 70s that my dad insisted yeah. I used was the coldest thing on Earth, probably yeah, yeah. like absolute zero. Yeah. yeah it's Yeah. OK, good. I just want to because I, I thought about it again. I was like, oh, man, I used to free my dad. would get so fucking mad because he'd walk into the room and he'd be like, it is freezing in here i think i think it might be like 40 degrees i think it might have i'm that's probably not even a fucking exaggeration i think i literally like maybe like 45 degrees on a like a high end like on the on the on the hottest i would freeze the shit out of that room it's because the air conditioners weren't smart they were just like you turn me on high and it's just like blowing out cold, the coldest <laughs> air possible with no regard yeah. for how cold it is in the room that's what that you could w- hang you could hang a fucking raw chicken in my room and it would have been fine 
<laughs> I love that, dude. I, I have we have two AC zones in my house, so we keep it at 72 at all times. But when I go to bed, I turn the upstairs down to 68. I find that to be the perfect sleepy mm-hmm. time temperature. And I have a fan just blowing in my face, too. All right. I realize that we usually do six of these questions, but I realize that two of them ask the same thing. I must have put them together and meant to get rid of one, but I didn't. So we only have five, meaning we're on number four now. Vonerin wrote in and said, hey, Sacred Symbols, should we be concerned with budgets ballooning for video games similar to budgets ballooning for movies? The summer has been a summer of flops for films with giant budgets and the market audience for films is wider than the market audience for AAA console titles like The Last of Us or Horizon. Nowadays, selling a million or two million copies can be seen as a failure as with the Callisto Protocol and its $162 million budget. Five million copies were the expectation set forth by the studio, and don't forget the marketing budget that goes unreported. Meanwhile, studios like Remedy or Asobo demonstrate smarter production pipelines and smaller budgets to make the profitability easier to obtain. If budgets or scope don't get under control, Sean Layden's warning of the gaming industry's instability becomes reality. I'm curious what you guys think of this. I've been really curious to see that a lot of movies are failing too, but... I feel like budgets for that shit are getting out of control. I was just reading that Amazon has this new like spy thriller series. I can't even remember the name of it. That it was $250 million for its first season. That's fucking That's for TV. Yeah. For like, a, like one of their streaming properties. It's, That's fucking uh, insane. It's um, I think that we don't, I don't, I think that they're uh, high quality. I think high quality comes at a cost. It's amazing, for instance, that Control 2 is being made for $50 million. Like, that's a really incredible thing. I don't think you need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. I think a game like Final Fantasy 16, and we've said before, I think it's a very expensive game. You can see how expensive it is. It didn't need to be that expensive, but it's what differentiates it aesthetically and presentationally from a game like, say, Evil West, which I thought was really good, but made very cheaply. So I have no problem with studios spending $100 million or $70 million or whatever, even 150 or $200 million, like you were saying, if if the product can uh, can demand that. But when you see – but it has to all match up. No one should have allowed the Callisto Protocol to cost that much money to make. Yeah. And that it costs that much money to make is a failure of production because it, it in no way, shape, or form reads like a game that's anywhere close to that expensive. You give $162 million to a very talented studio and they're going to make something a lot different than the Callisto Protocol. And that's true anywhere in the world, even in places where it's expensive to make games from Montreal to L.A. and of course in Europe and everywhere. But you go to Poland or fucking Thailand or something, I mean, $162 million. I mean, it's like an enormous amount of money. So I, I don't worry so much about the money being spent as much as I worry about justifying that amount, that amount of money and keeping things reasonable. See, like the Callisto protocol selling a few million copies is reasonable and it did. So you should have like kept your budget within that line so that, you know, you don't have to sell another couple of million copies, which you're just not going to sell at normal price. So I don't think the remedy and Asobo models are necessarily replicable. I think they have advantages, including working in Europe where it's simply cheaper to make games. And I think that that has to be brought in as a relevant point. However, there's something certainly to it, something about 50 million, 70 million, 90 million, three or four years is very tempting. And I think people are going to want to get games out more often. What I worry about, though, and as I said to much consternation last week, this really all hinges on people's willingness to buy games. Because $200 million games on streaming services? No, 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 no. I don't think so. That's yeah. not going to work. Maybe one one a year, two a year, but no. That's not what you're going to get. So I do think that that's a necessary component to this to overcome as well as triple a game well, we were seeing final fantasy 6 16 which i think they're happy with three or four million copies sold so far i don't think it's again 
exceptional at all, but uh, from a sales point of view, but that we even look at that or that people in a very sardonic way, look at that and say like, what a failure. I'm like, that's crazy, man. That's so many copies of a game. Yeah. You got to be able especially to make sure games within that realm, you know, especially considering it's on one platform. Right. You know, and I just think, yeah, totally. But it's just like, man, you can't be happy with three million copies sold in a week. That's that's a that's a you problem. And I mean, the publishers like that, yeah. that's you got to if that's truly not enough, then. But I think it was enough because Sony paid for that game had to help pay yeah. to help pay for it. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say it's like when Activision was like Destiny 2 is not successful enough. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like, are you, Call of Duty. Because they're, yeah, exactly. They're, they're judging it in, 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 yeah, uh, in comparison to Call of Duty, which is <laughs> such an insane. That's such an insane metric to judge anything else by, because it's like the only thing that works the way it does, really. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think um, it depends. Like the, like the movie thing is interesting, although for I think movies are, are, are at a point of there's a lot going on with the, with the film. Right. Where you have all these big budgets and then you have these movies that are supposed to be blockbusters. But at a certain point, like in order for there to be a blockbuster, there needs to be a block to bust. And when there's a movie every week, you know, like every like few weeks, there's like some new like fucking, I don't know, Top Gun or or Fast and Furious 11 and or, or like the next Marvel thing. Eventually, like. I, I don't know, like who's who's people don't go to see movies that often, like they just don't. Like, I remember, like when I was a kid, I saw maybe two, three movies a year, like in the theater max. Like, I, I can't think of a time where it was like anywhere. more. Than, and it still is that, quite frankly, for me personally, like I've only, I only see like maybe three movies a year max in theaters. Maybe oh, yeah, that would four, be a heavy like, year for me. I think. And that yeah. would be. Yeah, exactly. Like most years, I, I don't see a single fucking movie because so many things are available on streaming that I might as well wait. And even get movies that come out recently, like there are movies that I bet you would be surprised to find that are available to stream because they come to streaming in like three weeks, sometimes less than a month. So why the fuck am I going to go out, pay an exorbitant amount of money to pay, to pay extra for snacks that aren't great to sit in a place that I have no control over like anything when I can just replicate the experience in my own bedroom at max comfortability, have complete control, pay half, maybe even like way, 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 way less than half. And I don't even have to wait that long. That's what's happening with movies right now. Hmm. But like with games, it's a different situation where it's like, I feel like, I feel like there's just a bloating in the sense that people demand, people demand a level of perfection that is simply unsustainable. Like I'm not breath, saying games at that, the breath that they demand it. Right. Like yeah. it's I mean, dude, we even talked about it a little bit earlier with Final Fantasy where it's like, man, this game's great. But like, man, what's with these like low budget parts? Like even we as like we understand that you can only stretch a dollar so much. And in this game's like really, really expensive looking. We should be enamored with it at, at the very least because of that. But those parts stick out. And I think the the problem that we're running into is the more that happens the less the less we're willing to forgive it 
or at least the less more people like dude like do you remember when spider-man was coming out and they were like uh, highlighting the puddles yeah or whatever yeah, yeah, that's right and they were just like yeah, dude that puddle doesn't look next gen and it's like people are so afraid of that happening that they're like pouring all this money into, into making the game look perfect and i'm like dude this is and i've brought this up before like this is this is the reason i lament the effect of the last of us more than anything is that it's 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 given us this new bar that I don't think should have ever been the bar. I don't think it's, sh- I don't think we should write off games because they don't look absolutely fucking perfect hundred percent of the time. I don't think, I don't think games are less valuable because they don't look like, like high production value films the entire time that you play through them. I think that's like a really sad side effect of, of that game. And then it's a shame because I think it's going to lead to this problem where like, we got to have a high budget because we can't have any mistakes. We can't have, you know, a puddle <laughs> that doesn't look perfect. Right. Or what was that character in Halo that everyone was making fun of? That oh, yeah. Craig. Craig. Yeah. Dude, it's like, Craig, oh, Craig. Mighty, man, can we just like, can I, dude, Craig was totally fine. Like there was like, I did not give a shit about Craig. Like the rest of that game, like absolutely that game needed as many delays as possible, but not because of Craig. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) that's the point. It didn't seem that, it seemed like it was just a much ado about nothing, you know? Yeah. Dude, you look at the old games and they're they're full of stuff like that, like a hilarious freeze frames of like enemy faces, like whatever. Like it doesn't, it, is the game fun? Yeah, you can make any game look bad. That, that's a constant thing now. That's again what we were talking about earlier but in the that's, show. But, but that's a thing. That's a yeah. huge dude. That that had a big effect on the way people perceive the game because it was blown up in that way. And, mm. and it's just like mm. and people don't. You, it becomes a way bigger risk to let things like that slip or to let things like that slide. And so you get these big budgets of like people spending a lot of time making sure the plant is perfect, making sure the sidewalk's perfect. Making sure, and then you have a game like Callisto Protocol that looks fucking perfect. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's a single frame of that game that looks incorrect at all. Like it's, it's a really high budget looking game, but the game isn't there really to support it. And then you lose all this money and it's like, dude, you could have just scaled back. The game didn't need to look this perfect and you could have had a you could have had a successful game. And I think that's the trap that we're running into. is isn't necessarily that budgets are ballooning. It's that our expectations are such that studios find it reasonable to demand that kind of budget for any game that they're working on. Hmm. That doesn't absolutely necessitate it. Like if you're making a $200 million game, that game better need that $200 million. Because when control is out there for, 50, for less than 50, Control one, what was that? How, how much did Control one? Like twenty five. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. That Control looks as good as it is, plays as well as it does, is as good as it is for that price. And and I, again, we talked about like the fact that you know Remedy is isn't an American you know studio, and that absolutely plays in, plays a part in it. But even so, dude, you got to look at that with like an insane amount of respect. That's incredible. It's totally incredible. And I, and I, and I excuse me, I respect that 505 as publisher didn't come in, came in restrained, although they might not have access to this kind of capital anyway and say like, we'll give you a hundred million dollars for the next one. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, we, we just made hand over fist money on this last game, but they didn't. They're like, we'll yeah. give you twice as much. And I don't think they need much more than that. And control is good. I mean, control is probably most bang for your buck. I know that they were comparing a Sobo and I guess that with the work in um, Plague Tale as well. 
But having just, I haven't played very much of the first Plague Tale. I played a little bit of it and I never played the second one. So I don't want to speak too definitively on it, but it's much more impressive. I think Control is much more impressive from a pricing standpoint. And that yeah. they made it so briefly as well. But sure. uh, Dustin, do you have anything you'd like to add about about any of this? I think it's worth mentioning to the inflation aspect of it about how the American dollar has remained. I mean, we've seen a, a shit ton of inflation here, but it's remained strong relative to other countries as well. So I think, I mean, last of us was last of us part two was mostly made pre COVID. So that game is definitely a prime example of a super high budget game uh, that, uh, I mean, I think delivered in a lot of ways, but yeah. we're going to see these balloon like crazy, just simple, you know, inflation in some aspect as well. So a game like Control that costs 25 million pre-COVID, I mean, now it's especially outside of the U.S. is going to be many times higher to make a game like that. Just like I said, simply by inflation. So that's something right. to yeah. keep in mind as well. But I think Chris nailed it and i don't want to repeat what he said really other than i hope that people can look past just graphics about everything this is what we were talking about earlier about the stupid people online that it's like the stupid arguments you see be like well this game on playstation runs at 60 as opposed to starfield's 30 and it's like someone made that comparison like oh helldivers 2 is going to run at 60 checkmate starfield it's like you're a fucking moron that's that's hilarious (laughs) but and so yeah you gotta it's and i think that while that's not the overall opinion right that's the the small bubble opinion of very few on a social media site there is a thing about graphics and and how games sell and the marketing and stuff like that and i just hope that it's probably wishful thinking that someday gameplay is king uh, but you, it's harder to sell gameplay than a, a really good looking screenshot or video. So, yeah. or it makes sense that people should embrace that. It doesn't have to be photorealistic to convey feeling or story or anything yeah, right. like that at all. You know, it doesn't. It just simply no. doesn't. There's there's so many examples of the opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, Final Fantasy Seven by itself looks so stupid. <laughs> like the the old Final Fantasy. If you looked at Final, any. If you looked at any of the character models from the original Final Fantasy, you'd laugh the fuck out loud if you've never saw them before. And you were like, that's about this is a guy. That's a guy that that thing is a guy. You see the little Popeye hands. That's a guy. You'd you'd lose your shit if you had no context for that. Uh, But that's like a seminal game with like a seminal story that lives still. And And it is. And we couldn't believe how good it looked, which was the craziest. Part. <laughs> I know. I think about that, about the original Gears of War, too. Like, I think like, whoa. And then you go back and you're like, it's it doesn't look as bad as it should, but it's still like, you know, it's nowhere near like what you would assume. It, yeah. Or, or what you remember it looking like. And I don't know, like I, I look at Helldivers, too, as like a, a nice like, dude, there's nothing wrong with the way that game looks at all. Like mm-hmm. it looks it looks really nice. It doesn't look like a seven hundred million dollar game because <laughs> it doesn't have to. And it looks fun. Is that enough? Yeah, I think I hope so. Yeah, and I think for if you, you'll definitely get your pre-rendered beautiful cutscenes somewhere in there for if you must have them, you know. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, they they definitely didn't care. I don't want to say they didn't care about the fidelity. I think the game actually looks really pretty. I think what's most important is that the game runs really well, and I think it will. So yeah, I'll be interested to know more about the reactive nature of like. 
an important part of this is because people have to react to all the different economic realities, like you said, inflation. But to bring down inflation, interest rates have gone up, meaning that it's much more expensive to borrow money. And that is a mega relevant part of business. People people borrow money as a, a course of action, not because they need it, but because it, they can make it work for them. It's often even cheaper to borrow outside and spend your own money investing in something that yields a higher return than paying that that you know that fee back and then having a little bit more on top. So mm-hmm. that harms payroll and your ability to get outside contract to get new. I saw actually Embracer put out like eighty seven thousand new shares or something and was able to raise some money. So. People are out there trying to get their cash. They know what's necessary. I think that there's going to be a place. For, I mean, dude, I, I would think that Grand Theft Auto 6's budget's probably around a billion dollars. And oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a game that's going to demand that level of, of focus and money and, and investment. But like, continue to explore the space between. And I say as gamers to continue to put your money where your mouth is because these games simply will not grow on trees. And it's too dangerous out there to make too many deep investments without a willing audience that doesn't have to buy everything, but should it be open to buying products if they speak to them as opposed to being very resistant and hesitant to that? Cause I just don't think the market can sustain that, but we went over that in great detail last week. All right. Finally, John Hughes writer and director of the breakfast club and home alone wrote in <laughs> and said, Hey guys, I enjoy and appreciate all the content you are constantly churning out. Thank you. This is my only Patreon. And yet I use this app just as much, if not more than my primary podcast listening app. My question is this, What is the best mascot genre? By this, I mean, what is the best way to show off the personality and abilities of a selection of colorful characters? Kart Racer, Mousseau, Smash Clone, Other. Thank you and have a good one. Thanks, John, for writing in. Dustin, let's go to you first. We often talk about these crossover games. I think we have the fighting game specifically as one of those. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not only with Smash. I mean, Capcom really is the pioneer of the crossover fighter in the 90s and should be given a lot of credit for that. But there are different ways to explore it. I actually have a very specific answer that he didn't bring up that I think is interesting, but um, I'm wondering what you think, like say like Sony was going to do some sort of PlayStation all-stars type thing. Would you want them to go with a fighting game? Would you want them to go with a Mousseau car racer or something else? My gut, if we're talking crossover is to do smash clone, but at the same time, we've seen how they're not that successful, but they are really good at doing showing off the different cool abilities of certain characters, right? That's the thing for me, for any kind of Smash character announcement, it's like, okay, so what's their moveset? What kind of creative ways are they going to implement the moves they do in their own game into this fighting game? Or what's their ultimate Smash ability or something like that? So I guess if someone was able to do that successfully outside of Smash, then that would be my go-to choice. But... So, yeah, I'll go with that. I'm curious, though. Well, I guess we'll have Crisco, but I'm I was thinking I couldn't think of any other crossover genre that wasn't listed here. So I'm curious what you're thinking, Colin. Yeah, but there's several. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I'm kind of with Dustin in the sense that, like, it's the Smash clone is really the only thing I can think of only because the potential is so high. Like in my head, in my head. And I know this is the case for everybody. It's really easy to make a great smash like style fighter with uh, with like whoever the fuck you want in it i think about it all the time like i have this this really stupid dream of of like a seinfeld uh mugen 
or, or how do you say it? Mugen is it, I forget the, the word for that game. Yeah, I've heard it both ways. And I don't like to speak uh, when the game Mugen Souls came out. I, I was attacked for both. So I don't even like saying the word. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Like like a Seinfeld character action fighter that fu- that functions like that would be hysterical. And I can think I can think of it all in my head, like what everybody would do and like what, like how they would enter the, the ring and like how, how like how it would all work, like what their special. I have it all in my head, like how they would move. And so, like, I, my gut is to say fighting games in general is like a good way to do it because it, it, it lets you kind of reframe certain things in ways that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise. Like, I always think about, like, for example, like, I, I love the idea of if you had like a fighting like a Seinfeld fighter, like Elaine would do her little kicks and things like that, where it's like you could just recontextualize mm-hmm. things in the context of like <laughs> combat. But uh, I really only say that because I can't think of another example. I think there are fun examples of games that could be crossover games, but not necessarily games that would nece- would be the best way to highlight the traits of those characters. Like I think right. like, like a like a like a crossover tactics game would be sick. Like I think, but it would also it wouldn't necessarily be like the best place to highlight like what's special about any given any given character. But yeah, I, I don't know. Those, those are my those are my go-to's i can't i can't think of another one although well, Colin seems excited yeah I'm, I'm just i'm interested i didn't think it just says uh, it, it makes sense why you wouldn't think of this but sports games oh right M- nintendo were really the masters of this right even before the smash before the release of smash on n64 but certainly during and after this the early smash period they really supported a series of of sports games over time whether it's a soccer game a golf game or a series of golf games baseball and so on and so forth. And I actually think it's a really fun way to do it. It, it reminds me a little bit of um, Mega Man soccer on SNES as well, which I was unfortunate to buy off the shelf. Uh-huh. So excited for it. And I was just like, oh, this game sucks. But but uh, it was a fun idea. And I really have a soft spot specifically for Mario Golf. And I specifically have a soft spot for the N64 and GameCube versions of it. Mushroom Tour, I think, is the GameCube Toadstool version. Tour. Toadstool Tour is the GameCube yeah. one. And I have really fond memories of that game playing with my friends and hanging out and just dicking around during college and unlocking all the different golfers. And I would think it's funny in terms of PlayStation. I actually think that would be funny to do for PlayStation, like a dead ass, really beautiful golf game. So, but like with high res, like beautiful versions of the characters as they would appear in their games. <laughs> you know? you- so like Kratos yeah. golfing against, you know, Deacon St. James or the fuck his name was, you know, exactly. I, I think that that would be a cool, like very casual, maybe even free to play way to do it and just hang out and something very notable and different. Like it would take a lot of it's cool to think about an idea like that, like PlayStation Golf or something. And it sounds so stupid. But what if they really did it right? Like what if it was really fun and good and they got it? They, they adjusted it. So that was their way to compete in that world. That would be pretty interesting yeah. and different. I will say, I think I was hung up on the best way to show off their personality and abilities because I'm thinking of, you know, he, he mentions Kart Racer, where maybe you have Nathan Drake. He's in the Jeep from Uncharted 4. You've got a hunter that's on like a horse and carriage and he's got some nasty skeleton horse boys or something like that. That could be, you know, and, yeah. and the different environments. I would love something like that, something totally totally silly and like you said you could have a uh, kratos what would kratos ride though uh, yeah, the world yeah, maybe 
yeah, yeah, yeah or chariot, chariot or, or he would he would he's got those dog the sled and oh, the, yeah, dogs. the sled the, the, the sled he could ride the sled oh the, the sleds yeah that would be it for sure yeah that'd be cool there, yeah there's a lot of ways that you could do it in I, I I love kart racers like I, I like I'm a I'm big on that like I feel like they're really really underappreciated which is crazy to me because I played Mario Kart eight for the first time in a while while I was home because like my cousins were over and we were like hey let's play some Mario Kart. And I honestly can't believe that Mario Kart is the like the premier kart racing game. Like it blows my mind because it plays so horrendously to me. Like I, re- I really, fucked. I, I can't, dude, I can't. It's, it's sublime. It is the dude, perfect is so, kart racer. It is so fucking slimy. The way like every character like like glide. It's like everybody's on. It's like everybody's got soap on their wheels. It's like where's the traction in this fucking game? This is a racing game with no traction. It blows my fucking mind. And then you hit the grass and you're like immediately slow. It's like, oh my God, there's no physics either. What the fuck is going on? Why do people like this? Mm. It, it really, I couldn't, and I still don't understand it. And it seems so easy to make a better one. Like, uh, like so easy that I, I'm fucking astonished that no one's, well, people have, but like no one's ready to, no one's ready to hear about uh, Diddy Kong. Diddy Kong Racing and Mod Nation Racers. I honestly, I haven't played Mod Nation Racers, but I, I, I feel like it's probably better. Like I can't, I cannot fathom. And a little big planet carding. I really can't stress it enough. I don't get it. I don't why everyone's so fucking slippery and oily. Like what's going on? The skill issue. I can't I speak to it. I'm no expert in those games, so not for me to. Yeah, I, not I for know. me to field at this time but a car racer would be great like you'd have like everybody with the, mm-hmm. like all these different places you get like what's the you'd have the flower <laughs> from flower they're just, just breezing the just floating i feel like there's so much creativity in a game in something like that right where you could you could really stretch your wings in ways that you can't really do in other in other genres where it's like you have like imagine a blood imagine just just the differentiating factors in like the places that you would be like a like a like a bloodborne track versus an uncharted track versus a god of war track the, the sheer variety of that is is enticing to me but only naughty dogs proven that they could do it in, in the in the first party family and that was a while ago so yeah a long time ago i think um i do think one thing is for certain that playstation needs to find and maybe they're working on one, but a better way to celebrate the brand as a as a piece of connected media, which is important. It's like really important, I think, to do that. Yeah. And they have to figure out a way to harmonize all of the different IP since 94 and 95 all the way to today in a way that PlayStation All-Stars obviously failed to do. And that I don't think that they really should. I don't think they should just do a fighting game. They have to do something else. And I would, yeah. I would like to see them try. And I love the idea of a, like a, a fucking golf game or a sports game of some sort. I think it would be hysterical, but I think it's dangerous and maybe not the way they want to treat their IP. I have no idea. All right, let's get the hell out of here. We've been going for a long time. Chris, closing comments. Oh man, I got. I don't know. I'm. I'm. Uh, I got the rest of the day ahead of me because it's early. I'm on the uh, on the West Coast, so I'm probably just gonna lose my day to Final Fantasy. Sweet. That sounds great. Yeah. Dustin, closing comments. We got through this whole episode not making a single comment about Chris's uh, for the you got to for the audio listeners you got to see it but mildly gay Sega hat yeah. maybe the rainbow a, but yeah, I don't want Sega. you to explain I don't want to <laughs> okay. know I just know that 
Chris is wearing this Sega hat and it never came up except for till now. And I think we should just let the mystery be at this. To point. be clear, okay. I just want to say to be clear that the, it's not mildly gay because he's wearing a Sega hat. It's that the Sega hat, the Sega logo is <laughs> in a rainbow. So I just want to make I, that. I thought I said yeah. like a pretty rainbow. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty <laughs> colorful. It's mildly gay. You know, it's fine. Uh, but uh, I like I it. I, I noticed it, but I didn't want to, you know, he's allowed to wear whatever he wants. Even the Sega, even the Sega. <laughs> I like logo. it. It's a All nice right. hat. It is a nice hat. I like it. Yeah, I dig it. Um, all right, my friends. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things sacred symbols and last day media. Couldn't do without you. Patreon.com slash last day media. Leave us nice reviews on podcast services, like our videos, and follow us on YouTube, etc. And so on. Uh, we'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. William Holbert, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Interfield, Jordan Vallett, Edward Fryrear, Ross R. Lowe, The Ohio Bigfoot, Landon Pipkin, Joshua Jones, Kevin Hawley, Hugo Delaguia, Austin Michael Lipka, Paul Warren, Harold Eustache, Will Williams, Dinos Roar, Nicholas Renaud, Shane Brecky, Jack Sin, Sean Llewellyn, Michael Mash Potato, Gene Lay Reedy, Sweaty Magic, Nate Izod, Hargeet Chani, Ellis, Albion, Josh Sullinger, Gunner117, Andrew Roman, Jacob Donovan, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason Arzan, Sean Hatfield, Christopher Nock, Ryan Daly, Sean Gulati, Donato Chiarlo, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zier Parrix, Sean Miles, Relentless Rex, Alan Tuniak, Dustin Klingman, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Jeremy Roberts, Luke Aldersley, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Fozzie Bear, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Dante Sharp, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Holsey, Dio or Die, T-Bone 007, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Travis, Joe, Ross Chandler, H-Trons, Antonio C, Ryan, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newlin, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Birdo64, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Callis, Jimmy Rodriguez, Caswell, TB Lightning, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, DB Cooper, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Joel Holcomb, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Mike Menzel, Night Draft, James Hayes, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Jush, Tyler Lyle, Gavin, Morgs Rooks, Jerome Ferreira, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Michael Hunt, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, Tom Quinn, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Pork and Beans, Jean Francois Forze, Tony Zaniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Corey Dustin, 
Johnson, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, JSC0828, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Thomas Sablin, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonoliger, Zach Jennings, Alex Monez, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, Austin Riley, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Logan Willis, Sean Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Greg Julius, Ashley Carlson, Marius Carson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Madmock Media, Ryan Davis, Bo Burkholz, and Jonathan Rice.